Hey folks, it's your boy Brock here. Just wanted to pop in and say that due to some technical difficulties, Quinn and I lost the first few minutes of this podcast. Thankfully, we didn't lose any actual content, any actual match discussion, just a bit of pre-show banter, so apologies if you appreciated that stuff. But uh, without further ado, here are the top 100 matches of 2018. You tell me all the time, no You tell me it ain't right, I treat you like a psycho I hit you in your eyes, low But never in the light, I fuck with you at night, no You need to let your pride go I say it's in your mind, but do it every time, no I hit you in your eyes, low But never in the light, I fuck with you at night, no You tell me come over But not when I'm so faded Can I come when I'm sober? I do it every time, Tell me come over, but not when I'm so faded, can I come when I'm sober? So to kick us off, my 100 is Ricky Marvin versus Kara from Lucha Menace. I did not end up having any Ricky Marvin matches on my list, uh, which might might anger some people. <laughs> this is the first of two that made my list. Um, Really, um, I'm not going to say I regret it, but there was a Ricky Marvin versus... um. Kawato match from Lucha Memes that I really enjoyed too. Then high side, yeah. Then then high side, I would have put on my list, but you know, where you know this is where we are now. Um, but this is really the first match of that. Wow, Ricky Marvin is having a really awesome 2018. Um, mm-hmm. that was going on for a few months, and Ricky Marvin's um year petered off um about halfway through, but it was really great to see Ricky Marvin sort of like you know. Have like a renewed vigor and a little bit more life to him than he's had in recent years, and here we are. Um, intergender match here against uh Kara and Ricky Marvin is doing a lot of like typical heel stuff. He's bullying Kara around, but he also does a lot for takes some nutty bumps to the outside, uh, through tables. Um, just gives her a lot more than Ricky Marvin needs to, but. Ricky Marvin and Kara have like a really awesome match. And Lucha Mimis, something I always liked about them is that when they have like a, their uh, matches outside. And there's something I remember really liking about, uh, I forgot who it was, Black Trey versus, uh, Wotan, I, I oh, believe. Wotan, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just like how grimy and dirty it feels when they're brawling and fighting on the outside. And Ricky Marvin versus Kara wasn't on the same level as that, but it does get, feel a little, dirty and grimy at times and mixing it mixing that in with some insane high spots ricky marvin being super selfless and just being really blown away at the at ricky marvin still being so good at this age made for a really entertaining viewing experience i remember watching this one and, and thinking like it, it didn't really live up to the hype but that was sort of the whole ricky marvin in 2018 experience with me uh, but it certainly wasn't bad it, it was it was it was what you want out of like a, a lucha indie match just real grimy and um real snug and scrappy mm. um and, and i i definitely agree with you that the um outdoors shows that they may may do um of which i think i have at least one on here are super fun and add just such an uh such a such an appealing atmosphere on top of like an already um on top of an already reliable lucha fan base did you ever get around to seeing ricky marvin versus kawato no uh, i remember i remember people said that it sucked that like kawato like has been sort of real bad on this mexican excursion it's weird like i watched ricky marvin versus kawato and i'm like i don't know what the what's up what's been up with the lucha fans 
But that match was fucking awesome, and I'd highly recommend watching that. Okay. Um, so you go ahead with your 100. My 100 is uh, sort of a similar match, um, in that it's it's sort of a, a real scrappy little thing uh, between two guys I like a whole lot. Those being Wheeler Yuta and Homicide, who had a match in Nova Pro's uh, American Slang 2018 show. Uh, this being a rematch of, I think... They they had a match during the uh, Commonwealth Cup a couple months earlier, um, I believe in the semifinals, uh, where Wheeler Yuta scored an upset and then went on to win the entire tournament, and Homicide jumped him afterwards. Um, and that match was like sort of disappointing, sort of uneven. Like I've like I like both these guys a whole lot, but like they're being um, a real young guy and a real old guy. Like they just they weren't always on the same page and they were sort of sloppy. But here they're so much more aggressive and so much more tighter in everything they do. And it's clear that, like, Homicide's just having fun um, in a way that is just, like, endlessly appealing to me. Like, endlessly endearing to watch this guy just, like, chew the scenery and fuck up some unsuspecting little kid. Um, And Yuta, like, honestly was one of my favorite wrestlers in all of 2018. Like, just this young guy out of primarily the American Northeast that had a lot of heart, had a lot of poise, had a lot of um, uh, fire when... I don't know, you, you don't look at the guy and expect a whole lot from him, but, like, when he really gets going in a match, like, he really pulls me in. Um, and that's what they, these two did here in the short little, like, 12, 13-minute little main event that I really enjoyed. Yeah, I never got around to seeing this, but I heard um, a lot of really good things about Billy Yuta's, um 2018. And if I was into, like I said, if I was into that Powerbomb TV or now independent wrestling TV, like, loop more at that, um, mm-hmm. in 2018, then I, would, and I probably could have had him... Um, a couple of matches on my top 100, but I'm real curious to see how he does in 2019 as I plan to, like, give him a chance more than that. It's, it's something where, I think on Twitter, a lot of people were just, like, really dismissive of Yuta. And I wasn't getting, like, enough um, cosigns from people who I talked to to, like, make me sure. go watch really Yuta matches, but it seems like his 2018 really turns people around. It's, yeah, like, I had I never really watched him before this. He was a, a, a Dojo Wars guy. Um... And I sadly just, like, really never got into the promotion, despite being a big CCW guy. Um, but he he had some showings in 2018 that, like, really impressed me. And, and this was definitely one of them. All right, so my 99 is Darius Lockhart versus Chip Day from PWX, April 23rd. I'm so bummed I didn't get to see any PWX this year, and I didn't get to especially see any Darius Lockhart in PWX this year. Yeah, I mean, like... Darius and Slim J were really the only things worth watching in PWX this year, honestly. And, um, this wasn't the first match of, like, the, maybe this was, but, like, the Darius Lockhart binge that went on a few months, um, a few months ago. And, you know, kind of like me, like, you know, re-falling in love with the guy. And mm-hmm. while, like, Darius is fucking awesome here, and I love everything he does in this match, because here is, this is Darius playing babyface, which is, um... The role he was always meant to play, and there's like other matches where we see Darius in control, which are good too. But Darius is, is Darius is right at home being this super fiery, lovable babyface. And this match right here is not the best match Chip Day's ever had. It's not the best match Chip Day sure. Chip Day's ever been in, but it's the best performance easily I've ever seen from Chip Day. Chip Day wrestles in shorts and sneakers, um, and it. It just hits all the right notes for me, you know. It, it, it it's Chip Day being, you know, the usual Chip Day self. Like, you know, if you want to call him like a poor man's version of like um 
Alistair Black or whatever, like, sure. But, like, he, he, it, it works here. It works here as this, like, yeah. sort of, like, shitty indie dude that's, like, you know, he had the world in his hands once, and now he's just sort of, like, you know, down on his luck, you know, slumming it up again, slumming it up again, and it's, um, little, it's like, it was like, it is like the PWX, um, peer shows, too. So it's not a lot of people yeah. here. And here it is, you know, Chip Day got all this praise, and here he is slumming it up again, and these guys just go out there and have almost like a perfect formula baby face and heel match. It's not the best action you'll see anywhere. It's not the most unique stuff. It's not reinventing the wheel, but it's compelling baby face and heel characters and guys thriving in an environment where they get to lean into a lot of stuff. The uh, time limit expires in this in a real, in a really neat way where Chip Day goes Darius into um, continuing with him and then Chip Day tries to sneak an advantage and Darius just winds up beating him in like 20 seconds in the new fall and that's some that's a nod that's a nod um or um, you know little neat thing i liked about the match but other than that you really should go back and watch some of that darius pwx stuff um it's a shame what what happened in pwx in 2018 it's like a lot of stuff just didn't wind up making it online or didn't wind up making it um making it online in a timely manner it was very strange, but Darius Lockhart and, Sl- and Slim J were the shining lights of PWX last year. Well, I'm glad to I'm glad to hear that because they're guys I like, and it's a promotion I enjoy. I just sadly I didn't get around to it um, because I spent a whole lot of 2018 watching one promotion in particular, that being Three Two One Battle, uh, which is where my number 99 match comes from. It's a match I know you didn't particularly like, Quentin. It's Daniel Makabe taking on uh, Lucha Legend. Negro Navarro. Yeah, you can go ahead and take this away because I'm just not a Negro Navarro fan, and like, <laughs> right? Um, like, and I don't, and I don't think this is like particularly great or anything. It's more surreal than anything. Um, but I think that has an appeal all its own. Like, just being able to watch a friend of mine who I think is a legitimately great wrestler too, uh, to be able to watch him take on a v- <laughs> like a living legend of of the sport like somebody who i i never in a million years would have thought he could ever wrestle um and to have like a pretty fun mice throw match with him uh full of just a whole bunch of like neat little tricks and shit i've never seen before and and uh to have to have a crowd that is like full of like the hippest of seattle hipsters just totally eat it up was just like such a wild thing to watch too um super fun i don't think it's it probably wouldn't have made my list in a stronger year but like here and now, like it, it sort of like touched my heart in a fun way, and and, and that's what I think matters mm. to me. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a ton to say here, but it was really cool to see Dan get this match. You know, just like yo, just being on Twitter at the time when it's got announced it was like, holy shit, Dan's facing Nero Navarro. <laughs> <laughs> right, it's just so right. wild. Um, so my ninety-eight is Charlotte versus Asuka from WrestleMania thirty-four. I thought this was going to make my mat or my. I thought this was going to make my list, and it eventually just hmm. didn't. As of right now, it's um maybe like the third or fourth WWE women's match I have on my list for this year. Yeah, but you know, I really love this. Like, and like if I went back and rewatched it, I could see myself maybe even having it higher. It's it feels really. It felt really grand, 
on that WrestleMania, uh-huh. which is something where they've like attempted like, you know, this same stuff in the past where say like Nia Jax versus Alexa Bliss on the same show. Like it was a good match, but I didn't get the same feeling or, uh, totally. the or Sasha Banks in, uh, that, tri- that triple threat, Sa- that Sasha, Charlotte, and was it Becky triple threat? Oh, from twenty sixteen. Yeah, twenty sixteen. Yeah. I, I didn't. I didn't get the same feel, or the um, big five way match. I didn't get the same feel. This is the first time in this um new boom of popularity for the women's division where it really felt like a big draw of the show. And I thought they went out here mm-hmm. delivered. Um, what was my favorite match of the night, and I like how they went back and forth, targeting tar- targeting body parts. Uh, both of them really just had focused attacks. You know, I'm sort of regarded as the high man on Charlotte in the uh, Mm. little bubble we're in. But I really enjoy Charlotte here. But Asuka was on this run in the first three, four months of the year where Asuka looked like the best wrestler in the world. And Mm -hmm. Asuka, I I don't want to say she outshined Charlotte here, but Asuka just looked like a world beater. And the big elephant in the room here is that Asuka lost. And... My thing always with that is, well, what's the end game for someone that is the big undefeated monster is that they eventually lose to somebody. Eventually, they were, eventually she was going to lose to someone and she was eventually going to either lose to the big corporate machine that was Ronda Rousey or the big corporate machine that was Charlotte. Either way, she was going to wind up losing to somebody in a way that people didn't like. And could you have held off on that for a little bit longer? Sure. You could have got to Asuka versus Sasha Banks in a meaningful way. You could have got to Ronda versus Asuka versus Asuka. But as we see, Asuka versus Ronda was clearly never, never in their plans. And there's no, like, there's no shame in just going out to Charlotte to them that who is to this day the most, what the hardest push woman on the roster, regardless of, yeah. you know, Becky Lynch's, um, current popularity or this Ronda Ronda we got for the year consistently the hardest hardest push woman in the company there's no shame in going out to Charlotte on on a Wrestlemania and and she couldn't really have done it in a better match you know like it was easily the match of the night something that I enjoyed quite a lot despite the fact that it was uh sort of sloppy at points and and had such a um had such like a lackluster finish yeah. too along with the fact that along with the fact that it was Asuka losing in in this way but like you're right like it it felt it felt big in a way that wrestlemania matches just so often don't my number 98 i think is another match you didn't particularly enjoy it's the calamari catch kings the team of chris brooks and jonathan gresham taking on jfk the team of jay skillet and francis caspin in the finals of wxw's world tag team i did i did like this and i think this was gresham's best performance in tag league really because like you you had like such you had voiced issues with his European run, and I was, and we never really got to talk too much about that. But I guess we'll do it here. Um, this this was sort of trope heavy and sort of um, sloppy at points, especially on JFK's end, like two two young guys, two sort of inexperienced guys. But like, um, as far as matches that try to get across the idea of um something being a big moment for these characters. Like 
I thought this was probably the peak of WXW's year. Like, this wasn't their best match by a long shot, but this was, like, the match that came the closest to replicating the sort of emotional highs that we've enjoyed them having over the last couple of years. Like, watching Gresham come back and have this, like, victorious return in WXW and facing off against a former partner and a pair of guys who are so hungry and and have done so much work to try to get these tag team paddles and they're the closest they're ever going to come to it um watching all these characters go at it and and throw everything they have at each other was like really rewarding i think despite the fact that i like it dipped into um a whole bunch of the tropes that sort of like annoy me these days but i can't say that these guys didn't do it in a way that um that didn't capture my heart this was the match that going into tag league i really wanted and it's because, you know, if you're someone that um, has been a WXW fan um, during the decade, you might remember a team named uh, Rock Skillet. That was Jonathan Gresham and Jay Skillet. And I really enjoyed that team. They had very like a, like a bunch of really good matches against the likes of leaders, leaders of the New School and um, the Outsiders. And seeing how Jay took time away from wrestling... And came back with this new look and this new, um, character and seeing all the leaps that Gresham has took and becoming maybe, like, maybe not a household name, but someone that people are starting to take notice of after all these years of right. like, chipping away. And that was really cool for me to see these guys sort of like reconnect after all these years. Uh, because they, because CCK sort of, uh, works babyface here. It eliminates the pro- a lot of the problems I had with Gresham during Tag League, which was it felt like Jonathan Gresham plays Kid Lycos in a few of the big matches. And a lot of the time I felt like that actually took away from them from matches. Like the main one being like the ring comp tag. That it's not totally. like it wasn't a great performance from Walter or Thatcher or Chris Brooks by any means, but if that was like something that really took away from a match that like on paper should be fucking fantastic. And other times in the tournament, I was like, okay, I think Chris Brooks was the better half of the team. Which, again, hmm. I liked Chris Brooks' 2018 a lot, but in no way do I think that Jonathan Gresham should be getting outshined by Chris Brooks in a tag match. So, right. a lot of that was frustration with Gresham feeling like he was... And again, again maybe this is my fault for um, thrusting these expectations onto Gresham when he was just like filling a role that he wasn't even meant to be in in the first place. But... I think for what I wanted out of him, for the most part, I just didn't get that. I got him doing the Kid Lycos role and, frankly, just not doing it as good as Lycos does it. What exactly do you mean by that? Because when you when you voice that sort of opinion, immediately my brain jumps to just him being a small guy who does some high flying. And I'm not and I'm not quite certain what you mean. Um, well, this goes back to like the heel CCK days and the heel CCK. Lycos wasn't doing a lot of flying. Lycos wasn't doing that. Lycos is loud and rowdy and obnoxious and talking a lot of shit during the matches. And the old CCK is a lot of interacting with the fans and um, talking back and forth and being real um, feisty with them. And it's sort of it's, it's in a jokey way, but still, like CCK are dickhead heels. Jonathan Gresham is a great heel, but I don't want him being the CCK heel. I don't think that works for him necessarily. I think that works for Brooks. I think that works for Lycos. I don't think being like that type of heel exactly gets over how dangerous 
Gresham is because like the sort of like the joke is with Lycos is that like Lycos like tries and he fails sometimes. Lycos will yeah. pick you up for the brain buster and get hit with it because Lycos he's exactly like in that to me just isn't Gresham. And while he can like perform it well, it just doesn't feel right. I get that. Like I, I, I have at least one match on here where I think him doing that sort of performance makes it an incredible match to me, but like I totally get where that's coming yeah, from. Yeah, and this final is they're, you know, they're forced to play baby faces with the tournament heels, um, JFK coming in. And while it's like super trope heavy, I do like it. I do think, I do like how unique, I do like how unique it feels in the context of the tournament. It's really all over the place. It's like really brawl heavy. It's sort of uh-huh. angry. Like they kind of like build to Jonathan Gresham and Jay Skillet coming face to face in a really unique way. And I like, um, Jonathan Gresham was a face in peril performance as the match is winding down. And while I feel like the, like 2018's tag lead was a step down from the previous two years for the most part, I think like the J- moment of JFK winning was felt just as big as when Rinkoff wins it and Dazzler gets his big moment or when, um, JML win it and get their big moment. You felt like you watch, you watch stars get made. Granted, what happened with WXW in the uh, <laughs> in the near future kind of um, takes some of that away, but at that point in time, you felt like you were watching stars being made, and that can be taken away. All right, so my number ninety-seven is Matt Riddle versus Shane Strickland from Evolve One Hundred Four. Didn't have any of these matches on my list. I'll did you actually watch these? Yeah, I did. Uh, at, how many did they have? Uh, three. I watched at least two. I'm not sure if I watched the third. Um, the third was the hardcore match. I'm not sure. I don't they, know. That was the title change. Um, this is so. Which the, one's this? This is the first match they have together. This is okay. Shane Strickland's return to evolve, and our friend Evan, who we've had, who, we, who we've had on the show before, friend, friend Evan, part part of my brain, Evan, um, <laughs> that we've had on the show before. This was his introduction to Shane Strickland, mm-hmm. and he was like blown away by how fierce and nasty and focused and driven and intense Shane Strickland was. And I totally get coming into this match and seeing Shane Strickland and being like, holy shit, this guy might be the best wrestler in the world. Right. I totally see it. Like the thing for me is like, I've seen Shane Strickland have these kind of matches already. I saw Shane Strickland versus Fred Yehi. I've seen him delve into this world and like show that he has like, some sort of depth to him or that he can switch it up or that he can adapt. But right here, this is a nasty, mean guy with a point to prove, has a chip on his shoulder, and Shane Strickland performs this so well. And Matt Riddle does an excellent job selling here. I think it's Matt Riddle's best-selling work that I've seen. Um, some people some people might point to that WWN um, six-way title match. Uh-huh. And I was never super in love with that match the way some people the the way some other people were to me this is the best selling I've ever seen from Matt Riddle and he was every bit of that genuine believable fiery baby face that he was at his um highlights on on the indies and Shane Strickland is at his nastiest it's a shame that that we haven't seen another Shane Strickland like this since this match happened and this match happened like 
back in the summer of 2018. And he's had good matches. Like Shane Strickland versus Cassius Hona was a really good match. But nothing has quite matched this level of intensity. And I spoke about feeling like a star was made, or like stars were made when we talked about JFK versus CCK. And in one night, facing the top guy, because remember, uh, Zack Sabre Jr. is gone. Keith Lee is on his way out. Like, Matt Riddle is the guy now. And to see Shane Strickland come in and just pick apart Matt Riddle like that, get himself disqualified for pretty much like kicking his ass too much, and then cut this promo about like how he felt disrespected when he was first in Evolve and they let him go and he had to go and make his name other places and now they want him back. It felt like you were watching a star be made. And again, it's a shame what happened soon after because then Shane Strickland wins the title and, you know, then the NXT involvement in Evolve gets more heavy handed and we have Fabian Eichner and the Street Profits come in and win the titles. But, and I say this as someone that's always been like super critical of Shane Strickland. They were on to something special there. And it's a shame that they got cut off at the legs the way it did because this yeah. match was fucking great. I, I mean, I wasn't particularly into them. Like, I've, um, I'm even more critical of Shane Strickland, I think. Right. Uh, and, and only very briefly became a fan of him after disliking him for so long in CCW and then him having a nice turnaround in WXW and then almost immediately <laughs> falling back into my bad graces. Um, but yeah, like this was easily like the best stuff that I'd seen from him since 2016. Like the, this, this felt like a whole new man in a lot of ways. And um, even if they weren't matches that I particularly enjoyed, like it was, it was a refreshing take, and it was something I would have wanted to see more of. You can go ahead with your 97. My 97 is a match I, I doubt you'll have. It's a ECH versus Austin Aries from an MLW show back in February. <laughs> no, I, I think I, I think I saw this, but yeah, I didn't like wow me it seems it seems to um, have done for you yeah like i i'm not sure if i'd describe it as wowing me but it's one of those those matches that like i first watched when we were getting on like the ach hype train and it was something that like stood out to me in a huge way there uh just like this um short snug little undercard match with two guys who were debuting at the company at the time like going out there having just uh, a very effective match that got across its themes uh efficiently uh with Austin Aries being um, be- the smaller of the two men, but more aggressive and more experienced and um, really just like the bigger name, like totally dominating ACH and ACH giving just a phenomenal rib selling performance, like doing, <laughs> like doing, doing stuff like missing a frog splash off the top um, and then looking like he's going to throw up and making that somehow be believable, like just doing everything he could to, sell his ass off for this guy, a guy who he sort of has, like, a legitimate beef with. Um, and it turned out to be, like, easily my favorite Austin Aries match in years. And, and just something that, like, kickstarted this whole ACH is a top 10 wrestler of the year train that has totally gotten him a job in NXT now. Uh, out of curiosity, did you ever wind up seeing Austin Aries versus Kenny King from, like, some ROA pay-per-view? I forgot what it was. No, that was... Was that 2018? Was that 2017? Yeah, that was 2018. No, I never saw it. Yeah, so I like this, but that Kenny King match, at least for an Austin Aries performance, was like the best one I could recall seeing in some time. And Austin Aries is a guy where it's like, his WWE run obviously ended on bad terms. Uh-huh. But that was something I still thought his performances in WWE were like pretty all right. 
And I had no interest in seeing him back on the Indies, but the ACH match definitely was one of the more intriguing things he was a part of in that little, and I haven't seen him since then, but that was one of the more intriguing things he's been a part, he was a part of in 2018. Uh, my 96, a match that you might have higher because it features wrestler of the year ACH versus Paco from AW January 20th. No, nah, if you if you'll recall, I sort of didn't like this one because I'm not a Paco guy. Ah uh, man, okay. I I like Paco, I don't love him, but the real sell job here is fucking ACH man. ACH sure. is so good in this match, man. And this is before we get you know the you know the god the gods here babyface uh-huh. ACH that we got for most of the year. This is. Him winning is sort of like, you know, the troll boys, being a dickhead, being a fucking jerk. And, you know, ACH is, is real good at being a jerk. ACH uh-huh. is real good because he's, you know, he's strong, has some real heavy hands, is a, is believable kicking someone's ass, super totally. dismissive and arrogant and cocky. And like all of that has turned up to the max in this match. He beats the ever living shit out of poor Paco. And, this is, you know, you blame AW, you blame promotions for not taking advantage of certain things, right? And here we are, ACH, in my mind, makes Paco. Like, this is something that you could have used to, like, elevate Paco into, like, the Heritage title scene, tag titles, whatever. Or even just, like, a, a main event title shot. Like, that's yeah. what this felt like. It felt like something where it was, like, Paco was going to have a good showing against a guy who was about to win the title, and it leads to a title match. Yeah, and, like, Ace, like, and that's how... That's how good ACH here is, like elevating somebody. You know, some mm-hmm. like sometimes a match is structured as to where like someone is controlling the match, but you make someone look good by they keep fighting, they keep fighting and getting back uh, back up, and they're valiant, and the crowd gets behind them. And you let them kick out of a bunch of big moves, and they just look like a world beater, even if they wind up losing. And that's what it felt like here with Paco, and it was it felt super genuine. It felt believable, even if I feel like. Paco was still a little rough around the edges. Like, it felt believable that Paco was, like, this dumb young kid that just wouldn't stay down despite the ass-kicking he was getting. And the crowd is totally into him. And I said, this was right before the big ACH babyface run. And that, I mean, this was a hell of a way for ACH's um, sort of mini heel run at AW to go out because mm. this was one of my favorite control, um, I guess, control segments. I will, uh, I will call it from 2018. It's, it's up there with like Carvinario versus Soberano, um, like Devlin, like, like, um, the Devlin and Star versus, uh, Walter and Loki. Like it's up there. Like ACH is that good in this match. That was your, uh, number 96? Yeah. Alright, my number 96 is a match between two women who I enjoy quite a bit. It's Mako Satomura and Millie McKenzie having a match in WXW's Femme Fatales tournament. All right, I didn't get around to seeing most of the fem- most of the fem fatales. I saw about half of it, I think. Well, this was um this was a semifinal match there, um and it was real short because like they had each wrestled the match that night already, and and Mako was going to go on and wrestle the finals too, um but it was exactly what I wanted from these two. It was it was um real short and sweet, like two women who were like hard as nails, just hitting the shit out of each other, um with the the younger one like being roll rough around the edges and like showing her inexperience in a way that like lends something interesting to the match um vis-a-vis like Satomura's uh experience herself um 
and I thought it was just like a whole lot of fun to watch these two go at it for like eight minutes or so, um, and just like kill each other with these like like forearms like bony forearms. You know what I mean? Just like shit that like did not look fun to watch, but was fun to watch. Mm. Millie. <sighs> It was weird. Like I, I feel like Millie didn't kind of like take that next step that I expected her to, totally. um, based off like our 2017 and like how hot she was, and a lot of that has to do with probably like the like the um English scene getting uh-huh. <laughs> getting ran through the way it did. Uh huh. But you know, like I really wanted to see Millie take the next step, and she had a, she had a lot of really good matches in 2018. But I don't know, just like she was like she's part of that crop of people like um like Ridgeway and Omari to me that like just didn't like grab a hold of that English wrestling scene. And you know what? For good reason, because that scene wasn't worth holding on to, obviously. <laughs> totally. And I think in 2019, she's already taken big steps forward. Like, like I have, I have faith that she's going to be good going, mm. going on. All right. My number 95 is Brody King versus Douglas James versus Eli Everfly versus Jake Atlas from PWG. Time is a flat circle. I don't think I ended up watching this one. My favorite opener of the year. Uh, there's like comedy matches I probably would say are more fun than this, but for for straight up wrestling, this is like the most fun match sure. I saw all year. It's a complete spot fest, complete spectacle. It's a showcase of all the um Cali indie guys making a name for themselves, and they go up there and just kill it. A lot like you can tell how familiar a lot of these guys are with each other. Um, the sequencing, like the sort of trust they have in letting, in letting each other do like these ridiculous moves to the other. Like Brody King 100% hits someone with a fucking, um, gonzo bomb here. <laughs> and it's really gross and disgusting looking. Everyone's flying around. I think Jake Atlas comes out of this looking like the best guy in the match. And, um, Jake is a guy that I wanted to see more of in 2018, but it seems like he didn't get that many opportunities outside of his, um, usual home promotions, which sucks. But everyone here looked like a million bucks. And coming out of this, I would have thought that everyone in this match had a chance to become a PWG regular. Uh, that didn't happen, but what we did get here is, you know, when they showcased their local talent, their local talent went out there and they took full advantage of the opportunity. And, I was happy to see these guys go out there and kill it like this. Guys that even like I'm not I'm not a huge fan of Brody King, but Brody King looked great here. Eli Everfly, like I have some issues with him, but I thought he looked excellent here. Douglas James and Jake Atlas, guys I like a lot. They look fantastic here. And this was just a really fun time. And anyone that might have skipped over this because these aren't marquee names or guys at the time that weren't um big enough names and you weren't feeling like reaching out of your comfort zone go back and make time for this this is really good really fun and i can't imagine you'd regret watching this what way my number 95 is uh, a rematch of a match that i did regret watching and that's a <laughs> that's a jay white uh, taking on hiroshi tanahashi in the g1 climax okay so it's a g1 match does the king of pro wrestling match make your list uh it did not it came pretty close but it didn't end okay all right tell me why the, tell me why the g1 match match makes your list uh, so this one, um, this one's like a huge step up from the Tokyo Dome dud. Like it, it it's just, it, it's a match that like hits a lot of those same themes and ideas that they tried to lay out there, but actually does it in an effective way. Um, mainly because I think White is just so much better here than he was back in January. He, he feels dangerous in a way that he didn't, um, just seven months prior to this. And, and I think Tanahashi too had found his groove as the broken down old man. 
um, in a way that, like, in January, he wasn't fully there yet, and it took him until, like, the end of the month to really get going on what ended up being a wonderful run throughout 2018. Um, so they just have a real simple, like, leg-based match here, uh, hitting on, like, the usual stuff that these two guys do, and I thought it was just super fun. Um, sort of dug into some heel antics, like the sort of stuff that Jay has been doing more and more uh, the last couple of months as he's like positioned himself as the top heel in new japan and i didn't love that stuff and and the um escalation of that is sort of why the king of pro wrestling match didn't make my list um but i thought here in the g1 setting where it's a little more restrained um a little more refined and has a very uh a very clear purpose and direction with pushing jay white hard at the beginning of this tournament i thought it was i thought it was real good Oh yeah, it's definitely a big step up from uh, the Tokyo Dome match. Which again, like I'm, I feel like, like I'm not, I'm not even like that match that much. But you know, it's such a varying match where people are like, okay, like oh, it was okay, it was good, and then people, some people think, you know, like you, straight up dud. And I think, I'm, well, it's like that's not, I, I wouldn't rate it as a dud, but it was, it was a dud as a match, I think. Right, and for me, I remember at the time I was like quote-unquote, like, being, like, a, like the Jay White defender of, like, our group is, like, you know, like, that's Jay White's first match, like, literally, like, since he's yeah. been back in the company. And if anything, I'd be more inclined to blame, like, Tanahashi, like, for not adapting totally. to the young guy than, like, you know, trying to force Jay White to do, a, to, to do a Tanahashi match in the Tokyo Dome. And here, I do think they sort of fixed that problem where they meet in the middle more. It's not Tanahashi trying to force Jay White into a Tanahashi match, it's not all bullshit. It meets perfectly right there in that in that middle, and it's a little bit more low key than that um, King of Pro Wrestling match, which I can totally see why like why um, you'd prefer it, even if it hit some of the same themes or has some of the same approach. But totally, really enjoyed this. Um, it, it'd probably make like my top one hundred and fifty, but yeah, it wasn't gonna make my top one hundred. Out of curiosity, though, are you excited for Jay versus Tanahashi at the end of the month or sure. in February? Yeah, totally. I think that'll be fun. Like they've the two of them have only gotten better since this match, and and I I think they'll knock it out of the park again. All right. Uh, my number ninety four is a match I'm not sure you even saw, but it's Maverick Mayhew versus Connor Mills from Progress Live at the Dome Three. I don't think I saw this one, though I did. I did watch a little bit of both of these guys, and I was pretty impressed with them. Mm. Uh, this was very much, you know, let's showcase our young guys match, which I think at the time Progress really needed. Now again, <laughs> I'm gonna bash like a probably like a lot of companies um as this as this show goes on, but you know Progress doesn't really take advantage of how good these guys are during 2018 for whatever whatever those reasons might have been but right now but at, at this point in time um january 2018 you saw maverick mayhew and Connor mills uh tag team partners go out there and just have a complete spectacle of a match it, it's a whole lot of high flying it's a whole lot of nutty spots and sequences and young guys being young guys and maybe being too ambitious for their own good but for me, the main thing I took away is one day Maverick Mayhew has all the potential to be the best babyface in the world. And another thing I took away with is Connor Mills 
once he gets himself together and he realizes he can cut some other some other stuff in his arsenal out, he can be a really great heel one day. Mm. And that those are my big takeaways watching this match. While some people are gonna sit here and rave about Merrick Mayhew doing a corkscrew shooting star press or some of the um sequences on the ropes and dives they did. Like and it's great for all those reasons too. It's one of the best spot fests you'll find anywhere. But I saw in January 2018, two guys that look like the future of English wrestling. And it made me really happy to see these guys go out there at literally 17 and 18 years <laughs> old, like have something that fucking great. And like, it, like it made me happy. And I, it's some, I've, and I've known about those guys for a couple of years. Like my first exposure to even hearing the name Connor Mills is that he reminds people of a young Chris Hero. And, I can't say that he's on that level yet, but I could, but you can watch that match and totally see what they mean by that. It's really good. And again, this is like on one of those smaller scale progress shows. If you never saw this because it's not a chapter or again, because you don't know who these guys are, make some time for this. These guys were looking like big future stars in that English wrestling scene. And because that scene is up in the air right now, like who knows what their futures become, but at that point in time last year, they looked like, give them a couple of years and they're going to take over the world. Hmm. Well, my number 94 uh, features another person who I think is sort of the future of wrestling who might have a questionable future going forward at this point. Uh, it's Lars Sullivan taking on Killian Dane in a no, dis- no disqualification match in NXT. I don't think I saw this. Um, I... I sort of loved Lars Sullivan in 2018. Like he he was a guy who in I think I saw him in two matches in 2017 and he looked pretty good. Uh but he looked pretty good with like Oni Lorcan and Cassius Ono, guys who were incredible workers who uh were doing everything in their power to make him look good. Um 2018 on the other hand saw him wrestling scrubs like Killian Dane and Velveteen Dream repeatedly <laughs> and like killing it with them every single time. Um in this match in particular, I think he comes across as just like, like a true fucking monster, like straight out of straight, straight out of a children's story, straight out of like a Stephen King novel, um, in a way that like a guy like Killian Dane can never achieve. And, and I like I like Killian Dane, truth be told, like I, I think he's fine, but it, it's he just pales in comparison to a guy like Sullivan who does like the craziest shit in the world. Like he he's he's doing um, flying headbutts in this day and age and doing them in such a way doing them onto steel chairs and like it's the freakiest fucking thing like the the sort of stuff that like has me just like screaming into my hands as i'm watching these matches um and he does it like time and time again and comes across as like a total stud like a guy who is just larger than life in in an era in which like that sort of um that sort of like I don't know, tall tail figure in wrestling feels rarer and rarer. Like a guy like Lars Sullivan is pulling it off on NXT C shows. Um, and, and, and I was really impressed by him. And, and this is one of a couple matches of his that are making the list. All right. My number 93 is Kyle Fletcher versus Michael Satomura from Fight Club Pro Project Mayhem Night 2. This didn't make my la- my list like I liked it, but like I didn't like it as much as I wanted to. For me, this is probably my favorite Michael match that happened in 2018. And granted, I'm someone that didn't love Michael Sotomayor's 2018. Sure. And kind of was kind of was like surprised by a lot of the praise it was getting. But you know, I get it. It's Michael. 
and I'm not, I'm not going to question it. Um, but for me, what makes this match so great is this is like the Kyle Fletcher, the heel Kyle Fletcher coming out party. This yeah. guy is fucking great. You know, Michael Sotomore had, had matches with Pete Dunn and Chris Brooks this year and like last year rather. And if you would have told me that the guy with the best heel performance against <laughs> Michael Sotomore was going to be Kyle Fletcher, I would have looked at you like you were crazy. Totally. And that's coming, that's coming from like a huge Kyle Fletcher fan. Yet here we are and this match happens and Kyle Fletcher only a couple of months into this heel run and he's knocking out the fucking park in a way that neither Pete Dunne or Chris Brooks did. Like the way this guy commands the ring mm-hmm. is so alarming. And Kyle just turned 19. Well, not, well, not just turned, just turned 20 actually, I think. Like just, like just turned 20. And there's a reason why Tanahashi was like so high on him coming out of WrestleMania weekend and why I told him to go put some weight on. Cause he, he saw that everything was already there. He saw that the charisma was there. Like everything that you don't speak about, like as wrestling fans, cause we view things on like such a surface level. Like everything was there. Tanahashi took notice of that. And like the guy feels like a star now. And. I really like how he made Michael like a compelling baby face. And sometimes that's a hard thing for me to do with Michael when she's not facing like Aja Kong. Sure. Is that Michael has such great offense that when she's not in control, it's hard to get into it as much sometimes because you want to see Michael kick somebody's ass. Totally. Here, Kyle is so good that I'm totally fine seeing Michael take the beat down here. And that was sort of like the a big part of my, Michael's, um, Fight Club Pro run is that she is like taking these beatdowns in a whole bunch of these matches, whether it's tags or singles. And you know what? Like, because these guys are so good, whether it's Walter or Kyle, Mark Davis, whoever she's in there wrestling, like, these guys are so good that you're perfectly fine, like, seeing Michael take that back seat. And this match has some bullshit in it, you know, the shot and for the shot and for the stable. Like, there's gonna be some chicanery. And I feel like it was done tastefully enough as to where it doesn't take away from the match. And I really enjoyed this. I wouldn't call it great, but seeing Kyle Fletcher have what I would call as a coming out party, coming out party like this, uh, was very fulfilling. And, you know, a big debate in 2018 was the who was better, Kyle Fletcher or Mark Davis. And to me, like, I, I can't imagine watching this match. And then watching whatever your favorite Mark Davis match of the year is and being like, oh yeah, Mark Davis is still better. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's not even really comparable. Like, Kyle just has such a commanding presence in the ring, especially for a, a kid, like a child. Um, and it, and it's such a, it's such a cool thing to be able to see that, to see someone so young have that sort of range and to just be like so endlessly confident and to, to, to make matches like, I, I don't think he's necessarily like having, killer matches as of yet in his career but like that opportunity is there and that's that's the thing that i think i keep an eye out for Mm. so my 93 is uh uh the conclusion of a series of matches that you and i both enjoyed quite a bit in 2018 it's jay lethal defending the roh world title against jonathan gresham in a 30 minute iron man match yeah didn't make my list and was my least favorite of the three 
certainly it's certainly the weakest of the three um this one like weirdly felt super laid back um for two guys who have repeatedly throughout their careers gone super long um like this this was a match in which like they spent like 20 25 minutes just sort of fucking around doing a whole bunch of nothing in in a way that was incredibly frustrating for a guy who's a big fan of both of these two um but when they turn it up at the end which includes a um a sudden death uh some death stipulation when they come up one one at the end um i thought it was really great and it was and it was interesting because like so much of what this feud had been about previously was just like pure work rate was like two um two slick guys in the ring trying to figure out like who's the better man between the two of them this one had like more character work this one had like uh, a lethal who felt like he was really trying to prove to the locker room that he is the man in ROH having just won this title and defending against somebody who had like been a thorn in his side all year. Um, and then Gresham like proves that he can get a pin on lethal, but he doesn't have what it takes to stay on top the whole time. He's not clutch in that way that lethal is. Um, and I thought like the way that this match explored those sorts of ideas was really refreshing. Uh, even if like, the stuff in the ring wasn't terribly uh, impressive, especially compared to what they had done. But altogether, I really enjoyed it. I do like the idea of, like, the fall Gresham gets in this match is, like, Gresham's victory. Like, uh-huh. he wanted to prove he could at least get a fall on Jay Lethal. I don't think he was prepared to go the distance and retain a title or win a title. Uh-huh. Or, you know, the way Jay Lethal is. And I think... For me, that's what I took away from it most. Like you said, like the action here isn't great, but it's sort of like little character stuff. Like Jonathan Gresham sort of like freezes up. He chokes up in his big moment. And like in this entire feud, it gives you these ideas of like, man, what if Gresham had did this? Or what if Gresham had did this instead? Like, you know, the hope that, you know, Gresham could have beat Jay Lethal. And yeah, Jonathan Gresham is a great wrestler, but Jay Lethal is just way more seasoned at that level of the game. And that's something I really enjoyed watching, even if that um third match of their trilogy and the end the, the ender of their um little feud was a little disappointing for me. Uh so my number ninety two is a match you didn't like a lot and continues the run of Brock not liking U.S. indie tropes in his lucha. It is <laughs> Castigador versus Vengador from oh. Total CAO uh, from March 21st. Uh, nothing, nothing to say? Nothing snarky? Not yet. Not yet? Okay. Um, like I said, man, this match is just really fun. Uh, for me, it was... I really liked the opening, opening exchange. I feel like it was a little bit more... Uh, urgent than a lot of opening exchanges and lucha seem to be at least for me and it does go like the complete like lucha indie route like you know it's a whole bunch of trading destroyers and ranas and all that stuff but for me it was you know getting exposed to new wrestlers and seeing these guys just go out there and like you know like they're just as good as like you know a fucking drag like a dragon bane is that's oh you know getting like wwe looks right now or whatever sure like you know, there's no reason that these two guys in this me- like local Mexican indie couldn't be getting uh more chances. And I was really happy that you know to get a- to get turned on this match. Um, you know, by a shout out to a Dorada fan 
um, well, I think who I believe like lived in the area and uh, wanted to go see this match live. And you know, these guys are great local wrestlers that, for all intents and purposes, like could easily translate to the bigger scale um, promotions in Mexico. Whether it was you know getting some IWRG bookings or CMLL undercards or getting booked in AAA when AAA was uh, snatching up people from the crash left and right. You know, it's a really fun match. I really enjoyed it. It's not anything that changes the wheel or anything that will blow you away. It didn't even really blow me away, but again, one of the, one of the most fun matches I remember seeing this year. To me, it was just like, so, um, unimpressive, like just sort of like boring, the the sort of stuff that I've seen in, in Lucha matches forever, or, uh, even outside of that. And in it, I mean, truthfully, more than anything, this was just one of those matches where it was like, it, it continued to illustrate how disconnected I am from like the larger Lucha fan base. Um, the larger like English speaking Lucha fan base on the, on the internet, at least um, seeing a match like this, get a whole bunch of praise and watching it and just being like, it's fine. It's okay. Like they do a couple cool, cool dives and that's about it. Um, but yeah, like it's not, it's not awful. Like it's certainly not the worst, um, the worst of like these hyped Lucha matches of the year. Um, and like, I'm glad it made your list at the very least. Hmm. You can go. You can go ahead with your ninety-two. My ninety-two is um, the only match from the Scenic City Invitational to actually make my list. Though um, I'm going to be doing something more with at least one more of them. Um, but it's uh, Ike Cross taking on Corey Hollis in the opening round. Uh, I didn't get to see this just because Powerbomb TV acts so fucking weird for me, and I just couldn't make it through the tournament. Understandable. Um, but this was like. Um, this was one of those matches that, like, initially I didn't think, um, as highly of it then as I do now, but as I, like, reevaluated how I felt about this tournament and, um, what matches I wanted to get onto my list from the tournament, this was the one I kept coming back to, because it was just, like, a great performance from Corey Hollis, like, one of my favorite guys to watch in the scene, like, just a phenomenal old-school heel, a guy who, who does all the little things right, who does everything he can to not get cheered and accomplishes that feat, um, and it's a great, it's a great showing from Ike Cross, a guy who I had never seen before coming into this, a guy who like clearly came in here trying to steal the show. And I think he totally does it. Um, and these two have, have a match where like this younger, um, bigger athletic guy is like taking risky, um, taking all sorts of risks, doing all sorts of risky moves in order to like push past this more experienced dude. Who's like totally on him every single step of the way. Um, and watching Corey Hollis just like chew the scenery and get incredibly violent for short little bursts of time, um, in a, in a way that like is super effective for the, the sort of heel character that he is. I thought it was just like a phenomenal little thing to have in a, in a tournament that was like full of matches that were, um, a little more eye catching, but didn't necessarily do a whole lot for me. Mm. I really, I really enjoy like the, like the more recent heel Corey stuff. Uh-huh. And again, it's something where, yeah, you know, I'm not sure if I can even blame PWX here, but it's like, I just really would have liked to see, you know, more like nasty, tight blue jeans Corey in wrestling, right. in wrestling <laughs> matches. Cause it's just cause he's like so fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, like I just wanted to say, like, I, I always thought of the, of the two, what is, what's, what was his tag team with Skylar called? Bruiser Waits. It is Bruiser Waits. Okay. I always thought like, I, I'd always, I liked Hollis for a long time, but like, I always thought that he was like the lesser of the two bruiserweights uh. just because I, I, I enjoyed like, um, 
I enjoyed the sort of like walking tall baby face stuff that John Schuyler did. And I like his stuff as a heel too. But like that 2018 run in really 2017 run that, that Hollis has gone on with this heel character has just been so good. Mm. It, like Again, it's like, you don't know like sort of like what happened with those guys, right? Cause they were getting right. all these WWE looks and then like, it just sort of stopped and they went nowhere. And it's like, it's a shame because these guys are really good. And it just like, yeah, it's like, it's just like the weirdest thing in the world to see, but you know what happens? There, but Like there's, there's nothing that Tommaso Ciampa is doing. That's different from Corey Hollis. Yeah. And I think, and I think Hollis is like doing it in a, an environment that's like so much harder to get over in. Mm. Like it's, I, I don't know. It's, it is, it's super weird that they're not getting looks anymore. Uh, my number 91 is David Starr versus Lawrence Roman from WXW Ambition 9. This, I, I loved this, but it didn't make my list. I'm, I'm glad to see that it got onto yours. This match is absolutely disgusting. Yep. It <laughs> is about three minutes long, but David Starr does nothing but suplex and lariat, or fucking, like, rather, like, club, rather, poor, <laughs> poor Lawrence Roman into oblivion. Lawrence Roman was, I believe, was a fill-in for the Ambition tournament, um, and he's someone that um, WSW will give will give looks every now and then. But um, he ran into David Starr, who for some reason wanted to kill a man, <laughs> and um, <laughs> he does just that. I'm not sure my words can do this match justice. It is mm. very swift and brutal, and like, yeah, I, I, I love David Starr. And like David Starr does everything, so does everything well. And like one thing that people don't talk about with David Starr is like how fucking nasty he can be sometimes. And this match is like the prime, like one, like one of the prime examples of David Starr being like an absolute fucking like little monster of a human being. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can move on. What's your ninety one? And for like for no reason too. It's it's not like, <laughs> it's like just because like. It's this dude hadn't wronged him in some way. This wasn't like Walter he was facing. It, it was just like, <laughs> like it was, oh, it, I, I'm, it wasn't I'm facing this like... fill in. Yeah, I'm feeling I'm facing this fill in dude on the first round of this tournament that I'm doing for the first time, and I'm just murdering him. <laughs> it's complete bullying. It's <laughs> great. You can go ahead. Uh, my number ninety one is another match coming from the Southern Indies. It's the uh, I think it's one of two. CWF Mid-Atlantic matches I have on here. And it's Trevor Lee defending the heavyweight title against Andrew Everett. I have them at higher. Okay. Um, so we're going to go on to my 90, which is uh, Joe Doring defending the Triple Crown Championship against Zeus from very early in the year. I liked it, but yeah, I, I, I'll go ahead. It's, yeah, like I didn't, I didn't love this match. I didn't think it was going to make my list. Um initially but like i came back to it and thought about it a little more and i enjoyed how um so like the big thing with this match is like doring's antics early on like screaming show me power motherfucker at, at zeus um and that's a real funny thing and, and it blew up on the internet and whatnot but truthfully like i think this match is impressive for like how relatively reserved it is like the way that it gets a whole lot of meaning out of simple moves and simple um Simple little like reversals and and fire ups that don't go terribly long. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and like, and like given the guys involved, they could have easily went overboard. Yeah, like these are these are not guys who are known for their restraint, but like here they like they had just like a rock solid heavyweight title match, um, in which they're like just beating the snot out of each other and doing like these huge power bombs and power moves. Um, and I thought it was just like 
January 2018 was like surprisingly um full of incredible wrestling um in a way that like the, the month usually isn't and i thought like this managed to to keep up there with like the rest of the awesome matches that we had mm. uh, every step of the way like something that just that like um retained its quality over time too like only got better as i as i watched it more and more and thought about it more and more um and i'm glad it's not the only zeus match to make on my list which is like fucking shocking to me but like it's, I've never disliked Zeus. It's just it's uh, just the one in particular. I know the, this one. This one in particular, but we'll talk about that. Um, I, I like this too. It's just like it just didn't did hit me on the same levels. It was like really fun. Uh-huh. It's just like I guess that's where that's where it kept off for me. It was like it was just really fun. And you're not particularly into Doring either, I believe, right? I used to be, and I feel like Doring just hasn't been great since he's came back. Sure, like I was a real big Doring fan, like. 2015 like 20 like 2014 2015 i really enjoy all his stuff then yeah um, i mean he, he's he's getting older he's he's coming off of like significant time away like it's yeah. it's natural yeah and he had and he had matches i did like and i liked this i liked um the kento match and mm-hmm. um and all that but yeah just a lot the, i didn't love during and this wasn't like the most impressive zeus i saw in 2018 mm-hmm. either um but moving on my number 90 is a match you probably have higher. It's Kyrie Sane versus Shayna Baszler from NXT TakeOver Brooklyn. Yes, I have this a little bit higher. All right. Uh, you want to go to your 89 then? Yeah, my 89 is G-Raver versus Cyclope from GCW Hit Em Up. <laughs> oh, best deathmatch wrestler in the world, G-Raver. You know, um, <laughs> you know, he might be number three, at least. <laughs> He's really fucking good. He, I guess he could be. Um, This was a lot of fun, but it didn't make my list. Um, best, um, death match on U.S. soil in 2018, I would say. Um, and, probably. Yeah. And like, again, like, you know, the, like the G Raver best, best death match wrestler in the world thing is like, you know, one of those jokes that like four or five of us will get, but uh-huh. you know, past Masashi Takeda, as far as like, you know, cause like guys are like consistently in death matches, like. I'm not. I'm not sure. I can name another. He's up there. Yeah, like, G Raver is really good, and I kind of hope that like he's the next guy like GCW gets behind because like mm. since they've like brought him in, like I feel like he's been like consistently awesome on every GCW show, and this match in particular is like fucking nuts. But there's one spot where uh, <laughs> yeah they attempt to do a brainbuster on the top terminal. Not- yeah, like not just a brain buster, but the the, the El Generico brain buster. Uh, yeah, thing, yeah. And they attempt they attempt to do that, and G Raver onto a onto a ladder, I think. Yeah, like onto something, and G Raver goes fucking flying. It is yeah. one of the damnedest things you'll ever see. Like one of those audible holy shit, you gasp, jaw drop moments. Uh-huh. It is like completely unintentional and unintentional the way he flies off that ladder. Yeah, and you know, it's one of those moments that when I think of 2018, I'm gonna remember G Raver like fucking like cycling uncontrollably in the air. <laughs> <laughs> but really, this match is like super fucking fun. And like I said, I thought this was the best um death match to happen in the U S. um in 2018, and like this didn't happen on a big show. This didn't happen mm-hmm. on um the Negative Invitational or um Tournament of Survival. But like I said, like these guys went out there. 
and wrestled like it was. They wrestled like it was the biggest deathmatch tournament going on. And I would really recommend you guys going back and seeing this. It's, we didn't mention Ciclope really, and like he's great. Like he's he's really, I think, the best of that um, Mexican deathmatch contingent. Yeah, like, to- yeah, totally. And Ciclope is a guy that like, he's, he hasn't really gotten the pushes. I don't think, um, at least as far as like the same way like the like the audio like the U.S. deathmatch audience will like, go crazy over like Masashi Takeda, right? And like sure. they appreciate Ciclope, but I don't think Ciclope gets the same love, amount of love as he should because Ciclope goes out there and like. He has like I've never seen a bad Ciclope match. I've never I've never seen Ciclope, and and for like the deathmatch genre, that's like easy to accomplish. Like there's it's easy to sort of just go out there and like feel sort of like aimless or being there with a guy and um the match feel uninspired. And Ciclope like for some reason like manages to avoid all that mostly altogether. Um, Mm. but that's my number eighty nine. You can go ahead with yours. Mine is a tag match coming at us from DDT on their big judgment show uh, from March. And it's Harashima and Naoji Marafuji defending the KOD tag titles against Daisuke Sekimoto and Kazusada Higuchi. Barely missed my list. Um, this was a match that, like, um, honestly barely made it onto my list. Uh, I, I didn't think much of it the first time around. And then a friend of ours mentioned it in good light. And I thought about it some more and went back and watched it and um, found some, like, really good stuff in it. Uh, I didn't like it initially because it has two guys in it who I'm not particularly fond of, at least these days, uh, being Marafuji and Sakamoto. Um, and they spend a whole lot of time doing their worst shit with each other. Um, but Harashima and Higuchi are phenomenal wrestlers and are phenomenal together. And they really made it with their interactions in this match, um, including, like probably my single favorite spot of the year where Harashima like builds up his somato his big uh running knee strike his big finish um trying to knock Higuchi you know a former sumo guy a guy who's spent a career trying to not get knocked off his feet <laughs> um they build up to Harashima hitting him with the somato and knocking him down and it's just it's so it's so rewarding to see somebody take a big bump like that um in in a day and age in which like everybody's just bumping all over the place you know um and so, like, despite despite plenty of shit in this that I didn't enjoy, I thought it was like a really uh, a really good match when it mattered. Mm. This is really great, and um, you know, maybe there's like the like a victim of like me really enjoying that Sekimoto and Higuchi tag run that we got in um, DDT in 2018. But there's like the like like my third favorite match that tag team had that year, and it just wasn't gonna stand a chance of like making my list when there's like two other matches I have to consider before it. Totally. Um, so my number 88 is Timothy Thatcher versus Lucky Kid from WXW 16 here at Gold Knight 2. This one did not make mine. Um, um, well, as you can tell, the world's biggest Lucky Kid fan, Brock, just wasn't feeling Timothy Thatcher in this one, but... Nope. Um, it's, it's the most, it's the most like, other than like Devlin versus Walter, it's like one of the most interesting crowds that that you would that you would have heard all year in 2018. Sure, because you hear how like after like these years of like Thatcher, like you know, grind, like really grinding and like working hard in WXW, like the fans have like really took to him as as like this baby face and lucky kid. They're really taking to him now too, and like 
these two guys like meeting in the semifinal or quarterfinals rather um creates like this big um feeling moment like even if it's like something that's like not, not necessarily like been built to uh to give it to give a comparison it's sort of like when Zack Sabre Jr. like meet like met Pentagon in like that 2015 Bola and it's like both these guys are like on the upswing in the indie scene and it's something that you didn't know you wanted until it happened and Timothy Thatcher and Lucky Kid is not a match that I ever would have thought I wanted and you know I really I really enjoy it. I really enjoy like how into it the crowd is and you know some people like you know their mileage may vary on this but like a crowd being into some into something will you know transfer over to me and it'll make me more interested too and totally seeing that this crowd like so into it and Thatcher and Lucky have like a weird chemistry where it's like and maybe maybe I shouldn't even call it weird because Thatcher has proven to be able to work with anybody at this point. Thatcher has worked with like you know Jason Kincaid and Austin Theory and all these guys. Thatcher has proven to to be able to make anything work really. So maybe I shouldn't have been so caught off guard by Thatcher and Lucky Kid having a match I really enjoyed. Um, you know I get a few of those really awesome Thatcher and Zagiris, You know best oh. move in wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> and you know it's just it's just a whole bunch of fun man like it's not something where i can take something out of like take some like a particular thing out of the match and point to you like why this is great but it's a feeling like thatcher versus lucky kid um and you know they're in 16 carat was good 16 carat in general was good for this last year where there is a couple of moments that just felt like big deals like totally. like Bob like Bobby Guns and Speedball like felt like a big deal and Lord. You, like I said you and you can and we'll be able to talk about that more in depth later but this is one of those things that just like felt like a big deal and felt special and I really enjoyed the match itself you know it sucks that I didn't rewatch it and I can't tell you why it was so great but go back and watch it or go watch it for the first time if you haven't seen it like it's just such a fun thing to see if nothing else I think it's it's one of those. Um, great examples of like how fucking good Timothy Thatcher was in 2018. Yeah. Um, like just being able to work with anybody, like you said, being able to, um, adapt his, not just his style, but his personality to any opponent, um, to make anybody look credible despite what their, uh, respective performance might be. Um, which was really just my issue with this match is that i didn't think lucky like hold, held up his end of the deal but yeah like thatcher outside of outside of like a wonky and zaguri or two i thought it was just really strong in this match and that's like, um, like thatcher's like 16 carat run is that like this like this guy is like you know like the, like a perennial baby face throughout the thing and then like he gets he like he faces lucky and he like leans into the ring comp a bit he leans and it yeah like and it doesn't feel unnatural in any way it's it's totally just off the cuff and it feels great mm. Um, you can go ahead now. Um, before I get to our next match, I want to say, remind me to send you a Thatcher match. Um, the last one that I saw of the year. Oh, uh, it's I sort of. I know, I know. I know what you're talking about. Did you end up seeing that? Not yet, but I, I know. I know the match you're talking about. It was like Jerry Grabble or something like that. Uh, something like that. Yeah, you definitely should watch that. I'm gonna talk about it with my uh, when my year end stuff goes up. Okay. Um, so we're on 88 now. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. My number 88 is a match I didn't see until very late in the year. It's uh, Shayna Baszler defending the NXT women's title against Tony Storm on one of those uh, UK tournament shows. Yeah, I got this higher than you. Okay. Uh, my 87, then, is a match I'm not even sure you watched, uh, but it's something 
Um, something I liked despite a whole lot of things in it that I didn't enjoy. Uh, it's Fred Yehai taking on Eddie Kingston in AEW's uh, Take No Prisoners 2018 show. I did see this and this fucking ruled. Um, yeah, like, it, it shouldn't be a surprise that, like, these are two guys that I love and I really enjoyed them together, just, like, beating the snot out of each other. Um, putting on, like, great selling performances that, like, changed and shifted over the course of the match. Uh, just being, like, super aggressive, super, uh, petty with each other. Um, and they sort of, like, they get real heavy into some, um, like some big kickout territory and, and Eddie stupidly cuts a promo afterwards saying like, Oh yeah, we went out here and tried to do an all Japan match. Like I hate that sort of thing. Um, but I sort of get it. Like these two being at the point in their careers where they were, where this was like, um, 2018 in a lot of ways felt like Eddie winding down. And this was like his first match in AEW in months in which he didn't have the wrestling stable with him like these guys who had been bullying him for six seven eight months and and, and, then, um, and then fred is like you know he's like a, a, totally like a few he's a few months off leaving wwn and yeah he's like, at a total crossroads yeah and like it's really it's really a, a, a match both these guys needed totally like it's it's a match that like neither one of them could afford to lose and it feels like that despite it being like just sort of an, a showcase match on the mid card um, and I, and I thought it went a little overboard towards the end, but I thought it carried itself very well, um, in a way that a whole lot of AAW matches don't. Um, <laughs> and, and I think anybody who's a fan of either of these two guys would get a whole lot out of this. All right. My number 87 doesn't match. I, I would think you have higher based off the, based off the guys involved, but it's, uh, the astronauts, Fuminori Abe and Tokugi Nomura versus Hideki Suzuki and Daisuke Sakimoto from Big Japan, August 12th. Yeah, I have this one higher. All right. Uh, my number 86 then is Mustafa Ali versus Jack Gallagher. Um, let me try to pull up a date real quick. It's like February? Right? Yeah, it's Febu- February 20th. Um, um, this didn't make my top 100, but uh, it made my list. Right. Um, what did you go to this year? Did you go to 200? Uh, no, I did. I was thinking about doing 150, hmm. um, and I sort of like revamped that. And you'll see. Like, I, I listed a whole bunch of matches beyond 100, but mm. they're not ranked, and they're, like, in a specialized grouping. Okay. Um, so, for me, uh, probably my second favorite 205 Live match to happen in 2018. Yeah. Um, side note, both of them involved Mustafa Ali. None of them involved <laughs> Buddy Murphy. Um... <laughs> but um you know i think this is the, i think this is the uh first main event of that um 205 live run after you know post enzo when they're doing the tournament to crown the new champion uh-huh. and here we are with uh I mean, like mustafa ali who like will get always get all the roses you know people people all on, all on board with the guy now which i'm happy with and i'm totally. glad people love ali um but a guy in Jack Gallagher who I've loved for years and hasn't like gotten the same traction in the company. And Jack Gallagher had a, had a few, Jack Gallagher had a few moments this year where when you watch him, it's like, God fucking damn it, man. Like I wish we got more Jack Gallagher. Mm-hmm. And you know, that Drew Gulak match was one. Um, for me, that Zach Gibson match was one, but like right here, like Jack Gallagher is super vicious and focused this is when he gets to like lean into being a heel a little bit more and other ones it was a little bit uh you know exhibitiony or him being a little bit more of a face right now it's 
super focused, super driven. He works with urgency and nastiness that a lot of people, you know, that didn't see him before, didn't like, at least before the, um, the 205 live run, didn't know he had in him because he was on the, as a gentleman and he's, um, having like, you know, these matches with Johnny Kidd and Thatcher and all that that are more, uh, friendly style grappling matches on the surface, at least. And we get an awesome selling performance of Mustafa Ali on his, um, shoulder and arm. And it's the uh, first chapter, really, of the story they tell on 205 Live for a couple of weeks where Mustafa Ali gets his arm worked on. And then, and then the next week he goes and works on, uh, Buddy Murphy's arm and their first match together, which I thought was really neat. But yeah, I love this. I loved how resilient Mustafa Ali was in this match. I love seeing how focused and driven Jack Gallagher was in one of the only moments to shine he got in 2018. And this is the first great Ali match of 2018. And I'm not sure about you. I do have one, one more Ali match that's going to be on my list, but we'll talk about it when we get there. But I feel like even though he did it in a, he did it on a brand that, you know, is obviously not considered like the main roster or main roster canon even. Mustafa Ali had a year that's probably going to be remembered as the best main roster. I mean, the best year someone had in 2018 for WWE. Probably, yeah. Um, whether or not he deserves that, I think, is a different discussion for a different day. But, yeah. like, yeah, like, he did really well in this match, and I, I thought this was pretty much the 205 match of the year. Um, mm-hmm. If it wasn't number one, it was definitely number two, a strong number two. Um, and you mentioned it feeling focused, and that's what really stood out to me. Like, it felt, um, it felt focused in a way that 205 matches just so often aren't. Like they, they're, they're, to me, they're often quite overlong and overbearing. Uh, but this one, like, really got to the point and, and really, uh, honed down on what made these two guys great and how they could be great together. And I thought it was really just awesome stuff. Mm. So, what's your number 86? 86 for me is a tag team match coming out from WXW. It's, uh, JFK returning and, uh, challenging. Ring comp Walter and Timothy Thatcher for the WXW tag titles at uh, dead end. Uh, what are these Roman numerals? Seventeen. Holy shit! I have that higher than you. <laughs> Do you? Damn. Okay. All right. I'm, uh, I thought you had this like in your fucking twenties. I the way I talked about it earlier in the year, I did. Um, I don't think I ended up rewatching this, and maybe that's really why it dropped down so far. But like, I don't know. I think I just had like a whole bunch of stuff I liked more. Okay. Uh, which eighty five then? 85 is one of my few Lucha matches to make it onto the list, and uh, it's it was probably the last Lucha match that I saw in 2018. Uh, it's a Lucha de this match between Aramis and Eterno in Lucha Memes, the uh, 21st anniversary show of Coliseo Coacalco. I have no idea how to say that. <laughs> uh, I didn't even get I didn't even get around to seeing this, which sucks because I really like Aramis. I yeah, like I think you'd like this a lot. It was just like, um. I usually don't like these sorts of like lucha indie spot fests just because I think they're just kind of dumb and they're not dumb in a way that has a whole lot of purpose. But this totally did to me. Like this, this felt urgent. This felt, this felt like it was driven towards an end goal with like, um, Aramis trying to, uh, prove himself in this big, uh, wager match with his trainer, with his mentor. Um, and these two guys are just like going out there and killing it with their respective roles with, um, Aramis just flying all over the place, hitting these crazy dives, like some truly breathtaking dives and, um, Eterno being a lot more grounded, a lot meaner, a lot more aggressive. Um, 
And once again, it was one of these uh, outdoor meme shows that just have a tremendous energy to them. And it was just like so much fun. Um, and it was sort of just like a rewarding thing because like I went throughout the year and watched um, four or five, maybe six Apuestas matches that were like really highly touted. And I like hated all of them. And it just, it felt like, it felt like Lucha was a lost cause to me. And then this comes out of the blue and it's just like, oh my God, this is so fun. This is so enjoyable. And it, um, I knew when I watched it, like there was no way... There was no way, like, you would normally make my list in a stronger year just because it's so silly. But, like, the way that I felt watching it, like, I had to get it on here. Mm. Yes, I haven't seen this, but, again, it's around me saying it's a Lucha Indie Apuestas match, which I really, I usually really love. Totally. Um, so I'm guessing one of the ones that, you talk, that you're talking about that you didn't um, love would have been Tuxin versus Flystar. Yep. Uh, that one was really bitter for me because, like, I enjoyed the, the lead-up to it so much. Mm. All right. Um, my number 84 is, not 84, 85, is a match that uh, you probably have higher than me, I would assume. Um, it's Daniel Makabe versus B-Boy from 321 January 26th. Yeah, we'll talk about this on the next episode, I want to say. Okay. Uh, and it's, instead, we might discuss Jay Lethal taking on Jonathan Gresham in their first match of the year from ROH Honor Reigns Supreme. Uh, we will not, but we also, oh. but it's a new Jay Lethal match. It's, it's, uh, Dalton Castle versus Jay Lethal from the ROH 16th anniversary. I didn't end up watching this one, so you can take it. Um, and these two just had a really good match, like, a couple of weeks ago, um, in ROH. And, but this match last year, uh, is really fucking awesome, too. And it's... On paper, you don't expect these guys to have such good chemistry, and, and it's weird considering like these guys have like both been in ROH for so long at this point, right? Mm-hmm. They've both been, been like perennial like roster members, and to know that they had this kind of chemistry hidden inside them is weird. To know that this always existed, in that they never, you know explored this, you know, for various reasons. Like Dalton Castle wasn't always pu- always pushed as hard. Um right. and, and and whatever. But even in like the mid card stuff, like the fact that I never saw anything this good out of these guys is like like a big fucking eye opener. And it was an eye opener for like what could have been. Because Dalton Castle gets hurt. And Dalton Castle like really banged up throughout all twenty nineteen. I mean twenty eighteen mm-hmm. rather. And this match, like, really shows you what could have been because Dalton Castle, like, in one night proved he is a bona fide, like, top-level, main-event caliber worker. If you want to throw him in here and give him 25 minutes, 30 minutes to go out there and work a main event, this guy has more than enough tools to make that work. And it's, this is something I said, like, after watching their latest match together, but, like, just based off, like, raw talent... I could I could hear an argument for Don Castle being like top ten in the world because he has he has the wrestling ability he has like signature offense he has like the strong spots he can sell his ass off he can work on top like on raw talent like Dalton Castle might be one of the ten best wrestlers in the world but for various reasons whether it be like his gimmick or getting hurt at the wrong times it's like he's never been able to show that off and right here in this match it's very clear to me that Dalton Castle like had all the makings of being a great champion and just gets cut off. This is awesome. It's 
I wouldn't call it a slow build. Like, they go straight into it. Like, they don't waste any time here. And everything here feels big. They have a lot of time resting on the outside. And it doesn't feel like it's just done, you know, because because you need to have some cool spots done on the outside. It feels dangerous. Like, Dalton Castle taking Jay Lethal from the ring through the ropes and deadlift German suplexing him feels completely dangerous. And I love how they build to all the big moments here. They build their finishes really well. They completely revolve it around Dalton Castle going for the bangerang and Jay Lethal having a counter for it every time out. And that's something I really love in my wrestling is how well, how well can you build to a finisher? Whether or not it's get, it gets kicked out of or whatever, or whatever doesn't matter to me as long as you do a great build up to it. And in this moment, or in this match rather, they had a ton of build up to that bangerang that they were setting up as like this big kill shot move in ROH. And, you know, it's real tough and vicious and urgent and nasty and Jay Lethal wants to get back to the top and it's super well built and it's something that shocked the shit out of me and I know for a lot of people had the, they had that same reaction and you know I, I feel like this is a few people ROH could really make something out of if they wanted to go back to Dalton Castle as a serious title contender you know, Jay Lethal still has that title. There's, you know, Marty Skrull is probably going to be the ROA champion. But it's like, I I would I would run this feud for a couple months. But that's just me. That's how much they wowed me. Well, speaking of uh, feuds that should run a couple months, we saw a couple of uh, uh, AJ Styles feuds in the back half of the year that really turned around my opinion on him in 2018. Uh, which includes this next match, my number 83. It's him defending the WWE Championship in a no-DQ, no-count-out match against Samoa Joe at Super Showdown. Uh, yeah, I got that higher. Okay. So instead, we could perhaps discuss my man Daniel Makabe taking on Sonico in a... I'm not quite sure how to pronounce this. I believe it'd be the G-Zero tournament. Yes, that, yes the G-Zero G Zero tournament, the three two one battle ran uh, late in the year. Yeah, I didn't get around to seeing any of the of the G Zero G Zero stuff. Sadly, um, this one was uh, a rematch of a match I enjoyed quite a bit. From I think it was like March, uh, champion versus champion match early in the year for three two one, leading into their big show. Um, and this is a rematch of that, and it's part of this uh, round robin tournament that they decided to run. Um, and coming into this one, Dan is. Like, one or two matches behind, like, Sonico has just been booked in his tournament matches before anybody else had. Um, so Dan comes into this one, like, needing to make up for lost time, and he does so uh, with this, like, quick, smart little match where he, like, uh, kills Sonico with a dive early on, like, injures his shoulder, and just goes after the, the dude's arm the whole time. Um, and Sonico, like, does a little bit of legwork to try to get to uh try to get back in the game and watching these two just like throw everything they had at each other in this like 10 10 minute little match that features like um it features like my favorite thing in wrestling which is like smart stuff that isn't necessarily the focus of the match like specifically the finishes like that where um dan's going for a uh, uh a fujiwara arm bar but due to um due to having hit his fastball punch just like a real quick little punch to the face um he can't lock it in uh the way he wants to uh his hand just hurts too much so he like very quickly unwraps his wrist tape wraps it around 
Sonico's wrist and like pulls his arm around in like a um a Gargano escape a uh or a regal stretch and gets the submission that way and I thought it was just like a super clever finish um something that like totally worked with the whole narrative of the match but didn't necessarily like build off of that and didn't feel cheap in any way because of it out of curiosity like who would you say is your favorite non-Dan member of the 3 to one roster that you've seen? Um, sort of a difficult question because, like, I know a bunch of those guys personally, and I love a lot of them personally. Um, and so, like, I'm... Initially, I would be tempted to say Caden Talbain, um, who is going to have a match against Dan on here um, that I particularly loved. Um, because he's, like... He's a, he's a guy who hasn't been wrestling as long as a bunch of those other dudes, but is just so fucking talented can like do anything in the world like i've seen him i've seen him have like goofy death matches i've seen him have straight up comedy matches i've seen him have uh big title matches in which like he wrestles like some dude from 1977 you know like he's going out there looking like billy robinson in uh, a werewolf gimmick um and he's just like such a fun guy such an endearing guy and he can do it all um but that almost feels cheap because it's like, oh, that's a friend of mine. <laughs> like it, it's it's a guy who <laughs> who I met a couple of years ago who I've I've watched for ten years now. You know. Mm. Uh, so that was eighty four, right? Two. Wait, that was. <laughs> yeah, we, sk- we we skipped a bunch because because we had stuff higher. Oh shit! Not yeah. I needed to make three. Okay. Yeah, eighty three for me is uh, well, Osprey. Versus Wild Boar, speaking of a couple of backyard boys. Oh, um, there you go. <laughs> uh, from Attack Pro Wrestling with the best show name of the year. Dear Maria, tag me in. Fuck that. <laughs> so great. <laughs> um, this didn't make my list, but it's on, it's on like my greater year end list thing right. because it was super fun. So you take it ahead. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, you know, other like nothing for it other than like complete banger and something that like, you know, thrusted wild boar into the spotlight. Totally. Now, again, booking, right? Because no one really took advantage of wild boar coming off this, like, hot string of, like, big main event level matches against guys like Will Ospreay and David Starr and Zack Sabre Jr. And, Mike, and Walter. And Walter, Mike Burr. Like, no one took advantage of that. But, you know, whatever. Like, it was a great year. It was a great year for wild boar. And this match is, like, the first stop. This is, um... Will Ospreay, after just winning the uh, junior title at Wrestle Kingdom, so oh. he's riding a big wave of momentum. He's coming in like super arrogant and cocky, and he could have just came in here and um, just did whatever. Mm-hmm. But he loves Boar, you know, fellow yard boy, like you know, someone that he like respects and cares about. So they he gives him a fucking lot, considering like his status. At this point, like this guy doesn't have to do nearly as much as he as he does for Wild Boar here, and he makes Wild Boar look look like a million bucks. So I really loved everything about that there, and um, yeah, I was having I had a ton of fun watching this. Mm-hmm. Um, is this, is this something that would like hold up as much on rewatch? Like probably not, but like not everything is meant to. At least that's like how like how like how <laughs> I view things. Like not everything is like meant to like stay in like the test of time and like scrutiny seven years years later. And like, for me, like I think this match, like when it happened, like it was really fun and I'm glad I made time for it. And that people 
you know, I remember at the time, like, people like, were so excited, like, oh my god, who's this wild boar guy? I want to see more of him. And, like, that's the kind of impact that had and that people wanted to see Wild Boar get booked more places. And I was happy to see a guy that's, like, been plugging away in this European indie scene, like, get the get the kind of love that I felt like he always deserved. So do you want to take on your 82 now so you can catch up? All right. Um, my number 82 is Kyle Fletcher versus Mark Davis from Progress Live at the Dome 4. Oh, interesting. I believe... I'm pretty sure I did end up seeing this, and I think I liked it. But didn't make your uh, list or your... I don't I don't think I reviewed it, even. Okay. Um, this sort of is... It's sort of in the same vein as Thatcher versus Walter from January in Progress, mm-hmm. um, which is like really like a theme of that month in Progress, or that first couple of months. It's like tag team partners facing each other. Um... Mm. But here we are, and again, um, I used to make this comparison all the time about those guys that it felt like watching like Generico and Steam, whether it was like they were together or facing each other. And here, while they do a whole bunch of like fancy and interesting um, stuff, um, a lot of high flying that Mark Davis would eventually cut out of his arsenal, the same thing with Kyle Fletcher, it's 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 in, it's sort of innovative like it's sort of like interesting at the same time it's not the way everybody else would do like opening sequences like like notably like an arm drag that Kyle Fletcher here the Kyle Fletcher does here in this match is like not the way like anybody else like did an arm drag and it takes a turn from being like you know like a little bit of a show offy match into being Mark Davis like the like at the time the bigger member of um Aussie Open you know, completely lighting up Kyle Fletcher's chest and beating the shit out of him and punching him and chopping him and kicking him and almost feeling remorseful about what he's doing to his best friend here. He doesn't want to do it. He doesn't relish in it, you know, the same way that, like, Walter did with Timothy Thatcher, where Walter had, like, no hesitation attacking him with, like, no remorse. Mm -hmm. Mark didn't want to do that. It's... You know, these guys have to go in there and earn a spot in the natural progression series, and only one of them can go. He doesn't want to have to hurt Kyle, but Kyle is who they put him put him put him in there with. And they go up there and have an awesome match. They've had, they came in having matches against each other because they're both Australian and they both have to prove themselves. And eventually, you know, they got put together in a team because they're both Australian. But, you know, I feel like now, or for, at least for them, like almost a year later, after their initial stages in the English wrestling scene, like they weren't just facing each other because they were Australian. They're facing each other because they they were two of the brightest stars in the English wrestling scene. It felt organic, it felt natural, and it felt real. And at that time, it did feel like Mark Fletcher, I mean, not Mark Davis, <laughs> was like uh, the member of the group that was like poised for bigger success, and. It's something where you it gave Kyle Fletcher a bit of a mountain to climb. And I was really glad to see those guys go out there and kill it the way they did because they weren't really main eventers before that. They got some uh, marquee matches and attack for the tag titles and stuff like that, but they had never really been given, been given a main event slot. This was like their first main event together. And I thought they went out there and showed like the potential they have, whether it is teaming with each other, facing each other, that they are huge stars that 
the English scene should have been taking more advantage of. And let's go back to shitting on progress some more. They, 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 they give you this big Aussie open tag title win at Wembley just to give Swords of Essex the titles. <laughs> yeah. It's fucking ridiculous. But like I said, I really, I really enjoyed this. And like I said, it's a thing where like with a lot of these matches, because I didn't rewatch them, like it's hard to, Talk about like individual performances, unless like you know it's like complete nerd bait. Like you know, a complete nerd bait match would be like you know, um, something like really focused on a leg or really focused on the arm. Something that like us nerds over here could be like, oh my god, like wow. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. What do you mean, good matches? Yeah, (laughs) but like it's just really hard hitting and emotional. And Kyle Fletcher at this point is still like. I would say is like a top five baby face in the world. And Mark, sure. Mark Davis lays in the crazy beat down on him. It's really fun. And again, it's a smaller progress show. So there's a good chance. A lot of you haven't seen it, but I would highly recommend going back for it. Mm. Well, speaking of uh, one of the best baby faces in the world, my number 81 is a match. I'm not sure you're going to have. It's Daniel Bryan taking on the Miz at WWE SummerSlam. No, I didn't have it. I really liked it, but I think, you know, which is funny considering like how I am about Brian. Like I'm sort of the low man on this. Yeah, like I, I totally understand that this isn't a match that leaped off the page. Um, it's it's sort of a slow burn. Like they take it slow with this one, uh, physically in the ring, and and a whole lot of it is just more about like, um, the surprisingly deep character study of the Miz and also of Brian in return. Um. And and that's really what I appreciate about this one is is like the build up to this one like with all these um all these like fantastic video packages like detailing uh, the feud between these two and, and like where each of them are coming from respectively um that like really dug into like what makes the Miz tick in like his worldview as like this um this unsung company man like this guy who put clocks in every single day like never gets hurt never asks for anything that he's not given um and like always just like works his ass off and and doesn't get any of the praise for it whereas guys like daniel bryan are like big dummies and break their brains and have to take two years off and then come back to these huge uh adulation um returns and whatnot and uh, I thought like the two of them working a match like that and like working a match around the concept of Miz stealing Brian's moves and then having them done back on him, like getting the real thing and realizing like, oh shit, like my shit has always just been a pale imitation of that. Maybe I'm not who I thought I have been this whole time. I thought that was like a really clever thing. And it leads to this big finish of, of Miz like resorting to the, um, resorting to the underhanded tactics that like he presented himself as being above but truthfully he's not um i think it could like sort of go goes back to like you know if we, if we go all the way back to 2016 i even back then i talked about how i thought miz was just going too far into the well of doing daniel bryan's stuff sure and he kept doing it for like a couple of years to the point where just like yeah. it just like again like you know it's a, it's a subtlety hammer like you keep fucking doing it like so like eventually like it doesn't matter and it's just like part of your move set uh-huh. so like after a couple of years it's hard to, it's hard for it to be like oh wow look at him he's mocking daniel bryan be like doing these kicks in the drop kick it's like well he's been doing it since 2016 like yeah at some point it's just like oh that's just the mission yeah so it's like 
it was hard for me to view it that way. Um, but I do, I do agree with everything you said about the match in that, like, how Miz, like, all, like, really wanted to prove that he was above all that stuff. And he's like, he finally gets in there with Brian and he's like, yeah, shit, like, <laughs> like I, I, I gotta, I gotta do it. And I love the mid-match injury too. You know, Brian, you know, mm. the way he is, like, he's always gonna sell it and the way he kicks the post and the way Miz goes after it and Brian constantly hobbling. No, it's a great sell job in that match. Uh, my number 81 is Omari versus Travis Banks from Tetsujin. Oh, okay. Um, this didn't make my list, but, uh, I think I, I think I recall enjoying it. I liked a whole bunch of that Tetsujin tournament. Mm. Uh, Tetsujin had a couple of really awesome ass kickings, and uh-huh. this is, this is one of them. Uh, Travis Banks, for all his flaws, is really great when he gets to just beat the shit out of somebody. Sure. And here he's beating up, like, you know, the bigger guy, the better athlete, um, younger, stronger, all that stuff. But Travis Banks is so mean and vicious, and he has experience, or more, at least more experience in a shoe, in a shoe style or semi shoe style setting than Omari does. So he just, takes full advantage of him and exploits him and like Omari has like neat moments where he gets to show off his power and athleticism but right in this match is total domination from Travis Banks it's almost a glorified squash and on paper it doesn't sound like it's that impressive but the in in the shoe style tournament where a big complaint was you know you have guys in there who are like slapping their legs on moves it was refreshing to go in there and see Travis Banks and be like, yeah, he's kicking the shit out of Omari for real. <laughs> Word. And I really enjoyed it and really liked the only Omari match from 2018 where, you know, <laughs> I I actually like enjoyed it to that level just because it was a real uh, down year for the kid and not sure if, he, if he's going to rebound or not in 2019. Yeah, who knows? Um Speaking of rebounds, though, uh, one of the most refreshing, one of the most rewarding rebounds that we saw in 2018 was uh, that of Hiroshi Tanahashi, who's taken on Minoru Suzuki in my number 80 with their G1 Climax bout. Uh, Yeah, probably not making my list, but I really enjoyed it. Yeah, this one's uh, this one's not quite as good as their January match, um, which I thought was just sort of phenomenal, and we'll talk about that in a couple days. Um uh, and it's and it's really just in so many ways just a a, a condensed um, smaller and also weaker version of their usual match. But even if it's just like the two hundred calorie version of their shit, like it's something I love immensely. Uh, it's it's maybe it's maybe out. their most ambitious match. Like, wh- like H- how so? In the fact that like they only uh, how long do they go? Short. It's like seven. Well, sh- quote unquote short. It's like seventeen. I think it's like seventeen minutes and like. Ten of that is Hiroshi Tanahashi, like, spent in, like, various knee bars. Like, considering the fact that, like, they, like, they've, like, usually kind of, like, fucked around with, like, the mat work for a little bit before going into Minoru Suzuki trying to, trying to pick apart Tanahashi's leg. Like, they go straight into it. And, like, Mm. you are given nothing but a leg lock for at least ten minutes. But you know what? (laughs) It's the most fucking compelling thing in the world. (laughs) Yeah, like these two, these two are great at doing leg base matches, and they do that here and sprinkle in um, a whole bunch of great slaps, a whole bunch of great roll ups, like like making making something that it creating like a total package of a match that doesn't feel like it's just 
mat work, which like, that's not something that I'm ever against, but, uh, creating something that like feels like something more than that, something bigger, something that has, um, more to offer to fans who aren't freaks like me. Um, and, and I enjoyed these two just killing it once again with each other in, in what was like a really, a really good year, a surprisingly good year for these two. Hmm. My number 80 is Alchicero versus Stuka Jr. from CMLL, August 14th. I did not watch this. Uh, this is the yearly reminder that Echicero is fucking incredible and should be the hardest pushed guy anywhere in wrestling. But you know what? Should like, be. you know, I'm fine with getting my, you know, yearly Echicero title match. And Stuka Jr. is a guy that usually is getting them put in big trios matches and he's awesome in them. I really, I really enjoy Stuka Jr. Uh, in those settings, and I really enjoyed him here. Um, but he kept up with Edgy Sarah for the most part when it came to the mat work, a lot of really creative and neat stuff. You know, but you know, you're used to that by now with Edgy Sarah. And when they uh, started upping the pace in the third fall, which you know is typical for Lucha title matches, it felt, if it didn't feel as, um, like, I don't know, tropey, as a lot of, like, other Lucha title matches might feel like. Like, say, like, Mephisto, right? Is that, I really love Mephisto, but, like, you know exactly how a Mephisto title match is gonna go. Uh Uh-huh. And, it's not to say it's bad, it's just, like, super formulaic, you know, mostly how it's gonna end, the stuff that's gonna be used as near falls and all that stuff. Here, it, it was a title match that felt, like, genuinely unpredictable. And, I had a feeling that Stuka Jr. was going to win the match, but I didn't know how. And like knowing that, you know, because Stuka Jr. hasn't been in a hasn't been in a situation like this for at least like you know some time now, you know mm-hmm. that moment of like okay, what's gonna be the thing that ends this match is like super intriguing or something to hang your hat on, especially in lucha when it's like you know as much as I love it, it is like super formulaic when it comes to the title matches. And right here, I really love it. There's some really neat stuff in it. It's like the reminder that Echicero is one of the best wrestlers on the planet. And Stuka Jr. is one of the perennially most underappreciated guys on the CMLL roster, I think. There's a lot sure. of guys there that um don't get the they don't get that level of praise. They aren't the ones that are gonna be brought over to the US and um given these high profile bookings or anything. But like perennially you go watch a Friday show, go watch the Tuesday Arena Mexico, like they're always awesome and very enjoyable to see. And Stuka Jr. is one of those guys that I'll never turn away or turn down a chance to see him wrestle. All right. My 79 is a match. I'm not sure that you saw. I don't really know how much of the Southern Indies you saw in 2018. It's a uh, Tracy Williams defending the powerbomb.tv independent championship against Eric Royal at uh, actions June show. Yeah. Didn't see this. There's a whole bunch of that powerbomb TV loop that I just missed out on. Totally like technical difficulties. Something that like weirdly, despite my shitty internet, like didn't bother me. Mm. It's a very strange thing. Um, but no, like, I really like this, just like a, uh, a long methodical main event title match. Um, it really felt like this wasn't the best powerbomb title match that I had on my list, but it, like, this was the one, um, probably like the first one in that title ring that felt worthy of that concept of like this, of this, um, 
this title that represents like not just one promotion or one particular scene, but like a, a larger network of promotions all across, um, not just the United States, but technically the world, um, and, and going out and having like interesting, um, interesting matches that you don't see a lot booked anywhere and interesting matches that like feel worthy of a big title. Um, these two are two like hard nosed dudes, like two real scrappy guys who can like, um, throw our hands with the best of them and they go out here and they have um a mean little match just like beating the snot out of each other uh tracy goes after uh royal's arm in a very natural way and it, and it never like it never stops royal from doing what he thinks he has to do like being this big guy who does a whole lot of power moves um but it but it bothers him throughout the rest of the match and and like wait's tracy being like sort of a smaller guy who's getting just totally hammered by all of royal's power stuff like he's completely winded for long stretches of the match and like and can never like take the shots that he really should have to take to stay in here um and watching these two like work around those foibles as the match grows longer and longer um doing all sorts of like logical and snug little moves to each other um I thought it was just, like, really great stuff. Like, a real clever finish, too, with, like, um, Tracy, like, trying to do a Fujiwara armbar out of the air and, in like, just really just wrenching on the man's arm backward to get down there. Um, just the sort of match that, like, felt like it was made for me and it just, like, totally knocked it out of the park. How did you feel about Tracy Williams 2018? I thought he was quietly super good. Mm. Like, he ended up... I think he ended up in my top 20 wrestlers of the year. Um... If he didn't, he's at, like, 21. Yeah, it's a thing where, like like you mentioned, like, the technical difficulties that I have, like, watching Powerbomb TV, like, really hindered me from mm. watching anything that was, like, outside of, like, outside of Beyond. And I really like, like, really liked a lot of the Beyond stuff I saw from Tracy, like the Joey Janela match. But, you know, a lot of this um, independent title stuff I just didn't get a chance to see because, you know, at any given moment, Powerbomb would just uh, shit the bed for me. And it sucks because I really am like a huge Tracy fan and you know, random, but I really am happy to see him getting these chances in ROH and like, imme- yeah. like, like immediately like taking it, like taking full advantage of them. Like he it's, this is something that I, I talked about in my year end review. And um, you can read that probably around the time that this podcast goes up like Tracy in a year where like the American indie scene felt like it mattered less than it ever has or like as little as it has in like 20 years tracy felt like the guy holding a lot of that together mm. like he, he was a guy going all over the place and having um having the sorts of matches that promotions need to have all right um the number 79 is a match you might have higher it's dick togo versus cody yameda from ddt july 10th uh, i didn't have i don't think this made it onto my list but i loved it wow okay um this is super mean and gross. Like, there's no other way to put it. Like, it's not gross in the way, like, something like a Walter versus Sammy Guevara is. It, it's not that. It's just, like, pure meanness and spite and rebellion coming in, coming in, coming in the form of Cody Yumeda. Um, and it's part of Cody Yumeda's, uh, trial series. Uh, you know, that he's, uh, yet to win a match in so far. But seeing Dick Togo come back just to beat the ever living shit at a Coda and, you know, Dick Togo as barrel chested as ever, just coming in and leaving a beat down on this poor man. And Coda is someone that 
um, when I talked about it on the, on the uh, wrestlers of the year um, podcast stuff, is that people always talk about like you know this Japanese uh, um, this Japanese guy does a lot of kicks. He reminds mm. me of Kenta, you know. Sure. And like it's a lot of the time like super, like all, like oftentimes like super misplaced. Like no one has felt more like Kenta than me than Cody Yumeda. And like attitude, his like actual move set, like the stuff he throws, like and seeing someone like Coda like get that kind of match, like where he just gets to be like full of spunk and vigor and you know, take whatever the world throws at him and not be afraid whether he's like facing like a legend like Dick Togo or someone or someone else, like it's the kind of stuff that I love to see in wrestling. I love to see like young guys be fearless and an old guy like, you know, put them in their place and remind them who they are in the world. And this is one of those matches that really captured that idea in 2018. Yeah. It's just a short little thing. It's, it's just a, um, a trial series match and Dick Togo isn't what he used to be. You know, he's, he's still phenomenal, but he's like 50 now. And and that takes it. Is Dick Togo 50? (laughs) I think he's 50. If not, he's close. Um, but yeah, like watching watching a guy who has like all the experience in the world and all the talent in the world, like, um, uh, rein in a kid who I think is like just great already and who doesn't necessarily need a whole lot of a guiding hand, um, but but focusing his efforts even more, uh, it was just great stuff. Just like a a great ex- um, a great uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. It was just incredibly violent little match. Mm. Um, something I, I enjoyed quite a bit. Uh, Dick Togo is forty nine. Forty nine. See, all right. He's old. <laughs> yeah, but like, just like, geez, like, look at him. <laughs> totally. I mean, like, get it. You know, performance enhancing drugs, but like, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> uh, you can go ahead with seventy nine. Uh, my seventy nine was Tracy for Oh, oh, you're right, you're right, right, Eric, Eric Royal. Um. My 78, then, is Brock Lesnar defending the WWE Universal title against Roman Reigns at WWE SummerSlam. <laughs> okay. I... Wow. All right. Talk about it. Did you not like this? No, I did. But, like, okay. for completely <laughs> ironic reasons. Like, um, I've always liked the matches these two had. Uh, their WrestleMania match was going to be my number 100. It was going to be a Vanity 100 for a long time. Um, and it sort of got pushed up a little. Um, I always like the stuff these two do together. Like even in their fucking stupid cage match from uh, Greatest Royal they're, Rumble, they're good opponents. It's just like everything else yeah. is like so hard to take to, to separate. Like totally, and this match has some elements of that, but they're hilarious. That's... <laughs> um, <laughs> watching watching Braun Strowman come up and cut this big bad promo, um, and be like, "Oh, I'm going to cash in on." I'm going to cash in the money in the bank on whoever wins this. And just and watching, stand there. <laughs> and, and then watching these two, like, work a match around that idea. Like, being even more urgent, being even more explosive than they normally are. And Lesnar, um, eventually when the action bleeds out into the floor, just, like, murdering Braun. And then flinging the briefcase across the world <laughs> so that he can't cash in on him was tremendous stuff. Um and then watching Lesnar finally lose and Roman finally get his comeuppance, or f- watching Lesnar get his comeuppance and, and Roman finally get his moment, uh, was just like a great thing to see, especially considering what happened later. Um, and it was just like, it was such a, it was such a fun, stupid match, like a, a match, a match that like managed to thrill me 
despite the fact that it had so much working against it. Like, it's the sort of match that um, I feel like WWE knights, like whatever you want to call them, WWE super fans, people who defend the Fed on the internet, um, this is the sort of match that I think they see every week or every pay-per-view. Um, but it's this was like the one that clicked for me. This is like... Like the real, like it's so stupidly fun, and like yeah, the reason why I can't even enjoy it that way is just because like, despite like everything that Roman has gone through, he still couldn't get a clean win over Brock. Like, totally, it, it, it's because Brock got too preoccupied fucking with Braun Strowman, and he yep. came in and got speared. And like you know, maybe that's the story, right? Maybe the story is like Brock's hubris. That Brock's mm. hubris is like eventually like will always cost him matches, right? But like, I I eventually just wanted to see Roman Reigns like beat the guy clean, but no, nah. he had to go. He had to go fuck up Braun Strowman first. <laughs> it's like I I can understand it. Like if that's if that's the reason why you couldn't have it on this list or why other people would have hated it. But like to me to me like this was as good as it was gonna get, and it managed to be super fun along with that concession. Okay, so, like, why does this make it over the WrestleMania, the WrestleMania match? Well, the WrestleMania match has the dumbest finish of the decade, perhaps. Okay, f- fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> and, like, the WrestleMania match was, like, super good up until it cratered. <laughs> and this match just didn't crater. Right, it didn't have time to crater. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it really just didn't get there. Um... All right, my number 78 is Juice Robinson versus Hiroshi Tanahashi from New Japan Pro Wrestling, March 16th. Oh, wow. It is the semifinal from the New Japan Cup. Uh, this initially was on my list. It got pushed up into the thing I've been referencing, the recommended matches that we'll get to eventually. Um, but I really loved it, and I'm glad to see that it was on yours. The most underrated Hiroshi Tanahashi match to happen in 2018. Like, totally. By far. Like, it is fucking great and it's something is it happened it happened to corrigan i believe um i don't recall it, i'm not sure um if i remember correctly it might it might happen in corrigan but it's these two you know wholesome baby faces going at it and we see tanahashi you know going to like you know dominant tanahashi on top mode and juice robinson is someone that's like you know since his time in the company you know despite my problems with his gear, whatever he decides to wear in a wrestling ring. Um, he's always been great. And he always, del- he always delivers and he always steps up when he's in there with someone that's, um, on that, um, next class above him. You know, he's firmly a mid card guy right now, super popular. But when he's in there with your Kenny Omega and your Okada, your Tanahashi, your Naito, like something in him, like he, he, he's able to step right in and fill that void and it's like something like that Carl Robinson, not Carl, Carl Anderson, um, used to, used to be able to do. And, um, I think Juice Robinson is, uh, filling that role just fine. I loved it. I loved how dramatic it felt. You know, like, the thing about that New Japan Cup, and we'll, and we'll get to it more, um, when I eventually bring up Zach versus Tanahashi, is how Tanahashi gets so deep into this tournament. And you're like, and you're like huh, that's a little weird. Like, why is Tanahashi still here? And at this point, Juice Robinson isn't holding any gold. And you see Juice Robinson is right there too. You're like, huh, maybe Juice Robinson is going to get like an upset win over Tanahashi. And it's going to be like a Zack versus Juice final. And like, yeah. And like, no, you don't get that. It's like Tanahashi wins. And 
Tanahashi winning, like, isn't usually a shock, right? But, like, that's sort of, like, like Tanahashi 2018. And then, like, after his, like, first couple months, or, like, really his, like, yeah, like, his first, you know, fa- like, failures facing um Minoru Suzuki and Kazuchika Okada, is that, like, when he wins, it's like, oh, like, Tanahashi win- is, is winning again. And this happens, like, sort of, like, in the middle of all that stuff. But it's one of those things where Tanahashi wins that match, and you're like, wow, what's going on here? It's really interesting. And it gets overshadowed by the Zack final. It gets overshadowed by the Okada matches and the Minoru Suzuki match from um G1 and from New Beginning. But it's so goddamn interesting. And hmm. really, like, it's one of those um instances where a face-versus-face match works totally perfectly. Yeah, like, it. I think this gets, like, a little bloated towards the end and in typical new japan fashion like i i i i didn't think that like a semi-final match with juice robinson it went, was <laughs> it went like 20 to go like 30 it was like no it was like 30 something it went like, it was like it went super, 30 <laughs> yeah it's long like it's it's long compared to what you would expect from those two yeah um and i think it suffers for that but you're totally right like it's like surprisingly maybe one of the best face versus face matches of the year um, something that like doesn't miss a step despite it not having like that more aggressive heel character in there yeah. um it's just something it's... that feels that feels like juice like really pushing forward and like trying to advance his career and trying to take the next step up the ladder um with a guy who earlier in the year it didn't look like he was going to be able to facilitate that but totally comes around and does it here it's super efficient wrestling like there's no other way to put it like it's like completely efficient and and other like it's not gonna wow like a bunch of other people it's not like the most outwardly spectacular match that you'll see in 2018 but it's just so well done and it's something that stuck with me is that in a in a great like hiroshi tanahashi year it, this was a match i kept thinking about and i couldn't put my finger on why and it's just like at the, like at the end of the day i really love like efficient smart and like meaningful wrestling and i think they were able to come across that here in this new, in that in that new japan cup match real good uh is your 78 yeah right? all right so my 77 is a match um that we saw a couple times throughout the year it's the i believe this was like the third of their three matches in 2018 uh it's david Starr taking on zach saber jr in progress's super strong style 16 tournament yeah i'm gonna have that higher okay um so my number seventy-seven is Jonah Rock versus Timothy Thatcher from PWG Bask in His Glory. I don't think I saw this. Really? Okay. Um. Yeah. This is one of my favorite Thatcher performances of the year. Um, sells his ass off. Um, they had a match in sixteen carat that mm, was that I liked. Th- it was good, but like, it was Jonah Rock sort of like he didn't like lean into like that heel character he would start playing later on in the year. And this is a Jonah Rock, like, at his peak right here. This is Jonah Rock has, has, like, put it all together. And he's on his awesome run. And Timothy Thatcher is one of the one of the best sellers of the decade. One of the best sellers yep. ever. <laughs> and here we are, big, giant man that can splash you and kick you and chop you and throw you around and look super menacing and take um shortcuts and cheap shots whenever he feels like it against a guy that like is completely genuine and when he Mm -hmm. sells it's really genuine and meaningful and he picks his spots 
and he has unique feeling comebacks and you feel for him when he gets cut off and I love everything they do here. It's almost not a PWG match. <laughs> like, like, like it's hard to like, it's hard to like pinpoint like where exactly in the world of wrestling, like this match would fit because it's like kind of like old school. It's like really only doing what you need to. It's Jonah Rock really implementing his sides. It's Timothy Thatcher, who's like a big guy, but he's not as big as Jonah Rock. And he only gets to show off his power on a couple of occasions, like hitting, um, a backdrop suplex on um uh on uh Jonah Rock or being able to um hit his uh, belly to belly on him. It's super selective in the high spots. It but those high spots mean so much. When Jonah Rock eventually gets to the point where he does that incredible frog splash that he does, like it means the world because you know that they've built to Jonah Rock having nothing left in his arsenal and now he has to go up to the top rope and completely destroy Timothy Thatcher's ribs. I love it. You really should go back and see it. And I'm surprised you didn't see this one. Yeah, I just didn't watch a whole lot of PWG. Um, I don't know. Like, it's like I have a weird relationship with PWG. Usually, I, li- I like to watch their shows in full. Um, and and oftentimes, if I'm watching wrestling that I don't, I'm not particularly invested in. I'm just like taking a look at it. I'll like turn it down. I'll turn the volume down and like listen to a podcast or some music or whatever over top of it. But with PWG, I, I like to listen to the commentary, unlike with the vast majority of wrestling. Um, and so I think, I think for that reason, I was sort of just apprehensive because it, it, it became such a backlog that I was just like, fuck it. Yeah. And I, and I totally get it. Like it wasn't a great uh, PWG year, but yeah. Geez, I I really do think you would have liked that Jonah Rock stuff. Yeah, like it sounds it sounds like something that's right up my alley, and I and I liked their previous match a lot. Mm. What's your seventy six? My seventy six is my lucha match of the year that you're probably going to have a bit higher. It's Soberano Junior defending the Mexican National Welterweight Title against Barbaro Cavernario from July. Yeah, I got that higher. Okay, so instead, you can talk about your seventy six. My number 76 is a match. It's possible you have higher, but I don't know how you feel about this match. Um, it's Gary J versus Jake Parnell from 01 USA, January 27th. I didn't, I didn't get around to these and I hate that I didn't. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Like they're, 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 it's stuff that I thought I was going to really enjoy. It's stuff that was hyped up so much, but I just, I didn't make time for it. it. Like it was just totally my fault. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, this match is known for, um, when Jake Parnell's mouth gets cut, uh, gets caught on um, on a turnbuckle hook, and yeah, well, like let's be clear here, it's not that it just got caught there. Yeah. It's not like Oops, no, it, it took no, a slip. no, oh no, it was a, it was a spot where Gary J put the turnbuckle hook in his mouth and threw him outside of the ring to try to do a, a crazy fish hook that then almost killed the man. Yeah, like ripped his face open, right? Yeah. And I mean, like I'd be lying if I if I said that wasn't why I watched the match. Sure, totally. But what I got instead was like something that was like super violent and mean, and like you know, it's something you know. We have a lot of indie guys, a lot of US indie guys that try this style, and it feels like really, like really, like inauthentic, right? Like this whole like where I'm super, I'm super tough, and all this stuff, and you can hit me, and I'm gonna keep going, and we can do all these moves to each other, and we're just gonna keep fighting. The um, real like surface level interpretation of what like what Tomohiro Ishii does, and sure. here 
it feels genuine. Like, it feels like these guys really don't fucking like each other. And I think that's when that stuff works the most, is when it feels like these guys, no matter what, are going to find a way to inflict more pain on the other because they genuinely don't like that person. Mm. And it comes across as hateful and spiteful and violent. Um, you know, it does like, you know, like a lot of typical, like no DQ stuff, but it feels a little bit more edgy and nasty here. Like, you know, taking the mat off the ring and expose, exposing the wood. We mentioned the fish hooking that Gary J did to Jake Parnell with the turnbuckle hook. It's mm. a really nasty and violent match. It is at a hundred miles per hour throughout the entire thing. There's no dead space. They absolutely murder each other. And I, I remember saying this on the, um, formerly known as Always Barry Sanders, is that I wish it was like 2015 again. And I wish that it was like similarly to like, um, uh, the Fred Yehai versus Slim J stuff, that there was like a playlist of like all the Gary J versus Jake Parnell matches on YouTube or something. Mm-hmm. But again, like just cause like the era we're in now with streaming services, that like that's just not, not gonna happen. It's not possible. But I really wish I could go and go back and see like everything those guys did in 2018. Cause those guys went all over the place having matches with, having matches with, matches with each other. And like in a different time, those matches probably could have held more, held more weight. But I feel like in 2018 with like everything being so scattered, it just, it just wasn't possible. And especially with like the, I think the Southern indie scene like falling off in favor of, of the few people that had championed it previously. Mm. Um, but despite that, like I still had a couple Southern indie matches to make it onto my list, including one that's very similar to what you're talking about here. It's my summer, my number 75. It's Slim J versus Corey Hollis in a dog collar match from Anarchy Wrestling's, uh, uh, I don't have a name here, but it's uh, one of their shows in May. Yeah, this is, yeah, this is really awesome, but didn't make my list. Um, it's just like, uh, we talked about Corey Hollis earlier, just being like this incredible heel. Um, and he, he comes in here with a guy like Slim J, who's a baby face, technically, but like who is like um, uh, very rugged, uh, very experienced by this point in his, his career, very athletic, um, and has no qualms about hurting somebody else in a match, especially a, a, a big uh, stipulation match like this with a guy he's not fond of. Um, and so they come into this and they kill each other. Like, this is probably the bloodiest match of the year that I saw. Um, and it's not like, it's not quite a death match, but like it beats a whole lot of death matches in that regard, um, for me. And it's, um, it's these two doing like really gross stuff to each other. Like there's hanging spots, which I'm always sort of wary about. And there's like a really, really great one that finishes off the match here. Um, and I don't know, like, it's just, it's, it's everything that I like in wrestling. It's just like two guys, two guys like trying to kill each other. And doing everything in their power to make it look like they are, um, and that that sort of like realism, that sort of believability, is just so rare in wrestling these days to me. Uh, and, and seeing two guys who I like quite a bit doing it in a promotion that I like quite a bit uh, was just was just really great stuff. Yeah, like I said, like it was really, really good. And Corey Hollis is like seems seems to thrive, mm-hmm. um, and like these big like nasty violent stipulation matches. And like I said, it sucks that he's like sort of in an environment where you can't do feuds anymore. And cause he's a guy that, you know, saying like the heyday of like CWF will like, will like thrive there. Like getting, like getting, like getting like a feud or something. Something to think of season two. Yeah. My number 75 is 
a match. I'm not sure if you might, if you have higher, I don't know. Ilya Dragunov versus Alexander James, uh, WXW May 18th. Nah, I considered this. It's I thought it was easily the best WXW title match of the year, uh, but it didn't make my list. Uh, yeah, I really fucking love this. Um, big Alexander James fan, you yep. know, unabashedly great, great wrestler Alexander James, confirmed great wrestler, scientifically proven. Um, and I love the little mini feud with Ilya. It's, uh-huh. you know, I like. Uh, it's the best of. It's the best of Ilya did in 2018. Like, <laughs> what? Whatever. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's you no know, Alexander James like fucking with them, like completely, constantly uh-huh. jabbing at him, and is it? And a lot of Ilya is feeling genuine, right? It's like you believe him, like as this like little like. Russian like spark plug like at, like at any moment this guy's like liable like to go off and just like yeah. like like just lose it like not lose his temper but like just completely like, unbottle all this rage and emotion he has in him. Yeah, the thing the thing with Ilya is like genuinely pulling off a very uh, inhuman, unrealistic character. Mm. And here it makes the Ilya character more human you know we talk about we talked about it last year with the bad bones and Ilya match from the anniversary show and yep. how in the build up they really went out of their way to humanize Ilya and mm-hmm. Alexander James in order to like you know go back to that is like constantly jabbing and remarking about Ilya's family and his wife and his child and like Ilya being able to provide for them and not being able to focus on wrestling the way he should because he's too worried about his family that he's not even doing, like, you know, all the right things for. And, like, constantly just making snide, slick remarks and not getting any comeuppance for it. And Mm -hmm. he goads Ilya into a title match. It's like Alexander James, a guy that, like, has never even been, like, a tag champion, a shotgun champion, nothing, goads his way into a world title match. And... Obviously, you know, like you know, this happens to Hamburg, but like, obviously, Ilya, Ilya Dragunov is going to win. Obviously, like Ilya Dragunov like isn't going to lose to this guy, and it's like the same thing about like the like about the Yaren Simmons versus Alexander James match from twenty um twenty seventeen that I liked a lot. Is it like okay, yeah, obviously, like Yaren isn't going to lose like the big blow off to this guy, but Alexander James has a way is like of like making these like sure loss matches for him like so compelling because his offense looks so good he comes across like this formidable mountain to climb for Ilya you know he he has some fantastic cutoff spots in this match like every time Ilya feels like he's about to build up some momentum James goes back to his arm cuts him off with an elbow like something and it just takes like all the air out of Hamburg it's so convincing and it's a guy that's like 100% 100% a filler title defense. Like, you have no reason to believe that this guy has any chance of winning. But you know what? Like, despite all of that, it keeps your attention. It keeps you glued. It's like something people complain about, about, um, complain about with, like, uh, the late, like, the later on in the year, new, like, um, IWGP title defenses, right? Is that, um, like, you know for a fact, Kodabushi or, or Cody, like, aren't gonna be Kenny Omega in this triple threat. You know, where it's like biding time until we get to Wrestle Kingdom. And a lot of the time it's like hard to get past that when watching that match and you just don't believe. I don't ever believe Alexander James might win this match. 
but I would be lying if I said, you know what? What if like what if he does? Like that like WXW does that bullshit. Yes, like it's like what if he does win this match? And like I like it's something that really crossed my mind and like that speaks to the ability that Alexander James has it like coming across as like this like formidable like wall in someone's path and like really like how well Ilya sells in this match. It's my favorite Ilya performance of the year. Like and again, like it makes no sense to like on paper, <laughs> right? Ilya's been in there with uh uh Shingo and um Tyler Walter. like Tyler Bay and Walter and all that stuff. It's my favorite Ilya performance of the year because it's like playing into everything that makes Ilya who he is. It's super clear face and heel dynamic. It's easy to get into because there's clear lines drawn and you want to see this like smug asshole get like get beat up. But there's a part of you that's like, man, like this guy might beat him. And it's one of those things where despite everything going against it, like it makes me believe on some level. Yeah. Like um, 2018, in a lot of ways was like a year that I sort of fell off on Ilya um sort of uh, a combination of factors there but this was like easily the match of his that i enjoyed the most throughout the year and a lot of that comes down to aj like being like cold confident like a great heel here a guy who reminds me a lot of like um uh a lot of like peak uh roh alex shelley like a guy who um or jimmy rave even like anybody from the embassy i guess yeah i'll say, I'll say jimmy <laughs> rave yeah <laughs> like like guys guys who like don't wrestle quite the same style as is popular in the indie scene um guys who are a lot smaller a lot more direct in a lot of their movements um and who get so much out of that directness uh i really i really appreciate james for that this was like this was like probably the career effort of of those um of that style of that of that approach to wrestling and and also i I really enjoyed it because it, it felt like WXW has always been like a weird promotion, like a promotion that brings in people that you wouldn't expect, who puts together matches that you wouldn't see anywhere else. And this, um, in a year in which they felt sort of like less and less interesting, like this was like their most off the wall title match. And I really appreciated it for that. Um, okay. That was my 75. So you can go ahead with 74. My 74 is, uh, one of the, Shit, I think it's the only PWG match I have on here. It's Trevor Lee with a great little opener, I believe, against Darby Allen from Smokey and the Bandito. Uh, yeah, I didn't get around to seeing this one. Oh, you didn't? Damn. Um, this was like, this was a hoot. Like, I don't like to use that word a lot. I think it's been sort of run into the ground by. I mean, I mean, yeah, but like for like four years now. <laughs> totally. Um, but this was like totally deserving of that of that terminology. Um, it was sort of like a lesser version of that Walter Darby Allen match that we're going to talk about later. Um, and it's, it's just like, it was so fun to watch Trevor Lee, like a guy who by this point in time, this is like, um, October the 19th. Like he's easily, the news is out there that he's going to WWE. Like he's a guy who could have taken it easy, who had already had a weird 2018. Um, but a guy who goes out there in like reigns in most of not all of but most of the bad habits of a guy like darby allen and has just a super fun um short opener in pwg of all places like uh a match that makes darby's uh risky high flying feel necessary the feel exciting 
um, in a way that like it just usually doesn't for me. And it, and it was great. It was great to see like Darby have another match that I actually got into, and to see Trevor like continue to look like one of the greatest wrestlers in the world in a year in which he had a whole lot of reasons not to. Yeah, something that um I have I have on the list of stuff to watch from 2018 that I just didn't get around to as the year was coming to a close, and you know. It's something where, like, I have, like, I have a lot of stuff that I feel guilty about missing. Like, I didn't get to, um, like, the, D- like, the D-King finals from, uh, December or this. Well, I didn't even get, like, I didn't even get to get around to seeing, like, Zach versus Echi Sarah, which is, like, a match. I was, like, it was, like, a, like, a dream, sure. like, a dream match for me. You know what I mean? So, it's, totally. like, stuff that I'm definitely going to go back and watch. Um, so, my number 74 is Sean Guinness versus Michael May from OTT August 19th. Was this a contenders show? This was contenders, yeah. Okay, I might have seen this. I don't recall, but uh, it didn't. It didn't stand out to me in either case. I'm not gonna say Sean Guinness was um a revelation in 2018, mm-hmm. but he had the best match that I've ever, I've ever seen him have in 2018 for sure. Um, sure, yeah. You no, know, in the time I've seen Sean Guinness, um, I've never seen him have anything as good as that Walter match. Or this match versus Michael May from the from this contender show. This guy, um, you know, he like you know he's someone that can do all the athletic high spot stuff. He probably he probably can't do it as well as like some of his contemporaries, but like you know he can do it. Um, look, he can hang. He can hang. You know, looks like a million bucks and all that stuff, but like he's really efficient. And right here, this is like a really efficient match, and. He's very focused, going after um, Michael May's arm here. Michael May, one of the um, OTT contenders or trainees, um, one of the young guys they're developing and bringing along. And Michael May isn't as charismatic as LJ or Nathan or Scotty or whatever, but he's someone that I would almost consider like the most de- most developed in the ring. He's the most fundamentally sound. He's a guy that I would feel like is the most reliable for a good match. You know. Scotty is a, uh, you know, a little a little spotty at times. Scotty is a, uh, you know, has some bad habits. You know, that comes from being like you know, seventeen, eighteen years old. And you know, and it's like he's a guy that you know you just got to give him the time. Michael May feels like he can be a regular on like OTT shows, like the big OTT shows right now, and that's just like based off like his in ring talent. He doesn't have like the charisma to translate, but that can come in time too. And right like right here in this match, it's like a very committed performance to selling his arm. Um no wasted moment on it. He doesn't ever forget about it or make it feel like make it feel insignificant. It plays a big um factor into everything that Michael does within the match and Sean Guinness, you know, a guy that a guy that doesn't have like a move set like Taylor so working on an arm, he sure. you know is able to adapt and switch it up, and he's committed to telling this story that they're telling, and that's something I really love about the contender shows is that you see these guys really commit to all these ideas they're trying to get across. No one ever just does something for the sake of doing something on contenders. It's all very much thought out and well laid out and. It's something that really stands out to me when watching these OTT shows because, like, they are way more um, thought out than, like, a lot of the big shows are in England or in Europe. Like, in 
this match right here is like a prime example of it. It's not a main event. It's not even like a big marquee match anywhere. It's just like something that was in the middle of the card thrown together. And you know what? Like, I fucking loved it. And I think more people would love this too if they saw it. It's just great wrestling. Yeah, those contender shows were like super fun. Um, This is uh, something we're going to talk about towards the end of the podcast. Like this idea of like uh, how rewarding it can be to watch somebody get better in the ring. And I think OTT in general, but especially those contender shows is like really great for that. So it's not a surprise to me at all to know that like you would have one of those sorts of matches on here. All right, um, you can go ahead with your uh, 73. My number 73 is a match you mentioned earlier that we're now getting around to. It's Shayna Baszler defending the NXT Women's title against Kyrie Sane at NXT TakeOver Brooklyn 4. And I had that match at 90. Um, So, these... You, you and I feel sort of differently about Shayna. We both like her plenty, but um, you and I are like coming at her from different angles. Uh, these matches in particular like were what got Shayna onto your radar for you. And these matches for me were like her weakest NXT title defenses. Um, but like, even if this is like one of the lesser ones, like this is still phenomenal. This is still like real straightforward stuff in which like two, uh, diametrically opposed women are coming at this match in very different ways and, and and like really clicking together in a way that they didn't back in 2017 and having a very simple um and a very affecting title match wherein uh Shayna totally picks apart Kyrie's leg and Kyrie like limps her way into a really satisfying finish with um a, a finish we saw a whole lot in 2018 uh rolling backwards out of a sleeper hold and pinning your opponent's shoulders down for three um, and I, and I thought that was just like a, uh, a fun way to wrap up Shayna's first reign with the NXT women's title. Um, and in a really, um, really poignant way, considering like where she was in 2017, where the both of them were in 2017 and what she would do going forward. Um, but, uh, you, despite the fact that I have it higher, I think you ended up liking this match more than I did. Um, yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to like the selling performance from Kyrie. you know, like she's, which is great. Yeah, like, you know, it's she's, you know, one of the best baby faces of the decade. Like totally. someone that because of NXT and like the way NXT is ran, like, isn't gonna get the same opportunities that she would get in stardom. But like she's such a good baby face. And Shayna, because like again, you mentioned her them being like so diametrically opposed as characters, is you know, it's like the perfect match because you get someone who's like as menacing and such a bully like Shayna and Kyrie just so lovable and she's down to fight like whenever she has to and she has like so much fight in her and she doesn't give up and you know all of everything about everything Kyrie does just feels like so believable and you always just want to see Kyrie win and do as great as she, and, do, and do as best as she can and I think that's what reels me in is that like being like historically like such a really big um Kyrie Sane fan. I I keep getting mixed up in saying like Kyrie Hojo. But um it's like the it's like the one name I haven't gotten used to. It's a better name. Yeah, like it's the one name I haven't got, gotten used to. Um but being like such a big Kyrie Sane fan, um it was nice to see her like, you know, bring that like baby face expertise like to like the big stage in NXT because I feel like you know, there, you can't name that many people who, like, are a better baby face when they get the opportunities than Kyrie. And, um, 
I liked all the matches they had together, but my main complaint about NXT the, um, in 2018, you know, which is going to sound weird considering, like, all the other things I complain about in NXT, you know, roaming around, like, the like the NXT title or Johnny Gargano, is, like, my main problem is that they ran Kyrie versus Shayna too much. Yeah, it was, like, four times in three months. It was a lot. Yeah, like, they ran it way too much. Um, I didn't have, I didn't even necessarily have a problem with, like, going back to Shayna for the title. It was, like... Right. Shit, like, you know, the Tony, like, the Tony Storm match that I'm gonna talk about on the next episode is like, shit, why didn't we get Tony Storm, like, on one of those takeovers? Or why, wow. or, or why don't we get, like, Dakota Kai, like, all, like, on one of those takeovers? You know what I mean? Okay, we can, we're gonna get to that too. I, I know, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's that kind of stuff that's like, well, shit, uh-huh. man, like, I really like these matches, but, like, the law of diminishing returns, like, really affect, yeah. really affected it, and I think that's why it only wound up at 90 for me. Yeah, like it's, I don't know, like it was an effective way to bring in um, Jessamyn Duke and Marina Schaefer, and, and like I don't mind going back to Shayna again, like I think she's incredible, right. one of the best wrestlers in the world, um, but yeah, like it, they just like, they ran it into the ground real quickly, and it, like it never it never got bad, but it just got to a point where it's like, I don't it, care. Yeah, it's like, okay, it. like another good match, like. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, my next match, um... At 73 is Kyle Fletcher versus Mark Haskins from Tetsujin. Didn't have this on, didn't, uh, I had one Tetsujin match on this list and I think you, you know what it is. Yeah. Um, so another, another match that's in the vein of, uh, complete ass kicking. Uh-huh. Uh, like I raved over Kyle Fletcher being like, you know, this like revelation as a heel in 2018 and like, that was great and all, but I fell in love with Kyle Fletcher as like, this like ultimate like baby face this skinny dweeb with a terrible haircut who was like awful like you know like had like almost like had like he looks like he has like no business like being in a wrestling ring but like yeah. you love him like he's like really fucking endearing <laughs> totally and right here is they and Mark Haskins and Kyle had a really awesome match in 2017 in the same vein um yeah, big big ass kicking from the hand, from the hands of Mark Haskins. Um, Kyle is super sympathetic in it, and I think it just turned up even more here. Like Mark Haskins is ruthless, nasty, and again, it plays with the idea of, you know, why is Kyle Fletcher in a Tetsuja tournament? Like, whose idea is this? With Mark Haskins, who like is super influenced by BJJ and like kicks the shit out of people. Like, who like? It's almost like someone's like playing like a like a mean joke on Kyle, and then you know Kyle just gets his ass kicked, and that's all. That's and this happens, but it has one of like my favorite hope spots of the year, in which like Kyle Fletcher gets this like submission on Haskins, and you're like, oh my god, like hold up, like maybe he just needed like that one chance. Maybe, sure. maybe, like, maybe Kyle can actually pull it off. You know, like, raw talent might actually have a chance here. Uh, and no, like, Mark Haskins just knocks him out. But, like, it's something that, like, reels me in after, like, you know, you know, like, you know, not letting me to sleep, but, like, you know, I have it, like, set in stone in my, like, set in stone, like, what's gonna happen. Like, Mark Haskins is just gonna beat the shit out of him, and then, like, that's it. It's, you know, Kyle, like, has, like, a moment where, like he would think he has a chance to like pull it off and move on move on to the next round maybe maybe have this like Cinderella run and he doesn't like Mark just completely 
buzzes through him, knocks him out. It looks brutal and nasty and almost uncomfortable. He like stops him and it's something where, again, like it's like semi shoot style. It's like more pro than shoot, but I really was impressed by how Kyle was able to hold his own, especially in the grappling department with Mark, with Mark Haskins in a, in a, in a situation like this. Yeah, like being a tall, lanky, high flyer, like he was a guy who in a ti- in a in a tiny in. ring, like <laughs> sure that too, like tiny ring, tiny opponent, like like it it we liked the guy a lot, but like coming into this, it was like this this might not work out, but it totally did. Like it was then that was really the the whole story of the second Tetsujin tournament of just like this this looks kind of weird on paper, but like they they made it function. Yeah, uh, it's like Tetsujin um was probably my show of the year for twenty eighteen, and like. You know, like other than for like you know, like me just being like a sucker for the style, it's like, you know, it's a lot, it's just super interesting how everything like worked out. Um, but that's my seventy three. You can move on to seventy two. Seventy two is a match you're gonna have higher than me. It's Robbie Eagles taking on Will Osprey at the PWA Call to Arms show. Yeah, got that match higher. Um, so we can move on to a match I don't think you even got around to. It's Big R Shimizu and Benkei versus Yamato and BB Hulk from Dragon Gate Kobe World. Nah, I watched uh four Dragon Gate matches all year. No, uh six. Um Yamato and BB Hulk. <laughs> um I really enjoyed all their tag matches. Um yeah. from uh twenty eighteen. Uh you might be seeing another one later on in my list. But this is one the one might be might be we're not we're not quite sure if it's showing up yet <laughs> haven't decided yet <laughs> um but you know it's it's the BB Hulk last hurrah and it's something I'm going to talk about more on that on that um other match but I really enjoyed seeing BB Hulk get the you know if he's not retiring you know he's going to be like taking a step back and I really enjoy seeing BB Hulk get this one last hurrah and. For like, and for one, like Yamato and Big R might have like my favorite chemistry in the Dragon System right now. These guys right. are incredible together, and it's complete magic every time. And Ben K provides a really interesting dynamic, especially when he's across the ring from BB Hulk, who's a complete ragdoll. So there's a lot to like here. You know, I'm a bigger Yamato fan than a lot of people are, and I've always loved like his timing in tag matches, like you know the way he times his big um um go to hospital or his or his knee strike is just like completely perfect in these in these uh multi man settings. And while I wouldn't call it the best Twin Gate match that happened in Dragon Gate this year, it's one that really uh you know brought my attention back after you know a really rough um. You know, really most of the year for Dragon Gate. Really, really rough first half, honestly. And this was that one match from Kobe World where I was like, yeah, like I'm, I'm glad I made time for this because I was just over the moon about seeing Yamato and BB Hulk like firing on all cylinders like this. And, you know, the old Dragon Gate thing where you get like all the hope in the world for the young guys and then like the young guys just, just kind of sort of like stay where they are. <laughs> yeah. Big theme, um, and that was you said I have your seventy two higher, right? 
I th- yes. All right. That was, yeah. Osprey Eagles. Okay. Um, my 71 is, Matt, I'm not even sure you saw. Well, I, I think you saw it. Um, Zack Sabre Jr. versus Walter from Evolve 99. Oh, yeah. From early, yeah, like January. Yeah. yeah. Um, did not make my list, uh, even, even then, even before I totally fell off the wagon with Walter, um, wasn't terribly impressed with that one. So this is all you. Um, so like for me, I totally understand not being in love with this. Um, it's sort of like is, uh, almost, uh, quote unquote, like regressive, right? And I say yeah. quote unquote because it's like, it's still great because it's Walter and Zach. Like, like, sure. like there's a base level here. Um, for me, why I'm so into this is, you know, context. Zack Sabre Jr. had just wrestled Darby Yale the night before and per turned in what, like, to me, was like a career performance. Totally. And the fact that this guy goes from, like, being, like, this complete fucking dick to Darby in that match, you know, the embodiment of everything that I love about Zack Sabre Jr., this, like, complete cocky dismissive asshole that plays with that plays with his food to the next night he has to go back to be like oh shit walter's here and he sort of like has to completely switch up everything he did the next night because Mm -hmm. he can't just bully him he gets the shit kicked out of him he has to go back to being like you know 2015 2016 zach he has to be the baby face he has to fight from underneath and i think and it's sort of like what i um I was so high on Zach as like a potential like wrestler of the year caliber guy is that on two nights he was able to go from like having like a career performance against Darby to going up to like playing a completely different role the next night against Walter. And I get it. Like, you know, maybe it's not that hard, right? You know, you're going up against like two, like, you know, guys are like, you know, so like, like best in the world, like what they do, they're great wrestlers, but you have to go out there and like deliver your end at the end of the day. And Zack Sabre Jr. delivered like a completely different character. You know, I think that's what made it stick out for me. Even though it's not like, like as, um, it doesn't jump off the page the way like, um, Zack versus Walter from PWG did. Or the way Zack versus, um, Walter from like Progress in the same year like jumped off the page for me. It's just, just based off character and like how Zach was able to switch it up, I really found that admirable. And like Walter, who wasn't a evolved regular at this point and really didn't get the chance to become one at all in uh 2018, is that he feels like a complete monster just based off this match with Zach. After how Zach just completely destroyed Darby, Walter comes in and destroys Zach, and you're like, holy shit! Like we have a new force in Evolve now. I remember, uh, I'm not even sure if I necessarily think this is true or if it's just a false memory I created. I remember the crowd being sort of bad about this. Was that something you felt? Oh, yeah, totally, totally. It was, um, one of those crowds, like, weren't super invested. And again, like, coming off the same weekend as Zach versus Darby, which was in Laboom, it's like, it's like super noticeable. Um, but again, I totally get it. And it's like, it's the match where, um, I totally understand, like, where you just weren't super hot on um mm. like the like the Zach versus Walter stuff from 2018. At least at least this match I get it. And the and the, yeah. But we'll talk we'll, we'll talk about another one later. Yeah. Um so you can go ahead. Yeah, my 71 
was my favorite of a trio of matches that WWE decided to run this year, uh, being gauntlet matches. Uh, this is the uh, the number one contender's gauntlet from SmackDown. Daniel Bryan versus Rusev versus Big E Langston versus The Miz versus Samoa Joe. Uh, yeah, it didn't make my list, but I love like portions of this. Yeah, this was like... Um, I, I was going to like initially agree with you there, but like, I didn't love portions of this. I loved how this fit together as a whole. Like, um, I like gauntlet matches because like, they're an opportunity for some really cool booking. And, and this was like a great example of that. This was like a bunch of precise segments, like individual parts that, um, most of them were, uh, maybe not even most of them, but like some of them were very fleshed out. Some of them were very short, but all of them had a purpose. All of them had a very specific reason for being the way that they were. And they flowed together in a way that like uh, shed light on characters or um, the way that these characters are uh, uh, operating in this specific moment. Um, and it was, it was cool to see like, it was cool to see something like one of the most clever count out finishes that I've ever seen or to see a match that like, totally got me on board with like rusev having a pay-per-view title match like something i never thought i'd be able to say again um despite the fact that this is still laden with wwe bullshit like the fucking um uh what are they called the hammer homies the um, the bludgeon brothers fucking hammer, homies. <laughs> hammer, homies. hammer homies is the name i came up with <laughs> um the 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 bludgeon brothers coming in and like taking out brian for like no reason to spur like a tiny little feud that was nothing over the summer um like despite having a whole bunch of bullshit like that like this match still remains like one of the most um hardest hitting matches of the year like a match that like got me emotionally invested in somebody who like i didn't think i cared about anymore um and it did that with like several characters here and i thought i thought it was really impressive for that reason oh way better than the raw gauntlet match for one oh totally <laughs> way like it's not close <laughs> yeah way better but no like i loved love loved the daniel bryan Biggie portion of this uh-huh. and like the daniel bryan joe was like a re- like a revelation for how good that was and, you know the rule is you work better with your friends but still sure. it was like seeing joe have something of that caliber was like oh shit like yeah joe can still have something and then that you know and then like later on we get to see the aj stuff but like that like that was so great to see and i love uh, brian is <laughs> brian was incredible but it's like but but what but like what can you say about Brian though? It's like right. he went out there and like had these this like caliber of stuff with guys that you didn't think maybe has that caliber of stuff in them or has uh-huh. or have it in them anymore. Um, so my number seventy is a match I have no clue how you feel about. It is Mustache Mountain from Mustache Mountain Undisputed Era from NXT TV, July eleventh. Um. I think in the vaguest terms possible, I like this match. Um, but it's, uh, I don't know, it's something you should probably talk about first. Um, I think this is the stuff that made people, like, finally realize that, like, maybe Trent Seven is a good wrestler. And I don't think, and I don't think it did that for you, but it's like, (laughs) I'm someone that's always, like, said, like, you know, I get it. Like, you know, Tyler and Pete are like these like prodigy wrestlers. Sure. Uh But Trent seven, like obviously like holds some kind of like value here. He holds some kind of worth and he has like little things that like 
Pete and Tyler have not shown the ability to do yet. And I think this match was one of those things where I have at least till later on in the year, I hadn't seen Tyler Bate do anything like Trent did in this match, you know, completely, you know, strip himself and like, you know, it's, it's the old, um, role where, yeah, he doesn't get like the shine, but he gets the shine. He gets to sell and do the, do the prestige stuff and everyone gets to talk about how great of a seller he is. And then your partner comes in and does the hot tag. So they get the shine, but you also like got to like shine like a motherfucker in this. Yeah. Like you're not, you're not the one, you're not the one looking good, but the spotlight's on you. Right. And I thought Trent Seven was great for that role here. And eventually, um, when they got to NXT, uh, Brooklyn, I think, I believe it was, they switched it and they had bait in this role. And it was good, but I don't think it was as, um, compelling. It was like just as mechanically good, I would say, but it lacked the emotion. This was a genuine, genuine, like really hot crowd. And yeah, like the hottest crowd in NXT history, probably. Yeah. And it's fucking strange. Like it's inexplicable. Like you don't, yeah, like you sort of, <laughs> like you have, I mean, it's like, yeah, like Undisputed Era is really popular, but like, why are they so into Mustache Mountain? Why are they so into this, like, into this tag title match? It like, it's weird as fuck. At least to me, it is. But they play into it and like, it, like for certain helps this match. It is super heated. Um, the work here is great. I love, 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 love the, um, Roddy and Kyle O'Reilly iteration of Undisputed Era. I thought that was like a complete godsend and no one on earth would have like picked that out to work as well as it did, but it did. And those guys have amazing control segments together. Yeah. Kyle who can work the hold and that's like Kyle's bread and butter and then Roddy who's just like completely brutal and mean with his cutoff spots and Mm -hmm. that makes for a really fantastic heel team and Mustache Mountain are consummate baby faces and Trent Seven who you know looks like Tyler's you know out of shape dad or brother you know he he makes he makes for a sympathetic baby face here like Mm -hmm. you see like Tyler over there and you know that Tyler got the chance he could really do something to turn this match around. And then Trent is just like stuck in these leg locks throughout the entire match. And Trent just doesn't have it in him. And, you know, you can debate the finish about like, you know, it being dumb or whatever. Tyler, instead of like coming in to break up the submission, he just throws in the towel for his partner. And, you know, that, that depends on how much you believe in the, you know, baby faces being good guys and upholding the rules and stuff like that. And I I can totally see someone thinking that finish is dumb, but it, like it worked for me, and I really enjoyed watching this. I didn't go crazy for it the way a lot of people other did. A lot of other people did, you know, the best match of full sale history. Um, they going five stars on it, and all the and all that other stuff. Like it it didn't hit me on that level, but it was a really really awesome tag match that I was happy I made some time for. That's sort of how I describe it too. Like it, it didn't hit me on that level. Like I think, I think a lot of this was put together as well as this match could have in any in any scenario. Like you in any permutation, like this gets run a million times. I don't think it gets better than this. Like I don't think, I don't think Roddy and Kyle are any more well oiled than they are. I don't think Bait is any more explosive or endearing uh, uh, than he is here. And 
7 like um avoids a lot of like the the pitfalls that would come very naturally in this situation like he doesn't he doesn't like sit here and cry like kobashi like he doesn't he doesn't like um blubber the way that like Shawn michaels would. it is it, it, um, just really good selling like that's it like that's all he does it, well see that's like where we uh, 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 it's like yeah. i think it I, I think it's just like good selling i think it's like sort of a little above average selling um and he in in the fact that like he doesn't do all of this um overblown emotional stuff that i would have feared he would have done um in not doing that he sort of misses the emotional arc for me where it's like okay you're not being bad but you're not drawing me in here at all Mm. and it it just sort of ends up being like a better match than i usually see from him but like not enough to really hit it home so like in in like that's that should be a good thing i mean (laughs) like but but in in fairness though it's like how much could like Trent Seven have hit you emotion hit you emotionally? Because like like you said, he does sure. like it's like he doesn't do it here. You know, he doesn't go totally. overboard. But then if he did go overboard with like with like the histrionics, then it's like oh my. Then it could be something I hate. Right. <laughs> so it's like he's sort of in like a at least for you as a viewer, it's like sort of like a lose lose situation. Yeah, and and like along with that, like um, the little offense that he does do here is like kind of hit and miss like every every once in a while like he'll have like he he works around the fact that he's got a bum leg like has to use all this like mix misdirection all this clever thinking to like work around these two smaller faster stronger guys um but he also then does like like an awful dragon suplex Mm. or like his rainmaker that i never enjoy and really didn't enjoy here uh and it's it's just like a little stuff like that where he he isn't he isn't as awful as I usually think he is in this match. And in some ways he's really good, but it, it didn't, maybe it's another expectations thing. Like again, like Dave gave this five stars and people were raving about it. People I didn't think would be raving about it for that matter. Um, but like it didn't live up to the expectations for me. And it, you're, you're totally right in that it probably never could have, but I don't know. In the end, I'm just sitting here going like, oh, that was cool. That was good. That was like better than I thought it would have been. Which really, which really is like, like as best as it could have gone for you. Yeah. That's a victory, truly. Mm. Um, that, and I guess it's 69 for you, right? No, I, uh, we're on 70 for me. Okay. Uh, you were ahead of which me. is, which is, uh, Timothy Thatcher facing Speedball Mike Bailey in WXW's Ambition 9 Finals. Uh, yeah, it didn't make it for me. First of all, like, this is just, like, a cool matchup. Like, this is a matchup that had only happened once before and never in a single set. Oh, yeah, like, we like we were begging for this. Totally. Like, this was this was something that I was looking forward to, um, and it, um, it probably wasn't, like, as, like, uh, explosively or technically thrilling as we could have hoped, um, but it was a match that I found very impressive because, once again, it was, it was a great example of Thatcher being able to work with anybody in any situation, um, being able to, um, feel, feel like a guy having his big baby face moment, like getting this title or getting this tournament win in this tournament that like is the reason he's in WXW in the first place, like finally achieving that, um, and not feeling like a huge heel when he's achieving that by destroying Speedball Mike Bailey, by destroying like this cute canadian boy scout 
Um, and I, and I thought that was like terribly impressive on top of this, just being a great match between these two, like doing all the sorts of stuff that they, um, that they do that I love, uh, in, in a shootier setting than usual that also, uh, is very well attuned to my tastes. Um, but like, first and foremost, I just thought that this was like such an impressive Thatcher performance. Oh yeah, it completely is. And again, like goes back to like in the last couple of years, like Thatcher has proven that he can work with anybody and like mm-hmm. fully invest and adapt or that he have to adapt. Like his style does fit anywhere. And I think, especially in an ambition setting, like, you know, there wasn't much that had to be changed up here because it's an easy story to tell. Like Thatcher is much mm-hmm. more, um, um, catch and, um, it's very physical. Yeah, very physical. Um, I can't, I wouldn't really say, um, BJJ inspired, but like, you know, like more cat, more catch, Billy Robinson esque stuff uh-huh. versus Speedball, who's like a Taekwondo, the Taekwondo guy. So it's like, it's an easy styles clash and something that was like already like interesting on paper. And you just get really good performances from both these guys. Um, get, I mean, the guys I would say are probably like, the, like, were probably like the best guys of that 16 karat weekend. Uh huh. Um, my next match is Kota Ibuchi versus Tomohiro Ishii from the G1 Climax on July 28th. Um, nah, this, this did not make my list. Huh, really? I, I maybe, maybe it was just Simon and it wasn't you that was like going crazy yeah. for the throat punch. Uh, Simon and Evan both were big into that. Um, and I thought it was great. Uh, but, uh, I don't know. You go ahead. I mean, like, I don't love it that way either. Like, sure. For a lot of people, like me having like Kota Ibushi versus Ishii at like 60, uh, 69 is like, what the fuck? Nice. Yeah, like, it's like nice, first of all, but like, what the <laughs> fuck? Like, that's really, that's really low. Sure. And I mean, like, I don't know. Like, it's just a really good match to me. It's really good. Mm-hmm. It's really fun. It's awesome. It's like, you know, the, spe- you know, the special feeling that you get from G1 matches. And, I totally get why it is special to some people, but for me, it was just, yeah, Kota Ibushi and Tomohiro Ishii are two of the best wrestlers in the world, and they had a really good match. Like, I don't think, I don't think it felt like completely different than anything in the tournament, which is like something, which is like a, a point I think I saw people make, which is like, sure. it just, this felt like so much more violent and mean and, um, all that stuff. And, on some level, I get it, but like I feel like people do also kind of say that because throat punch. Like mm. I feel like people do kind of like let that one spot go. Like look, look at how mean this match was. It's like yeah, it's a really mean match, but like for example, like I don't think this match is as like is as like really mean and petty and personal as like Omega versus Naito is, which I think is like king petty bullshit. Like, this match is just, like, these guys hit each other really hard. And that's Hmm. awesome, but, like, I only got so much mileage out of that. And it's not to say I didn't enjoy the shit out of it. It's, like, the 69th best match that happened in 2018 when I watched, like, you know, well over, like, a thousand or so matches. So, I enjoyed the shit out of it. It's just, like, you know, it's really fun more than, wow, I can't believe what I just saw. Yeah, um... And I and I'd, I'd probably describe it in a similar way, uh, maybe less so even. Like it, it was something I enjoyed, but it was um it was another victim of like, um, 
I guess you'd just describe it as like a sort of malaise that I fell into in 2018 where it was just like things that once felt really special to me stopped feeling special. Um, and in particular, uh, Walter was the example of that. And we'll talk about that throughout the rest of this podcast. Um, uh, but also Tomohiro Ishii, like a guy who I was like slowly sliding out of favor with over the years. Um, and this is like a good example of that where it was like, there were, there were a couple Ishii matches throughout the year that I really enjoyed. Um, more than I thought I would have. Uh, but it was it was this one and how it related to like a, a period of time in which I loved Ishii and I loved his match with Kuro Ibushi back in 2014 and how special that felt once upon a time and how that feeling no longer exists in me. Like this, this rematch no longer like instills any specific emotion in me. Um, and it, it's it, maybe it's just one of those things where it's just like I came into it thinking like shit like this doesn't feel like a big deal anymore um and knowing that it was gonna have like this one crazy spot that I was supposed to be over the moon about um which was good and it, and I really enjoyed it and like the match mechanically is fine but it just it didn't uh it didn't light my world on fire the way that uh once upon a time it would have I mean and like, and like the reality is it's like you know, when, as Tomohiro Ishii is like, you know, getting put in more prominent spaces because he's like super uh-huh. popular. It's like uh-huh. it's, because of those matches that I like. Exa- like. It's because of that stuff. It's like okay, like he's no longer like you know this lovable underdog, uh-huh. like which is like a big part of the appeal of that kind of character. And I think when it's like it's hard to like get back. You know, it's like the Hanma thing where people wanted Hanma push for so long, and then when totally. Hanma got pushed, it's like, oh yeah, like we don't like him winning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So my number sixty-eight. I'm not. Ah uh, no, well, we uh, we're skipping over my nicest match of the year. Oh, you're right. My bad, man. Go ahead. Uh, which is um my only Becky Lynch match of the night. Uh, which is Team Ginger Snaps, the team of Becky Lynch and Sami Zayn, took it on Team Little Big, Alexa Bliss and Braun Strowman <laughs> in the original Mixed Match Challenge tournament. Yeah. Okay, uh, this uh, is this didn't this, is, this didn't make your list, right? I didn't see any of the Mixed Match Challenge, but like Jesus Christ, this is like way more than a vanity pick. <laughs> no, I I don't think that's fair. I I know it's not. I'm fucking with you because because <laughs> this match this match is like all the things I love. Like this match is like four charismatic people just like shooting the shit, jawing at each other a whole bunch, um, doing precious little in the way of like quote unquote wrestling. Despite the fact that I think this constitutes wrestling as much as anything does, as much as like fucking Canadian destroyers and hammer locks and whatnot. Um, uh, but it's, it's characters interacting with each other, um, in an interesting way that like, um, relies both on like their differing ideologies as well as like the nature of this tag match being a mixed tag match in wwe wherein um there's uh hard strict gender boundaries um and so like watching Sami Zayn, who's a heel at this point tagging with a, a face becky lynch and like trying to prop her up and be like yeah you can go kick alexa bliss's ass and and she goes in there and then bliss who's a heel and sees what Sami's trying to do tagging out to braun and forcing sammy to come in and and deal with uh deal with what he's wrought um just a whole bunch of little shit like that and these characters like working together and trying to overcome their bullshit was just so fucking fun to watch like um alexa's also a heel at this point i mentioned that um she does like a lot in this match to like 
stand up for herself in a way she never does in her singles matches. Like, specifically refuses to tag out to Braun and, like, stands up to Becky, who is, like, especially at this point, not especially, like, higher than her on the card. Is, like, somebody who's, like, shouldn't be giving her as much trouble as she does. And watching watching a heel try to, like, get better in the ring and push themselves harder to overcome an obstacle in a way that didn't feel cheap, that didn't feel phony, and instead was, like, incredibly endearing, I loved that. And this match is full of shit like that. Hmm. So, like, I didn't see it. I didn't see any of the mixed match challenge stuff. <laughs> I think I think you saw. I think you watched both of them, didn't you? Uh no. I, I I watched a little bit of this one, and then I didn't see anything in the second one. Oh, okay, 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 okay. I thought you were like all in on the mixed match challenge. Nah. <laughs> it, like on paper, I, I would, but like the teams they put together were pretty trash. Mm. Uh, Especially with the second one. The second one, like they flip people in and out so. Much. Yeah, that was weird. For sixty-eight. I have Darby Allen versus Jeff Cobb from PWG Bola Night 2. Uh, this did not make my list, but um, I think you made the prediction that I would enjoy it a lot, and I did. Mm. Um, like, there's nothing more to say other than, like, complete ragdolling. Like, uh-huh. and that's really, you know, really, like, you know, on paper, like, the Darby Allen story, right? Is that the Darby Allen... It's just going to get ragdolled all the fucking time. And I don't think, no, like there's, there's matches where he like gets a shit kicked in on a significant level where he's not exactly a ragdoll. He's just like, like a, like just poor, poor baby face. <laughs> but uh-huh. right here, Jeff Cobb just throws this man all around. And I'm, I, I had the prediction coming into Bola that this is going to be like, the match of the tournament and you know you know there, there's something to be said there about people like you know penciling in ratings before they even watch a match right but like the match has to deliver and for me like yo this match exactly like delivered exactly how i thought it would and like the like the live reports coming out of it where people were like holy shit like that match was great and for darby's pwg debut i thought that this guy left a hell of an impression and something that i always thought he would do when he got when when he got the opportunity, and it's a really mean Jeff Cobb, it's a dismissive Jeff Cobb. Like he like almost relishes throwing Darby around the way he does. Like this is fun for him. This is sport. This is like, like <laughs> this is like, um, uh, what the fuck? Oh my god, I did this sport discus. Like, 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 like I did this. Like it's, it's almost like like discus for him like just like seeing like if he could outdo himself like on how far he can throw darby around the ring and there isn't like so much to say here it's like there's nothing like poetic and flowery to say here it's just like super fucking fun to watch like superhuman strong jeff cobb throw this 130 pound man that's generous (laughs) Um, but that's it i I, I think you enjoyed it but i don't think you got much to say yeah like it was just it was fun like i have a lot of i have a lot of frustrations with darby but when he's just getting smashed in matches it's it's usually when i enjoy him the most and this was a good example of that Mm. uh so my 68 was a match i think you mentioned earlier it's the first of two uh versions of this matchup to show up on my list and it's the the astronauts takuya nomura and fuminori abe taking on the team of hideki suzuki and daisuke sekimoto in a big japan tag match from may Mm, i had uh august match 
you had the August one? Okay. Um, so this is the first of their two meetings throughout the year. Um, and unsurprisingly, it is short and sweet and basically a squash. Uh, as the two big heavyweight dudes in New Japan, or in Big Japan, I'm sorry, uh, totally fucking stomp the adorably named astronauts. Um, but my adorably named tag team boys are incredibly good at riling up bigger, stronger, more experienced opponents and then holding their own. And so in the short little five minute match or so, um, they do everything they can to beat the snot out of the bigger dudes and get stomped down in return. And it's great. Like, it's just, it's the best kind of wrestling and it's a good portent for things to come, which we'll talk about later. Mm. All right. My number 67 is Loki versus Phoenix from MLW September 6. Uh, I watched this and was not, I liked it, but I was not terribly impressed with it. Mm, okay. Um, out of curiosity, are you, are you someone that like still like really like loves Loki? Sure. Like, um, I've had a difficult relationship with Loki over my fandom. Um, back when I was a little more involved with wrestling, uh, I hated how unprofessional he was, uh, but as I got further and further away from that, and my taste as a fan changed as well, um, I grew to appreciate him a lot. Um, but he's never been a guy I've, like, capital L loved. Mm, okay. Um, well, this is, like, the only Phoenix match from uh, 2018 that I liked, that I liked a lot. Um, sure. You know, Phoenix is a guy that... Um, I, I, I know you like the ACH match, and that's probably going to be on your list. Uh-huh. Um, but for me, Phoenix is at his best when he gets to just like be a baby face and like, you know, like, like straight up baby face and not in the way yeah. of like, you know, I'm going to watch him like go fly around and stuff. Like Phoenix can sell. Phoenix is really good at selling. Phoenix is like really good at like, you know, wobbling around and being loopy and, you know, having blood pouring out of his face and like, you know, looking lost. Like Phoenix is great at that. And- yeah. He's really good at looking lost. <laughs> Real Kota Ibushi eyes. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> but, like, Phoenix is great at that stuff. And that's what I always want out of Phoenix. That's what I think Phoenix is at his best at. And uh, right here is a lot of that. It's the most dangerous Loki has felt in God knows how long. You know, he um he sure. finally dished the Hitman gear. Uh, which was, like, I was ecstatic to see. But, like, it's super mean. Super mean performance from Loki. Um... The blood here was was like unexpected, but like you know, Loki plays into it. You know, going after the cut, wiping the blood on his chest. You know, Loki feels really, really like dangerous here, and I think that's why, or that's what I always want out of Loki. And that when Loki doesn't give that to me, I feel disappointed by his matches because I know Loki is like incredibly talented. Loki has barely lost a step athletically in the last few years. Totally, yeah. Despite the fact that like he's taken like such a step back mm. in his schedule, like you and he's just getting much older. Like you would think he would, he would like be a shell of his former self, but he he truly is. Yeah, like this. Like I, I might not love his matches, but like the athletic stuff is still completely there. Like I can't deny that. And right here is like the best total package Loki performance I've seen in like God knows how long. Like it might be well over ten years since I've seen a Loki that was this good, like, on an all-around level. And that was fun to see. And, like, um, it was MLW, so, like, 
there's like little things about it that like I don't love, right? Like I don't love sure. I don't love the commentary. <laughs> like it's it's always always gonna be a barrier for me. Like getting told by Timothy that like the way the match worked out, like as far as like the actual work in it, and then like the build like didn't match up at all, and like you know like that kind of stuff is like is gonna like ring in my mind. But you know like what happened, what they did in between the ropes was fucking great, and it was one of the more uh, pleasant surprises of 2018 for me. Yeah, like, I, I don't know, I thought, like, despite only being, like, 15 minutes long, um, I thought it somehow managed to be kind of dull for long stretches of time, and um, there were also, like, some stuff from, um, stuff from Phoenix that I didn't enjoy, like, him, him doing, like, his goofy springboards, um, like, not even just, like, doing a dive or something, but, like, doing, like, that, that thing where he, like, kips up off the top rope to do an arm drag, you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. It's doing like stuff like that in the middle of like this bloodbath with Loki, you know, which is like this. <laughs> that feels inappropriate. Um, and eventually, it comes down to a to a, a mask pulling finish, which felt kind of cheap, especially with like how this whole thing was going. And, and it was just like a, a bunch of little issues like that. But I mean, this still had tons of great stuff in it. Tons of like Phoenix at his best is really good, and this is like phoenix getting pretty close to that and loki was like really strong in here and like there's plenty of fun dives plenty of like really mean strikes like some blood like it's like it's it's not awful in any sense it was just like yeah um so you can go ahead with your 67 my 67 is a match that i alluded to earlier um and i'm interested to see how you uh, react to my description of it. It's a uh, the Calamari Catch Kings, Chris Brooks and Jonathan Gresham facing Aussie Open, Mark Davis and Kyle Fletcher at Rev Pro's Summer Sizzler 2018. You said Gresham, you said Gresham and Brooks, right? So this is the Summer Sizzler match. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah, all right. Yes. Does it make my list? 2018 in a lot of ways was like me uh, doubling down on the shit that I loved, um, and one of those things is tag team wrestling. Uh, I absolutely adore tag team wrestling. If a genie came to me and was like, Hey, you can only ever watch singles wrestling or tag team wrestling for the rest of your life. I would take tag team wrestling every single time. Um, I, I, I think it's way more interesting and it has way more opportunity to be interesting than singles matches ever do. Um, and, uh, despite the fact that I think most of the world just has no fucking regard for them. I think they managed to be like really fun. Um, and this is a great example of that. This was, uh, not Gresham's first match back in Europe. Like he had a couple FCP tours before this, but this felt like, especially in regards to like the the rea- the reaction he gets here from the Bethnal Green crowd, um, this felt like his homecoming, and he really puts on a performance here that I adored. Like being what you were talking about earlier, being sort of like this kid Lycos uh, version of Gresham, where he's being um, a shithead trickster. And using all of his skills to uh, work around larger opponents and uh, befuddle them and piss them off and then scamper out of the ring every time they go to swing at him. And putting together like a 20 minute match with that and then three other guys who I love to see in a tag team environment and eventually watching Gresham get his shit pushed in with like a couple of the craziest pile drivers I've ever seen. It was a delightful thing start to end. Um, I think, I think like having talked to you about like the whole Lyco situation, I think I understand why this wouldn't have made your list, but um, I'm interested to hear what you say. Actually, no, this one is good to me because it doesn't turn into that, right? Is that 
it doesn't feel like Gresham leans into the antics that way. And I mean, that's a great Kyle Fletcher performance too, which is like another, another thing sure, I really love about it. And it's, you know, really a big of like, like, you know, the, really the Chris Brooks versus Aussie open view that happened in like uh-huh. 2018 is that like consist- consistently it's just like really good matches when Chris Brooks is on the opposite sides of those guys. But no, like this is a match I really loved. It's, like definitely the best of the um European run that Gresham had for me. Um Yeah. It it was a bit grandiose. Like, you know, it's uh a lot of like gets really kick out heavy, gets mm. real um, you know, epic feeling. And I can't say that I that it came across as unwarranted because it's like Gresham has has been on his roll in twenty eighteen. Like Coming totally. off of this, coming off of the um, lethal series, and people just like really taking notice of how good Gresham has been, and this guy that like really cut his teeth in um, in Europe, now getting to come back as sort of like this like conquering hero, especially you know to fill in in this tag team that he helped um, well, this this brand really that he helped create in CCK, mm-hmm. getting to come back and like relish in that in front of um. This York, this York Hall crowd. I can't say that like this, like how kick out heavy or how long it goes that it feels like unnecessary, which is like a really big compliment I can give it. Sure. So speaking of Jonathan Gresham, my number 66 is Jonathan Gresham versus Timothy Thatcher from Nova Pro July 28th. I'm going to have this uh, considerably higher than you. So instead, we can talk about a match you brought up earlier. That's B-Boy defending the Solid Steel Championship against Daniel Makabe at a 3-2-1 Battles Battle Rumble early in the year. Yeah, and I had that at 85. Um, this is like... Say what you will about the Thatcher match in 2017, but this was like Makabe's um, coming out party in 2018. Like the... The, the match that proved to a lot of people that that Thatcher match wasn't just a fluke. Yeah. Um, and that he could also play a completely different character and succeed in that role. Um, and it was also like a really cool, uh, a really cool look at like B-Boy's quiet resurgence, this like late career renaissance that he's having um, with this, this uh, really mean, uh, but sort of sloppy technical match uh, that builds in a really cool way where um b-boy like tries to block a drop kick in the corner i think and like puts his hands up to protect his face very naturally and it like fucks up his hand um and they use that to segue into hand work instead of doing something as cliched as like the the chop into the ring post or something um and watching dan who i think is marvelous like work over this guy's hand and watching people who i think is like an awesome veteran like a guy who's who's always been able to use the um the steamboat the steamboat the steamboat rule to great effect like watching that unfold for 15 20 ish minutes was like super fun um it's it, they sort of falter here and there especially with something like the finish which is uh, probably a little too fancy for its own good but it was like really great to see to see a friend of mine um like totally kill it and to continue this momentum that he had coming out of 2017 and to watch him do it with a guy who I've, I've really loved forever and who I'm glad to see is still killing it here in 2018. Yeah. It's like one, a reminder that like B-Boy can still be really great and like a perennially under, under underappreciated guy from his generation. Uh But like, you know, like I said, the big thing here is like Dan proving that 
that 2017 Thatcher match wasn't a fluke. Like, this match proved that to a lot of people, and, and initially, um, before that, if you were, um, following Dan, like, you were over 321, like, if you were interested in it, like, he had the Scott Henson match, um, a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks ago, that at least for me was like, okay, like, Dan, like, Dan is keeping this up. And then we, and then there's the B-Boy match a couple of weeks later, and like, Dan is like even better in it. Like Dan is like so focused in it. Like they build to the spots really well. When Dan eventually gets to like his big baseball punch, it's like one of the one of my favorite spots of the year. Um, and B Boy celebrating it too. So by the time I get to the end of January, I'm like, yeah, holy shit! Like Daniel Magabe might be onto something. And this match is like a real pivotal key in that. And I'm glad it is something that wound up on both both our lists. Uh. He said, like, I'm surprised, like, certain stuff that Dan did didn't make it both of us, like, the, like, say, like, the Alex Zane match, you know, mm-hmm. being something that I really love that didn't make it for you. But, you know, I think that speaks to Dan Jeer, which we can get into. Like, he has, he, yeah. like, he has a lot of stuff that, like, if, like, if anyone, like, some people can have, like, a whole bunch of different favorite Dan matches. <laughs> uh huh. Like, he, he did, he did so much. Um, he did so much like varied stuff with like a whole bunch of different cast of characters. And, and like, it's, it's the sort of thing where like, I wouldn't look sideways at anybody saying like, Oh, this, this match that I personally didn't enjoy. Like this is, this is his best match of the year. Like he, he just really killed it. Mm. Um, so my 65 is, um, a match you mentioned earlier is Rincon versus JFK from WXW dead end 17. Cool. Cool. Um, uh, you go ahead on this one then. Um, I love nothing more than spunky <laughs> young guys going up against some people who are going to hit them hard and make them pay uh-huh. for their insolence. And uh-huh. this has that in spades. Um, yep. Jay Skillet is desperate to prove that he belongs, especially since he, um, just recently came back to WXW. And this newly founded JFK tag team is looking to make their mark. And they're aiming for the heads of the big, like the big bads of WXW and Rinkoff. And, you know, they're in way over their heads, but like, you want to see these guys succeed. You want to see Francis and Jay succeed here. You know, this like, you know, you know, like the, you know, the whole, your arms are too short to box with God thing, but God, like these guys are so compelling. And, it's like Walter and Thatcher almost feel disrespected being in the ring with these guys. They're like, what? Well, that's, that's how this all comes apart. Like even more than this, just being like an awesome ass kicking match. Like, I love the story of this thing with like ring coming to these guys and being like, Hey, we think you guys deserve a title shot. So like, what do you say? And, and skillet specifically being like, no, like this feels, this feels like a cheap, title victory for you guys or you're trying to offload the titles onto us when walter is going on and doing main event stuff like fuck you we're gonna keep here in the undercard and cutting our teeth and getting better until we can eventually beat you mm. and walter and thatcher like take real umbrage with that and are like no fuck you you're having this match anyway, and we're gonna kill and, you. and jay also slaps <laughs> walter i'm pretty sure and like you know in, in that yeah. promo and it's like that's the thing is like Jay is has always been like the catalyst for like a lot of the personality. Whether it was like the like uh-huh. the early spunkiness and like 
you know, in your face nature of like wanting to prove themselves of like the, like the heel turn that happens later on. It's like always uh. been Jay as the catalyst for it. And that's something I'm like really proud of Jay, like accomplishing is that Jay didn't have that personality back when he first showed up. Like Jay is like really developed into being like almost like a glue character in WXW. And right here in this ring conf match, just like the intensity in which like him and Walter go at it is like, so good like almost like like if walter it's like it's like if walter got a singles match with jay you'd almost like be uncomfortable because it's like you know walter wants to fucking kill this kid and obviously like we only get like limited portions of that because there's four people in this match and everyone is going in and out but like it's so and they're specifically they're specifically trying to keep walter out of the ring yeah good strategy it's like a good it's a good strategy tag team match, yeah. which like feel again feels like rarer and rarer these days mm, it's super fun and i i again like for for the most part it's like really inconsequential for like to like everything that happened in 2018 but again if you're just someone that wants to watch something that's like really good solid wrestling on a base level like you you, you could do like way worse than watch this match <laughs> totally uh, so that was your 65, I believe. Yeah. My 65 is coming at us from Big Japan once again. It's Masashi Takeda defending the deathmatch title against Abdullah Kobayashi at Endless Survivor 2018. Yeah, I never saw this. Um, How many of those uh, Takeda matches did you see? Um, I saw, mo- I saw most of it, I would say. The only matches I, I would say I missed are like the end of the reign and this. Okay. Um, I like Takeda a lot. Uh, his, his wild surge in popularity in 2018 was kind of weird to witness as a longtime fan and as somebody who's been a longtime Deathmatch fan, clearly, uh, and who finds it very odd that these people who I couldn't have talked to about this six months ago are now super into this shit. <laughs> um, uh, but like, part of that whole process was like, not being as into Takeda's highly regarded matches as other people were especially his uh his june match with um uh with asami kadaka a guy who i've had issues with for a very long time um but this match is like a good example of like what i would prefer like something that's a little uh a little slower a little more deliberate and also features like uh, an opponent who I think is like actually endearing, uh, an opponent who I think is an interesting character, an opponent I can get behind, uh, whether or not he's actually like the sympathetic underdog in this match. And Abby has basically played that character his entire career and is phenomenal at it. And watching him do this uh, like 20 years into his career is still like the craziest thing in the world, especially because he's, because <laughs> he's doing shit that like blows my mind. Like these superplexes off the top rope into beds of nails, like just like the fucking zaniest spots of the year that, that I couldn't imagine even in any other Takeda match. Um, and that's like, that's what this one gave me. It gave me like, not just the crazy bullshit, of death matches like the blood and gore and whatnot but it also gave me like people i cared about uh which is which is not something i could say in a lot of these other matches mm. so i haven't seen it and so i really liked takeda's uh uh 2018 run like i said i wasn't like you said i wasn't really into that um asami kadaka match the way that everybody else was but a lot of his um uh less praise stuff or you know 
a little um you know low key as as low key as a deathmatch can be stuff um I did I did wind up enjoying so I I, I could definitely go back and uh give this a watch because I do enjoy Abby from time to time. <laughs> um, my number sixty four is Doctor Cerebro versus Ricky Marvin from IWRG March twenty fifth. Is this the Apuestas match? Yeah, it is. Okay, um, you go ahead on this one then. Um, so like to be perfectly honest, it's like while it's an Apuestas match, it's hair versus hair. So sure, it's only like like it's, it's this only feels so important, right? Totally. And so like keeping like so keeping in mind that this doesn't have like super high stakes relatively like it really is just based off like how good like how good the work in it work is in this match for me like uh-huh. i really just love how great these guys work together and it's something where um their first two or first first match or whatever i think i'm gonna have four matches right i want to say it was four yes yeah so the first two i would say like more anything to write home about, especially like that first one in particular, um, is kind of like uneventful. But by the last two matches, they really wound up stepping it up, and it becomes some of like my the, like some of my favorite stuff I've seen in Lucha in some time. Even if it's not like getting like these super high um rankings for me, is just because like getting like committed limb selling in Lucha like isn't something that we get like super often. Totally. It's um like really rare um the only person that i've seen do it on a regular basis like as weird as it sounds is like angel de oro so see <laughs> sure. yeah, like, like genuinely <laughs> yeah um so seeing it done and like it'd be like be like the story of matches in mexico is like super interesting to me and you know i really enjoy that aspect of it uh it's two older guys just going out there and wrestling a really uh, Matt-oriented style that I'm very into. It's a lot of smart stuff. It's a lot of neat stuff. It's a lot of little stuff. And so if you're a fan of that stuff and you appreciate it and you are fine with something being a little bit slower, you know, <laughs> if you're someone that likes Tajiri matches in all Japan, like, you'll probably, like, you'll, like, you'd probably, like, you'd probably like this stuff. Like, sure. it's, it's really, it's really enjoyable. And, as I said, otherwise, in the, in the place, to, in the place of setting, I'd be talking about, like, the stakes and, like, all that. But, like, it's, it's Cerebro and Ricky Marvin, like, this is hair versus hair. Like, it's, a, there's only so many stakes. That's, yeah, that's sort of, like, why this fell short for me was, like, um, this didn't quite have like the drama and the intensity, the energy of uh, of the Apoistus matches that I really do enjoy. Um, and instead, it had like focused arm work that I thought was like sold sort of poorly, like a whole bunch of like um, shout selling from Cerebro, especially. Then um, also had like a whole bunch of the indiorific shit that I hate to see in Lucha Libre, like um, like those uh, those spots where like somebody kicks you and you throw that person's leg to the referee to hold and then you do like a flatliner or something. <laughs> yeah, Ricky Marvin, Ricky like Marvin a, did a lot of that. Yeah, and it's just like, I hate to see that, especially when it follows like what is an actually interesting and an actually intense brawl to begin the match. Like it, it, I hated to see this like slide further and further into something that I was just not interested in seeing. But I mean, it started well. 
and and I really appreciated that like the first five ten minutes of this thing. Mm. So I get it. And look, did you like the um match before the um replaced us, or did you like? Well, did you like any of their um matches really? I'm pretty sure I watched all four of them, but I only really have memory of the second one because I also reviewed that one. Um, and it was just like a real short little thing that was, that was much more brawl intensive that I enjoyed. Mm. Uh, but it, but it like obviously didn't get to build to be like the big thing that they were eventually shooting for. Mm. Um, so that was my 64. Uh, all right. Go ahead. Next up, I've got Yukio Sakaguchi taking on Harashima in the King of DDT quarterfinals. Oh. Okay, yeah, you and Simon are like in love with this. Uh-huh. Uh, this, this I thought, this I thought was super good. It, like it, it hit on all the stuff that I like about these two. Um, Sakaguchi comes in hot, guns blazing, like a role. Um, uh, son of Seiji Sakaguchi, legendary New Japan guy, uh, role like shooty boy. Um, comes in, tries to kick Harashima's head off, and Harashima's like, "Whoa, Nelly!" and event uh, like very quickly takes it to the mat in order to try to get a hold on things and and ease into it a little more. Um, and Sakaguchi isn't a, a slouch on the mat either, and he gets to hang with Harashima, a guy who's like especially great technically. Um, but he's very much like he's very much not in his element there, um, and so when he gets to find his feet again and both men are sort of exhausted from rolling around with each other for like 10 minutes, basically like he initiates another big striking change in it. And it leads this match to just becoming the two of them beating the shit out of each other with kicks. Um, and so like start to finish, it's like a whole bunch of stuff that I like from these two just offensively as well as like, um, building, like building, laying that out in a match to build to a, satisfying and conclusive finish without it feeling like okay this is the part where we kick now like it, it felt like there was actually escalation from point to point to point and i really appreciated that mm. I, I, I really liked it but it didn't hit me nearly as hard um so i don't have a ton to say but it was super fun and you no know, i really should have expected that you guys would like be head over heels for this yeah um my number 63 is Masaki Mochizuki versus Ben K from Dragon Gate March 4th. Uh watched this and enjoyed it, but it did not make my list. Um Wait, which one is this? This Neither neither one of these versions made my list, but is this the title match or not? This title match, yeah. Um This is on my list because he said so as much as I um enjoy Ben K um in situations, I he like I don't think Ben K was ready for sure. a dream game match, but you know, you got to throw somebody in there. And I felt like Masaki Mochizuki was just otherworldly good in this. Um, this guy just continues to have like, you know, match after match every year that reminds you like, you know, as old as he gets, you know, going on 50, um, yeah. that this guy can still carry matches. This guy can give guys career performances and, um, for something that was sort of like a filler title defense, um, having on, having on, happening on a smaller show, um, I really enjoyed this. It gets hurt by being single cam, which was um a lot, of, right, which, yeah. which was like a lot of the Dragon Gate stuff um at the time was um single cam and like still is, and like you know for a dream for a dream game match like this really hurts. But like I love Mochizuki in this, and I thought he'd make Ben K look like a million bucks. And uh-huh. I don't have a ton to say about it because, like, Ben K doesn't do enough on his end 
to for me to point out like anything like no like notable yeah. notable he did, but like Mochizuki just so fucking great in this. Yeah, this was like sort of a, dif- a disappointment considering that uh, the lead up into this was like Ben K squashing Mochizuki in like a two man yeah. match in <laughs> in, uh, in the now. Uh, the now closed Hakata Star Lanes, um, which was like a really impressive showing from him. Like a guy who's like always been pretty good, but who who had never really pushed up to that next level. And it felt like this was going to be it. And it sort of turned out not to be true. Um, but yeah, like Mochizuki was killer in this. Like he had a couple of matches, a couple of Dreamgate matches this year that were like that, where he was just like proving, hey, maybe there's a reason why Dragon Gate always stuck with the old guys. Yeah, and then like, it, it was just like necessary for the time, like in a st- in a yeah. state of turmoil. Like Masaki Mochizuki and his Dreamgate title matches were like like the only sure thing in the company. Totally. Uh, so we can go ahead though. Uh, so next up is a match that you're going to have higher than me. It's Zeus defending the Triple Crown Championship against Kento Miyahara in uh, All Japan's Big Yokohama Show in October. I'm going to cut that a lot higher. That'll be part three. All right. Uh, so. Are we now moving on to 62? Yeah. Okay. So we're going to talk about Snooty Fox taking on Eric Royal in a big old street fight in CWF Mid-Atlantic in March. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Your Snooty Fox matches. I love Snooty, man. Like, this um, uh, This is like a sentimental favorite because uh, we all know what happened with CWF in 2018 and their eventual, like... Uh, slide slow slide into uh monotony and irrelevance um and this is like this wasn't like the last cwf match that i enjoyed we had we had a trevor defense after this one that i really liked um and there's like a chet sterling match out there that i need to see still um but this was like to me this was like the last great stuff that cwf is probably going to put out uh, for me, at the very least, and what better way than to have like two of my guys going at it in um in this fun little Chapel Hill street fight, wherein Eric Royal is like being the biggest shithead in the world and and riling up Snooty Fox's hometown crowd, um and uh beating the shit out of him all around this entire rec center and having Snooty return the same and and fighting up and down. Uh, basketball courts and pickup trucks and in and out of the ring and just doing all sorts of dumb bullshit um, that ev- occasionally gets like really kind of gross. Like there's a, there's a couple of spots like late in the match with a steel chair that are actually like surprisingly violent for, um, for a Snooty Fox match, frankly. Um, and it, and eventually it ends with Snooty like getting his big win over Eric Royal after everything that happened in 2017. And that was like a lot of fun to see. Um, and it was just fun to see like, okay, like this is probably going to be the last match that I love from this promotion. And it, and it totally delivered what I wanted out of it. Uh, my number 62 is Kento Miyahara versus Namichi Marafuji from all Japan pro wrestling April 30th. And it is the champions carnival final. Oh, okay. I didn't see this one. Um, no, I'm in a minority here of for people that like watched and liked this stuff, and that I like their title match more. But I like oh no, I okay. yeah, but but I like their um, well, I like them for similar reasons. Uh, one is I think Kento is is really really awesome here, um, selling, and 
that's one of that's what I took away most from Kento's um twenty eighteen is like how well he sold in distress, how well he sold when his back was against the wall. And he really sold the idea of a loss well. And I think he did that well against, you know, in his um little program with Zeus and his program with uh Marafuji here. Marafuji comes in looking like an absolute buzzsaw. And it's the kind of vulnerability that has um defined Kento when facing outsiders. It's the vulnerability he had against Daisuke Sakimoto. It's the vulnerability he had against Shuji Ishikawa. It's the vulnerability he has here against Marafuji. Is that when Kento sort of faces an unknown, it's always him at his weakest. And right here, he's going up against this guy that has this wild offense and throws strikes all over the place. And Kento just didn't have an answer for it. And it was a more focused Marafuji than we've gotten accustomed to um, than the la- in the last few years. Um, sure. More driven. You know, what's the biggest spot he's been in? Um, or one of the biggest spots he's been in um, in the last few years. I would say second to uh, his uh, Okada uh, title shot that he got in 2016. But it's a big deal for him to come in and to, to win a champion's carnival. And he wrestles like it. And I love how driven Marafuji wrestles this match. He wrestles it um, very urgently. And I just love Kento selling here. And maybe for me, that's like the most um, underappreciated aspect of Kento is that he sells really well for the most part, at least for me. What I what I can what I consider selling is you know sure. how well do you get across the fact that like what I consider selling I mean because it's, <laughs> because it's, yeah it's gonna be like that dumb shit we talk about in Slack but like Word. how people like will be like hey you had your arm worked on for like a minute and a half or two minutes so like why why aren't you selling it for the rest of this twenty five minute match like I'm gonna watch that Kai match and I'm gonna prove you <laughs> but it's like. For me, like what I like, what I want out of selling is like to convince me that like you're in danger, and uh-huh. like at his base level, that's what selling is to me. And I think Kento does a marvelous job at that, uh, facing Marafuji here. So do do you have the title match? on Yeah, you? I do. Okay, I'm interested to talk about that eventually because like it surprised me in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, I was surprised that people so... liked that Cambius Carnival match more. Like that was a real shock to me. I was totally out to lunch on that. Like a, that, that just wasn't anything that I saw or, or even saw the discourse on. Um, next up, then we have a match that had a whole bunch of discourse surrounding it, and I think you're going to have this a bunch higher. Um, it's uh, Brock Lesnar taking on Daniel Bryan at Survivor Series. Yeah, I got that a bunch higher. Um, okay, but instead we can talk about a match that has recently gotten a bunch of discourse behind it, but I don't feel super strongly about. It is Zack Sabre Jr. versus A-Kid from uh, White Wolf Wrestling from April 14th. Alright. Despite the fact that you don't feel strongly about it, I'm, it, it gets pretty close to the middle part of your list. Um, I mean, like... So you want to take this... I, I, I understand why. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, it's like really it's a really hot crowd. Like, uh-huh. like, they, like the um, the White Wolf Wrestling audience was like going absolutely apeshit for this. And Zach is a petulant fucking asshole in this match. It's quite good. Quite good. Um, where the match fails, at least for me, is, um, you know, I, I mean, that's not that in the A-Kid. I don't think A-Kid was particularly, like, 
great in this. Like, yeah. A-Kid is, like, great, like, you know, stepping up to Zack. He fills his role, like, just fine as a guy that, like, you know, he's not going to get pushed around by this big hot shot coming into his territory. Like, he's, like, he's good for that role, but, like, I didn't come out of this match being, like, holy shit, like, I need to see more A-Kid. I was like, wow, like, another Zack Sabre Jr. performance where he comes in and, like, turns a territory on his head. And... Yeah, to, like to me, it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't something where a kid successfully defended his title and his promotion against an invader. Instead, it was something where like a guy who was completely out of his depth te- stepped to a world class guy and got wrecked. <laughs> um, and like it was fun to watch because watching Zach. Um, I love that phrase you used earlier. Like watching Zach play with his food is pretty enjoyable. Um, but like a kid did not hold up his end of the bargain for me. Mm. I do say I like the intensity. Like it gets sure. like vaguely shooty, which is like, which is like something like, yeah. which is like something you would not have expected from this. And like that's become a pattern. Um, at least from like the a kid matches that I've seen, like in the Jordan Devlin match, I just, wa- really? I just watched him earlier. It's like, he does sort of like get like delve into like you know like more grappling, which hmm. I might, might, I, might I, I mostly just see him as a high flyer. Yeah, like, like I'm, which I might have to keep my eye on is like him like at like really like getting into that stuff. But like it's like really like oddly tense. It's super like uncooperative and mean. <laughs> like it's yeah. strange. Like, but like I'm not opposed to it. Like it's just like a really like mean match and like I said if a kid was more compelling then like this match is like it's like so much higher like sure totally like like because the crowd is because the crowd is like fantastic for mm-hmm. this and Zach is great and Zach is great in this and like I said like a kid fills his role fine but like if we're judging it on the like say for like judging like you know invading heel versus like um like the pride of your country champion like like, like this is nowhere near like Walter versus Devlin or something like that. Yeah, like you can't touch it. Like it's, mm. it's, just, it's a whole different stratosphere. Um, but it's like I, I still, I still enjoyed it. And I think on some level, you still enjoy it. It's just like, yeah, it was like it, it, it was a strong contender to make the top one hundred mm. because I thought that that Zach performance was quite good. Mm. So, what's your sixty-one? My sixty-one was Lesnar versus Brian. Oh, yeah, so yeah, we're yeah, moving right. on to. 60, which is the Briscoes defending the ROH tag titles against the Young Bucks at Best in the World 2018. I have that a little bit higher. Okay. Um, My number 60 is Darius Lockhart versus Shane Strickland from PWX Rise of a Champion. And again, I didn't get to see any of this stuff, but I'm I'm interested to hear about it. Um, So, one, accidental blood, right? Ooh, big, big selling point. But, but seriously, it's like Darius Locker at his, at his best as a babyface. It's Shane Strickland, you know, big indie name coming in and um being dismissive of this young local guy and making him work for everything. Uh Shane Strickland is really brutal and nasty working over Darius Lockhart. Um a lot of that Shane Strickland arm work and Darius sells it really goddamn well and it's so I talked about how Darius is sort of like an all-arounder but I prefer Darius when he's fighting from underneath and he has to just lean into this fiery babyface stuff and this is like the peak of that this is Darius 
having one of my favorite babyface performances of the year. I lo- I absolutely love him in this. The accidental blood is just a plus, but like this match is one of those things where it's like you know a star maker for someone. Like you'll go back and look at Darius Lockhart's career and think that this Shane Strickland match was a turning point, and it's a sh- it's like it's like a shame that. I feel like we just didn't get the, like this Shane more. You know, I talked and I talked about that with that Matt Riddle match. Is that like Shane had like a, a couple matches like this this year where like he felt like on the verge of like something like special, whether or not like hit you that way, but like the audience was like really like starting to buy into Shane and all this like arm based stuff he was doing and like him becoming like almost as like this like real like nasty like almost like assassin type character in the ring like super focused and driven when it came when it came to his work and here he is like doing that same thing again and like using all that star power he possesses to like put over a new guy and you know fucking pwx just like no dropping the ball like it's stuff that like really tainted a lot of 2018 for me and that like like almost everywhere you could find you could find like somewhere where, where a promotion dropped the ball and yeah. right and, and, and like right here i would say like they didn't capitalize off that um shane strickland rub that darius lockhart got like well enough in pwx thankfully he's young mm. you know like we both we like lockhart a lot and, and thankfully he's not at the point where like he's teetering at the edge of irrelevance because he's 20 or some shit he's like 20 like he's like super young he, he, he did like his european excursion like super early uh uh-huh. yeah it's the worst uh so that was your 59 i believe uh or your 60. 60 okay so my 59 is uh coming at us from europe where uh darius lockhart had his excursion at a young age fuck him <laughs> uh and it's uh minori suzuki versus timothy thatcher from ott's fourth year anniversary I really like this. Didn't make my list, but I would have. I would have thought this would have been higher for you. This is like real dream match territory for you. Totally. Like in a perfect world, this is like a number one match of the year. Mm. Um, unfortunately, Minoru Suzuki is fifty years old <laughs> and more than willing to ham it up in a different country where he doesn't give a shit. <laughs> um, and just despite that, I think he's still pretty fun here. Like I th- he's one of the most charismatic guys in the world, and I think he's incredibly talented at the style that he works. And even if he's taking it very easy, he can still, like, knock it out of the park with a fun, like, crowd-pleaser match. Uh, More importantly, though, I think this is, yet again, an incredible Timothy Thatcher performance. Wherein, like, he builds himself up to be knocked down repeatedly by Suzuki. And to give this crowd what they want out of this sort of a match. And And it's incredible to watch this guy, like, go from being someone who's crumpling under the forearms of this dude to uh like a total monster who's who's <laughs> like there, there's a point here where um i think they're training chops where thatcher takes a chop and sort of like growls like unhinges his jaw for a moment and just snarls at the air and he looks like a fucking velociraptor like it's it's incredible what he's doing here to like to build this guy up by building himself up to get knocked down again and and it just like impressed the hell out of me in a year where like Thatcher was having these sorts of matches every other month and um like despite the fact that it was like a disappointing um a disappointing dream match it still held up as like 
a great example of why I love these two, and especially Tim Thatcher. It's like, like, like I like maybe it was just like me, but I feel like I had I I understood coming into it that like I wasn't gonna get like like the shoot spectacle like on paper that it sounds like the of Timothy Thatcher versus Minoru Suzuki. It's two guys that are like super expressive facially and like Minoru Suzuki especially has been like leaning into that heavily the last couple of years. And like that's what I expected and I will say that like I think uh, I think Misu gave me a little bit more than what I was personally expecting going in, but you're right like a lot of it is like Timothy Thatcher just being like otherworldly great yet again. Yeah. Um my number 59 is a match that I don't know how you feel about. It's Walter versus Sammy Guevara from PWG Basket in His Glory. Um, I don't even know that I reviewed this, but it was uh, it was a match that I thought I was going to hate due to where I was with my Walter fandom at the time and, and how I feel about um, unnecessarily, unnecessarily dangerous or gruesome wrestling. Um, especially in the wake of Shibata's retirement. Um, but I ended up liking this quite a bit. Um, so our friend Timothy uh, has been like quite on record about like how we felt watching it, live. Yeah, watching it live and how it made him like, like viscerally and like physically uncomfortable and like affected the way he was like, he like even watched, watched wrestling in 2018, which I can totally understand. Um, but for me, like it didn't, a lot of what like a lot of what Timothy Timothy was saying was like in the way of like it felt like unnecessary violence. Yeah. To me, watching the match and like getting the whole context, while like get like live, like seeing like this man's like chest like right in front of your eyes like turn like bright red is like and purple. Yeah, like and, like like that's what that's what's gonna, that's going to be what you take away most from it. Getting the whole context of it, I was like, Walter beats the shit out of him. But Sammy earns it, which is like uh-huh. why I understand what Timothy's saying. But like, it's like the context changes everything because you watch it and like Sammy's a fucking asshole. Sammy is like yeah. jabbing at him, jabbing at him, and running out, running out of the ring and kicking, kicking him in his leg and like poking him in his eye and like all this other shit, like making Walter chase him. And it's like the sort of thing, like the Dar- like the Darby Walter match is like. Walter beats the shit out of him, but, like, I would call that more an unnecessary ass-kicking than, like, this is. Like, Dar- like he like he just doesn't like Darby because he doesn't fit into, like, what he views wrestling as. Yeah. Like... It's, like, an ideological... Yeah, like, yeah. Sammy actively pisses him the fuck off. <laughs> so it's, like, <laughs> like, that's why it's, like, I can't call it unnecessary violence, at least in, like, the narrative sense. Because, like, Sammy does so much to piss this man off and like in spite of that like Sammy has like a great strategy like going after Walter's leg like he goes after his leg in such creative ways and Walter sells it extremely well it's a match where like it just all works together perfectly for me like I said it's super violent and again like it doesn't help that like Sammy's skin is like super fair and like easy to bruise up and like and all that so it looks gruesome and it definitely is. But like I said, like, I think Walter 
didn't really earn the right in a narrative sense to like beat the shit out of Sammy the way he does. And that's why it doesn't bother me too much because I'm all for like a for like an ass kicking like earned in story. It's why I'm like so into Brock versus Daniel Bryan. Is that Daniel Bryan completely earns the way Brock Lesnar tosses him around. And that's the way I feel about Walter versus Sammy. Totally. Alright, so that was your uh your fifty nine, I believe. Yeah. Alright, I forgot to mention it with uh, Suzuki versus Thatcher, but uh my next like five or six matches are like some of my favorite technically based matches of the year. There's like a big stretch of them here. Um this next one is a match you're probably gonna have higher. It's a nice standout from late in the year. It's Zack Saber Jr. taking on Jonathan Gresham at ROH Final Battle. Uh yeah, it's gonna be like right at the beginning of the second part. Okay. And we can instead talk about Io Shirai versus the best women's wrestler in the world, Rhea Ripley. Um oh. <laughs> from uh WWE. It's uh the May Young Classic, October twenty fourth. That's funny, I'm gonna have a Rhea match higher than you. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Not this oh, one. Oh, really? oh, I thought it's I thought it was this one. No, nah, this this got pretty close to making my list. I love it. I think it's super good. Um like it's it's such a it was so awesome to watch Rhea just completely grab the brass ring yeah. in that Mayon Classic, and, and this match was really the culmination of that, uh, because she wasn't supposed to get this far, and when she does, by uh, some very very upsetting uh, reasons, uh, she totally kills it. Like, knocks it out of the park with someone who is incredible, like Io Shirai, one of the most talented wrestlers in the world, but like totally steps up to her level, despite being um, so much less experienced, and, and like presents herself as like this formidable foe for one of the best wrestlers in the world it's gonna it's gonna sound like you know for me and i hate saying it but like you watch eo versus Rhea, and you're like you have a hard time believing that Rhea wasn't always meant to be in that spot right yeah like that and i say that knowing that like um tegan knox was like but perfectly well was going to be in that spot like we know this uh-huh. and and knowing how I feel about Tegan and like how like highly I regard her and all that stuff, like for me to say that, like that's how much Rhea impressed, and she completely takes a hold of it. She is so commanding. It's the same way I talk about Kyle Fletcher. Like for some reason, at like twenty two years old, she like has like a grasp of like body language and presence in the ring that like. I feel like in that company is only a match by like fucking Shayna Baszler. Like, uh-huh. like they are like, they are like neck and neck and like how they present themselves in the ring. It's the constant sneering. It's the dismissiveness. It's like knowing you're like physically superior. Like, it's like... And it's, and it's such a thing where like Shayna has this confidence because she's 38 and she's spent her entire life in combat sports. And Rhea is 22. I think yeah, she just knows she, she been... just knows she's the shit. Like, yeah, she's just in, in like, wasn't, she didn't even have this character a year ago. Yes, and like, it's how quickly she took to it because it's not, go to, the, go to last year's Mae Young Classic. Like, like, uh-huh. it's a completely different woman. And like, it's almost like the wrestling equivalent of like method acting. It's like, how, like, how did she like, sure. <laughs> like, it's like, how did she like so seamlessly get into that? And, it's something that makes me excited to see like the rest of Rhea's career. Like, because I know she'll be great. But I wanna see like what else they like would po- might possibly possibly throw at this woman. Because I feel like she could knock it all out of the park. And something that we like gets 
really looked over about Rhea, incredible base. Like, she is uh-huh. a great base for someone her size. And I think that was really, um, on the split, on the split against, um, um, Casey. Casey, Cat and Zero? Yeah, like, Cat, like, Casey Cat and Zero. And then here against EO. A very subdued EO, I will say. But a but a EO that, you know, is efficient. You don't gotta do everything. You don't gotta let it all out. And truthfully, like, EO still hasn't done that in WWE. And I think she's waiting for the time to do so. Sure. But it's an EO that's very efficient and knows everything she needs to do and doesn't go overboard. And this is really like the Rhea Ripley show. And I'm not sure someone left a bigger impression on me than Rhea Ripley did with this match in 2018. 100%. My 57 is a match from GCW's Bloodsport, the best match of the show. And it's probably not the one you're thinking of. It's Tracy Williams versus Eddie Kingston. Uh, (laughs) I did love this, though. (laughs) Is this your um, last Eddie Kingston match on your list? No, there's one higher. Okay. All right, let me get Uh, I think... I think one higher. There might be two. Um, I mean, this was this was something I was predisposed to liking. Like these are two Chikara boys. These are two guys I've watched for a long time. They're guys I like. Um, not necessarily guys who are conducive to this style. Uh, not not as well as like other people on this card, but but two guys who went in there and realized their limitations and chose to work around them instead of um, so many of the other people who were uh, putting in time over WrestleMania weekend. Um, and like watching these two guys like take pot shots and chip shots at each other and, and throw like these wild haymakers and these clunky roundhouse kicks and just put their weight behind everything was incredibly gratifying because it, it felt it felt so much more real than so much of wrestling gets and even stuff on this show got like a, ostensibly it's supposed to be a shoot style show um, and it was just it was so it was so good to watch these guys like completely steal a show that had like some of the biggest names in wrestling on it and had like these wild freak shows these wild um these wild uh like dream matches that people were looking forward meme to meme matches uh meme matches you might say <laughs> sure like i like gauge yeah, like, like, yeah, fits into yeah like total meme <laughs> yeah but like it's still fun and, yeah and it's like on, on a card full of like fun matches that i enjoyed a lot to have this come out on top like was really impressive Mm. And again, like it's a match. It's a, I really enjoyed Eddie Kingston's 2018, and that's something that yep. we'll get into. But you know, it's again where Eddie coming out in this fucking uh, yellow this fucking yellow singlet. <laughs> it's like you know, it's like so off-putting at first, but like it, the match works. The match really works. There's like nothing else to say about it. Um, my number 57 is a match. Again, don't know how you feel about it, but uh. It's Zack Sabre Jr. versus Kazuchika Okada from New Japan Pro Wrestling Sakura Genesis. Uh, I, I like tr- truth be told, I don't hate that many things in wrestling. Um, like that's just like I, I, I try not to hyperbolize things, and I think hate is a very strong emotion, and it's truthfully just not how I feel about most things. So I didn't hate this match. Um. But I, I, I guess I would say I was bored to tears by this match. Um, I think for me is like, um, I guess being into like the Okada title reign and liking uh-huh. the idea behind this match. You know, did anyone realistically think that Jackson Virginia is going to come in and beat Okada during totally. the, like during this legendary reign? Like, no. Especially since like 
this was getting close. This was what the last match before he tied the record. Right? Yeah, because the Tanahashi match was like the record tire. Or breaker breaker. The record breaker. Yeah, so like so that. the here, this is the match that ties the record, and then Tanahashi match was the record breaker, like the biggest gimme defense. Right, and I viewed it as nothing more than a way to elevate Zach to like sure. a, to a very credible main eventer status, 100%. and it one hundred percent achieved that purpose. And of course, like being into the Kazuchika Okada story, like for me, look look at everything he's went through. He's gone through like like the best of like the epic bomb throwers. He beat Kenny Omega. He survived, he survived cause um, um, he survived um, Minoru Suzuki and Kazuyori Shibata. He's beaten um, Namichi Marafuji. Like he survived all this stuff, you know, Tetsuya Naito, you know, the guy that everybody had going into Wrestle Kingdom 13, he beats him too. So he's just on this roll right now. And you're like, what has Okada not done? What does Okada not stood in front of? Okada has never stood in front of a guy like Zack, a guy that like has all these holes and tricks up his sleeves. Like, you know, the closest thing is a Misu, but Misu works primarily on the legs and knee bars and stuff like that. And Shibata mm-hmm. was more focused on like beating the shit out of Okada. Like Okada never had someone that like has as many tricks up the sleeve or there's pin combinations and different submissions the way Zack does. And I think that was like the interesting part here is like, how will these guys mesh? I'm not saying like the mat work here was like anything great, but it's like, I, I was enjoying the mat work here. I didn't love it, but I enjoyed the approach to the mat work. It felt different than most new Japan mat work does. It's probably the most other than like facing, um, Kota Ibushi. It's probably like the most I've enjoyed like Zach mat work in new Japan. Um, and something again that people always like gloss over because like at the time people were like, Oh, Zach's gonna lose and just go back to the New Japan mid card malaise and like, like there's always like you know a bit of truth for that like a bit of truth for that like yeah like you elevate the guy and you put him somewhere else and then you come back to it later like that's just what New Japan does, but to me it's the protecting of Zach that gets that gets done here that people overlook and that's Zach going in um for his finish and it's you no know, the fucking last hurrah whatever the fuck and i'm not gonna say the whole name but like or like zach going for that and he couldn't lock his hands and you know it leaves you that sliver of doubt like huh well what if zach did lock his hands would zach have had the chance would okada have reached the rope would zach have been the champion like shit like like it's like it's like leaving that window open and that's really what I like a lot of New Japan for. And really what I like a lot of narrative stuff in wrestling for is like leaving that door open to be re-explored later. You know, one day we'll be, we are going to get a match where Zack Sabre Jr. is able to lock in that submission or lock his hands or something. And Did he do it in the follow-up? Um, no, he beat him with a pin combination. Okay. Okada wasn't going to tap out on a fucking ref pro show. Sure, fair yeah, enough. like, but again, like one day we're going to see that get realized. And to me, like, I enjoyed the idea of this match a lot. Do I think it was like incredible? No, but remember, like this is my number one wrestler of the year from 2017, and my number two wrestler of the year from 2017. So it's like in, in the guys that I just argued over being like the wrestler of the year again in 2018. So like I love these guys, and I was super excited for this, and this is like. A genuine, a genuine dream, dream match for me. So like being into the story, being into it from that aspect and like, and liking a lot of the narrative aspects of it. 
You know, there was no way I wasn't going to like this match. All right, so my 56 is a match that I think you're going to enjoy quite a bit. It's uh, Madison Eagles taking on Mike Quackenbush at Chikara's King of Trios 2018, Day 3. Yeah, did not see this. <laughs> this is, um... Um, a lot of what Quack's been doing the last couple of years is just, like, dream matches. Like, matches he's he's wanted to have for a long time, or, like, loose ends he's tying up throughout his career, or um, matches with uh, recent standouts who who he has a fair chance of uh, of working well with. Um, and Eagles is somebody who's been in Chikara before, and has been, like, a, a prominent member of the Australian scene for a very long time, and is uh, super good. Like, a... Um, uh, large woman, like very tall for a woman, especially in wrestling, um, who is very commanding in the ring and has a very physical and very technically based style and uses her confidence to, to, um, enhance that. Um, but here she and Quack have what is, uh, at least at the outset, a very friendly little grappling match, you know, an exhibition little thing where they're having fun with each other, joking around and, uh, um, just playing around as they apply holds and in a, and as is often the case, like it, it, it gets more and more aggressive as time goes on. And these two actually try to win and watching them just pull out all these fancy little holds and, um, go back to, go back to things that worked earlier, earlier in the match and using them in like using them in a way that is actually meant to accomplish something at this point was like really interesting to me. And I enjoyed it quite a bit. And it's, it's, it's just one of those like, um, Chikara horrific matches that like hits all the sweet spots for me um and and really gave me what i'm looking for in not just in like family friendly wrestling but in technical wrestling mm. um my number 56 is a match you just mentioned a little bit ago it's the young bucks versus the briscoes from roh best in the world okay so i had that at 60 like you had it a little bit better than me why don't you take this one um well, one, this is the wrap up to really like the best TV feud, um, of the year. Like the Briscoes and the Young Bucks had really good stuff all across ROH TV in 2018. Um, really the best stuff I think those teams have ever done together, frankly. Um, probably. And the reason why I really enjoy this best in the world match is it's such a unique structure. Like they, pace it in a weird way they start it off in a weird way it goes all over the place it eventually comes back down to being like a typical um you know u.s tag match but it goes all over the place and you know they started off with the um coming to the outside and teasing the teasing the super kicks and going to the dive straight away and brawling and a whole bunch of um um like synchronized spots that like otherwise would feel goofy and i think they would feel goofy with like any other teams that aren't the young bucks and the briscoes because like those teams are so in sync with one another like they're the teams with the most longevity in wrestling maybe ever because they did like the briscoes have on and off but the young bucks are are with each other like all the time it's a level of longevity that no one has ever really had and those teams being synchronized like that, like it just works. And I love the aggression from the Briscoes. Um, it's definitely the best match that the Briscoes have had, um, in this run in the last year. And I'm not sure they'll have anything that like comes close, honestly. Um, but right here was like, I think like the perfect way to go out from that little mini feud they had going on. 
Um, I can't, like, it's, it's, it's not anything that, like, changes the wheel or, like, anything re- revolutionary, but it's two of the best teams ever going out there and maybe having their last match together. <laughs> like, it, like, it, like, it's, at least, at least, last two on two at least. Like, they might, that might be the last time we get, like, a big Briscoes versus Bucks match. And if that was the way to go out, like, I'm happy they got to go out that way because, well, one, I don't think they really reached their full potential in their previous encounters. And two, I feel like the Bucks, at least in 2018, like, showed, like, a lot of maturity and growth. And I think seeing, like, the Briscoes, who have always been, like, great commanding presences in the ring as heels, and seeing the Bucks, like, get their act together, like, it was really fulfilling. Yeah, that's that's what I liked about this match so much, was that uh, it managed to marry the Briscoes, like, foolproof formula for tag matches like just steamrolling people along with the the back base stuff that the bucks had been doing in 2018 uh wherein matt's bad back prevents him from doing a whole lot of matches and makes him uh especially um especially uh weak to um focused attacks from opponents and it forces nick to like carry the slack as much as he can and and pull out all these wacky dives and like run double time to to make up for his for his brother's uh shortcomings and like watching those two things meld together and eventually like reach a fever pitch um that gets like kind of hardcore at the end like in a really exciting way was like just super super rewarding as a fan of like not just these two teams but like of what they do together and and how um how they've like matured over the years. Mm. My fifty-five is Jonathan Gresham versus Jay Lethal from ROH Honoring Supreme, February 9th. And we're gonna talk about that one in a couple days and instead uh discuss a match that I am not aware of your opinion. Um, which is Drew Gulak versus Jack Gallagher in a United Kingdom Championship tournament qualifying match or a first round match, I forget which one it is. Uh I believe it was a qualifier. Yeah, but super, but super, super fun. Didn't make my list, but I loved it. Yeah, um, I mean, this was taped on an NXT show instead of uh, instead of the rest of the um, the UK tournament, and it's only it's only like six minutes long, something like that. Um, it's up for free on YouTube if you want to watch it. Um, but holy shit, <laughs> it it straight up might be like the best grappling WWE has ever seen. Like it's it's so fucking tight so varied like they 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 hit up a, like a bunch of styles here like they they don't just stick to the european stuff that you'd think they would go to like there's a whole bunch of like shoot stuff in there um there's a whole bunch of like uh bjj influenced stuff in there um they cover all sorts of ground they they make sure to like go for some striking that initially i thought sort of like held this back and it felt like pandering to this crowd that very much is not into um technically based wrestling um, but like upon further examination, I was just like, oh no, like these strikes are just fucking awesome. Like they're just great headbutts from, from guys like who are able to do that shit well. Um, and it's like, it's, it's frustrating because it's so short. It's frustrating because it's so relatively restrained, but like it also finds strength in those qualities and, and manages to be just like an incredible little banger that I'm going to, that I'm going to remember fondly for a long time. Mm. So there's nothing to say about it. like you covered all the bases like it's arguable like other than maybe like um 
I, I still really, I still really like those Benoit versus Angle matches, and sure. I still really like, um, you know, like um, like Zach versus Gulak from the um, Cruiserweight Classic. Oh, the, totally. Yeah. So, but I, it's very arguable that this is like the best grappling like WWE has like ever had, like in like in their um any of their content. Um. All right. Now my number fifty four, a match I'm not even sure you saw. Um, Darby Allen versus Matt Riddle from Evolve One Ten. This is uh, Matt Riddle's Evolve Farewell, I believe. Yeah. I did see this, and I meant to rewatch it because I couldn't tell if I liked it or not. <laughs> um, it was a difficult thing. Uh, it was part of, part of that was just watching it late in the yeah. year and having my brain fried. Um, for me, it's like. This is my favorite Matt Riddle match of the year. Okay. Um, there'll be one I have higher, but I, I, I still would say I like this match more. Um, again, it's Darby and Darby gets to ragdoll for like a physical freak <laughs> and yeah, like, yeah. again, foolproof formula and all that stuff. And there's not even, there's not even a ton to say about it, but it's Matt Riddle going out on a high note. I thought it was, the best Matt Riddle performance I saw this year. Um, I like the Shane Strickland performance a lot, and I like the Will Ospreay match a lot. But like I thought, I thought this was definitely uh, the best Matt Riddle because he's just an absolute beast in this, um, like absolute monster, really playing up to all his um, physical ability and just ragdolling and controlling Darby and beating the ever living shit out of him, and. It was a great way to, for Riddle to go out. Like, I'm not particularly, like, emotionally attached to Riddle by any means. But I thought it was a great high note for Matt, for Matt Riddle to go out on. Yeah, like, I... I remember... I remember thinking that... So I watched this after the, the Riddle match that I think you and I both have higher than mm. this. And being very impressed with it. Um, and appreciating it for being what I want to see out of Matt Riddle when he wrestles yeah. instead of like this, this jovial Superman who sort of takes it easy in his matches and, and coasts on his charisma and his athleticism. Um, and I, what, what I recall of this match is him sort of pushing into that territory again, but either not fully getting there or not being able to do it with a guy like Darby. And I'm not sure if those, if that memory is warranted. Yeah. He is, he's meaner than he has to be in this match, considering, like, he has, like, no real, like, past with Darby. Like, it's a pretty mean riddle, like, all things considered. But, yeah, it's not like he goes all in with that. He doesn't, he's not, definitely not Superman, because he has no, like, he has no threat here. You know, you know what I mean? Like, like, Darby poses no threat to him. So it's not like what he, like, what, what he might do versus, like, Keith Lee or something. But, He's meaner than he has to be here, but he doesn't like lean all the way into that. You're totally right. Um, you can go ahead with your uh, 54. My 54 is uh, the end of this run of like technical matches that I loved, and it's Harashima defending the DDT Extreme Championship against the Baka survivor Shinya Aoki. Uh, didn't get didn't get around to this either. This is on that list. This is um. Like this is, I can't think of many matches in 2018 that that felt more like a struggle than this one, um, and that's that's something you're definitely going to see me talk about a lot on my year end list. Is is like 
wrestling as a competition as as meant to be this simulation of competition and and why when it strays from that territory it, it often confounds and upsets me um but this is like well within that tradition and is fucking awesome um aoki's uh first and foremost an mma fighter like a very good one um one of the like easily one of the best like most talented grapplers of the modern era um and he isn't always well suited for professional wrestling work but here with harashima a guy who is like incredibly talented on the mat and who knows how to escalate in matches he totally knocks it out of the park where the two of them roll around for 10 minutes like doing some insane stuff to each other like trying to get the upper foothold and then eventually harashima knowing that he has the ability to get more explosive if he needs to starts taking these huge swings and aoki like catches a couple of them real flush but manages to avoid enough of them to eventually like trap the guy in a hold and choke him out and it's just like a thrill a minute this quick um super um not like efficient like super concentrated match like it like there's so much packed into this short little thing it's like eight minutes long probably and it it has so much in it so much quality grappling so much quality striking and and i'd I'd recommend it to anybody who is like even remotely a fan of those things Mm. all right my number 53 is a match that you might have higher it's Ring Comp versus Chosen Bros from from PWG Mystery Vortex. Nah, this didn't make my list. Wow. Okay. Um, I I was not super. Impressed oh, so you you weren't one of the people? Okay, it was like everybody else then. Okay. What do you mean? Just just in the chat. Oh, just like I wasn't one of the people yeah. who loved it. Good. Yeah, I, know, I, I don't know. Sam really loved it. I know Simon did. That. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, shit. This, in my opinion, four of the best wrestlers in the world going out there and like. No, it's it like it, like it, it's just a, it's just a match that made sense. You know, all guys that can work in that in that yeah. grappling style, all guys that hit hard, all guys that can throw each other around. Like this is a match of like four like really great athletes. Like, and to me, like it gives you like exactly what you wanted. Like the like uh-huh. the um, the, there is some stuff that like you know it just it's like weird. It's like funny seeing Timothy Timothy Thatcher take certain things. Like it's funny like Timothy Thatcher like take. Like that chosen bro sure. was like like knee finish, right? But like this match is like so nasty. It's so great. Like I love like the mat wrestling we get. I love the power stuff we get. Like it's just really fun to me. I'm not in, as in love with it as um a lot of other people are, but I enjoyed the shit out of this. Yeah, it was easily the best match on that show. It was just sort of a real bummer of a show, I thought. Um but this yeah, like this totally delivered. Like it was it was um uh, it it didn't manage to be as goofy as the sort of stuff that those guys can get into uh, sometimes does get into. Mm. Um, and it was it like especially on this show of all shows, like it could have easily like just flown off the rails entirely. But no, it was it was pretty refined, pretty restrained, and um, maybe to its detriment, like because it never really like wowed me and never knocked me off my feet. But um, but I did enjoy watching it. It was pretty good. Cool. Mm. You're fifty three. My 53 is kind of hard to talk about, um, especially with you. It's Tegan Knox versus Rhea Ripley from the Mayon Classic. All right, let's get into it. So first and foremost, it is heartbreaking what happened to Tegan here. Like that she came back so soon from injury, from a very serious injury that kept her on the shelf for a long time. Uh, 
and then re-injured herself in a very similar way immediately. And, uh, and like, uh, like the same injury that like made her miss like uh-huh. the first May Young Classic. Yeah. Um, and to, to have it happen to someone so young and so incredibly talented and so, uh, so endearing, so charismatic, so charming is, is just fucking awful. Um, and I, and I want to stress that like, I, I don't take pleasure in having seen that happen to her. A lot of what I talk about in like psychology is dead as well as like my blog, Brackets wrestling is like wrestling, just not feeling genuine. Um, and wrestling, like not capturing, uh, an emotional state for me. Um, and this match totally did because in, in, in like, maybe it's a perverse thing to say because it's, it's an incredibly real emotion watching these women, like try to, uh, hold together some semblance of a real match after a, an incredibly debilitating injury. Um, but like watching these two try their damnedest and get so fucking far in holding this match together and pushing forward it was it was nothing short of breathtaking and like i maybe like maybe it's misguided to say it maybe maybe i'm an asshole for saying it but like it it's it's something that's going to stick with me a long time because man man like so little wrestling has impressed me as much as like watching these two do what they did here because it's like you're not an asshole for this it's like it's such a difficult spot and like you admire it like you admire like the fact that like keep in mind like nick's like i mean tegan rather and Rhea are both in their early 20s yeah like super fucking young immensely talented women and for something that as 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 serious as like you know someone that like you know they, they're all down in that PC together, all living in like similar areas. You know that uh-huh. Rhea and Tegan are like actually friends and all that stuff. So it's like to know that they're like going through that in real time is like fucking awful. But yeah. they both want to make sure that like, you know, the show goes on and they give the crowd what they want and they give them, you know, you know, I'll be damned like Tegan's gonna give it to her or she'll give it to them like even if it's on one leg you Uh know it's the same it's you know a little bit more serious but like it's the same thing we talk about with like Zach versus um Jack um, Jack Saxmith from last year and it's like you know it's so real that you can't help but admire it you know it's 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 a a little foolish to go out there and like continue to wrestle on your like knee that just got torn to shreds it's a little foolish to go out there and like wrestle on your broken collarbone but like you admire it because like it takes a lot of guts and courage and like you know mastery of your craft to go out there and piece something together like that while you're working on one leg and while this Mm -hmm. friend of yours is out here working on one leg and like tegan doesn't miss a step like and and ria ria does not flinch one iota from what she has to do in the situation like just completely rolling over this woman and like, especially in a post Shibata world, like maybe I'm dumb for saying that that brought me some, some value in some way, but like it, it blew me away. No, like you have every, if it's, you have every right for her to feel blown away by that because it's again, like they could have easily just been like, no, like we can't do it. And like, you know, in this, you know, wrestler safety world, like, you know, you, 
do want to think that wrestlers are just going to be like, no, we can't do this, and we get we got to be smarter. You know, be smarter, but it's like, yeah, they love what they do, and they want to, you know, they want to continue doing what they love, and you know, on some level, and it's not this isn't all cases, but on some level, like who like who are we to stop someone from doing what they love if they feel like this is something they have to do and they need to get this done, and I don't think anyone was going to wind up stopping Tegan that night. Um, my number 52 is, uh, Shingo Takagi versus Yuji Hino from All Japan Pro Wrestling, April 15th. I didn't get to see this one, uh, despite the fact that it was very well regarded or in some, in some circles lambasted. Okay. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see that one, but, um, um, not, not a ton to say other than like two strong boys going at it, but. Hmm. It kind of takes it takes a turn as to where it's like it's not about you know who is going to hit a meaner lariat on who. Um, yeah, there's a lot of arm work here, lots of arm work actually, and um, it sold very well. And I think that's something that people wouldn't have expected here, especially um, you know, you know, I'll go like go ahead and say it. It's like Shingo was like was like was clearly smaller going in like oh, a, lot, okay. a lot of the time like. Facing these guys like Shuji, like Yuji Hino, like, and it was, it was super noticeable. And like, Shingo filled that role just fine. Like, it wasn't a thing where like, Shingo liked believability, but like, I thought it was I a th- thing that was like, super. I thought, were you gonna I say? thought you were gonna say he wasn't gonna sell the arm work because he's from Dragon Gate. <laughs> no. I think it was, um, Yuji Hino that got his, that his, that his arm sure. work on anyway. But, um, no. Um, but like I said, like, it's, and Shingo's in there with these guys, and like, while I feel like Shingo like held his own just fine, like it was like super glaring, which is why it's funny to me as to why like I totally believe that um Shingo could do just fine in the New Japan Heavyweights, but like people pointing to like the All Japan like um Champions Carnival as like the reference point for it was like yeah, but Shingo's like actually in there with like guys are like. Fucking like way bigger than him too. Like, um, but yeah, like it's you really should go back and watch this. I think you'd enjoy it. Shingo had a really fun run. Uh, so my fifty-two is the last match that I'm going to talk about because you're going to have uh your fifty-one way higher than me. Um, but my fifty-two is a match that you weren't particularly thrilled with, and it's uh Ember Moon defending the NXT Women's Championship against Shayna Baszler. At NXT TakeOver Philadelphia. Oh, okay. Alright, uh, tell me about this one. So, um, I alluded to this earlier, like, the idea of, like, how gratifying it can be to watch somebody get better in the ring, um, and, and I, I especially love specific promotions for that, like, I think OTT is great for that, I think Chikara historically has been really good for that, um, and NXT for a very long time was that for me. Uh, NXT has sort of shifted over time to become something different something more of a super brand uh something more of like an of an indie riffic brand um but like this match i think more than anything in years is indicative of like what nxt should be as like a uh as a um a developmental brand uh it's watching two women who uh, are coming from like very different backgrounds, very different experience levels, um, who aren't perfect together and who are still putting the pieces together, um, both in a general sense as well as in what WWE, what WWE requires of them. Um, 
but watching them do that in a very uh a very explosive way a very aggressive way a very emotional way and watching them do that in a way that alludes to prior experience experiences that they've had in nxt was super fucking cool to me like ember comes in here as champion having uh having reigned for a couple months and having won the title after oscar finally left and ended her reign of terror atop the company um and then as soon as like ember gets going Shayna baszler stomps in and chokes her out with her debut and it's just like guess what i'm here to make your life hell and she stylistically is like so similar to Asuka in so many ways. And, and she uh, gets to steamroll Ember in this match in a lot of the ways that Asuka did back in 2017. Um, but it's really interesting to me that Ember would specifically utilize a reversal that she tried to use against Asuka back in uh, Brooklyn. Brooklyn Takeover 3 back in August of 2017. And where it failed against Asuka initially, it was a... Um, trying to roll her up while she's got an arm bar applied and Asuka broke out of it and just kept, kept a hold of the arm bar and eventually tapped her out. Uh, Shayna doesn't have the wherewithal to kick out and Ember squeaks by with what shouldn't be a convincing win, but totally is because she has learned from past experiences that Shayna doesn't have. And I think that's like such a cool thing that like, I don't get to see, in wrestling all that much and on top of that it's just like a mean mean match between like two of my favorite women's wrestlers who are not afraid to just like kick the shit out of each other yeah like my issue with my issues um with ember versus Shayna never came down to the work i always thought the work in both in both the matches was top-notch stuff mm-hmm. it felt like that first quarter of women's matches um on those takeover shows though Felt like stuff that, you know, at least this one felt like it was be- like better suited for like TV. And I, and I get it. Like they wanted to make Shayna feel like as big a deal as possible, right? Sure. When they had, they went out to Shayna come in on TakeOver and do this. I think the problem is though, is that one, the audience didn't know Shayna like that. Mm. Th- that crowd hadn't gotten accustomed to, hadn't, hadn't gotten accustomed to her. I think they were putting a lot of stock in the everyone watching the TV. And into mm-hmm. um, people knowing her from the Mae Young Classic. And I think that was a bit of a gamble that I'm not going to say didn't pay off, but like it, did, it wasn't as fruitful as I think they would have hoped for. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, giving them a TV match first would have been the smarter option here. And, you know, maybe you could have went to like the Nikki Cross versus um Ember sure. Moonwell or something, you know, since, since Nikki's still there. And, I feel like then you could have introduced um, Shayna. And then we go into the two Shayna versus Ember title matches. But I feel like just the way they went into it. Because remember, this is January mm-hmm. of 2018. This is not too far removed from the Mae Young Classic. And only Shayna's only been on TV like so much since then. Twice? Three times maybe? Yeah. Exactly. Like That's why it's like... I have no problem with this match at all as far as the work. It's just like it felt like it was the wrong place for it. Sure. And that's and that's something that I didn't have because I came in from 2017 having loved Shayna. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I totally, I totally get it though. And it's not, it was never anything against Shayna. Like, I like sure. Shayna. Like, yeah, yeah, I like Shayna. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that you don't. I yeah, just... yeah, yeah. Um, and the end, uh, part one. On another NXT match, well, we should probably get you should probably get your um 
51 out the way. Well, my 51 is uh, Zack Sabre Jr. defending the Evolve title against Darby Allen from Evolve 98. Right. So, and just got the way. I have that, like, super high. Um, my number 51 is Johnny Gargano versus Tommaso Ciampa from NXT TakeOver Chicago. Oh, which did not make my list. Um, You know, I get it, right? I get everything about laughing at this feud and um, thinking it took a turn for the worse. But I think these are the, for me personally, like, this hit that spot for me of WWE gimmick matches that, like, nothing else ever hits. Sure. Because I'm not into, like, you know, your big um, Cena versus Umaga, right? Like, it's a great match. But, like, uh-huh. it doesn't hit me the same way it hit, um, like, like the Ciampa versus Gargano stuff hit, hit here. Because I think it's, like, the perfect mix of, you know, hokey WWE telling story stuff. But also, it's super violent. It's super mean. And, mm. you know, could anything have realistically lived up to take over New Orleans? Like, no. But here we are. And there's some stuff about this that to not like. There's, um, um, the planted fan with the, uh, with the, with the, with the, with the stop sign or whatever. The stop sign in a sign. Yeah. Yeah. Like, 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 like stupid stuff like that. And it's easy to dislike. But I still see a match that, at its best, is the best possible representation of that WWE gimmick match style. It's still super mean. It's still extremely creative. These guys, for sure, yeah. everything, they haven't got enough credit for that. Like They come up with some creative shit. And yeah. that's something that's always stuck with me about their matches. And this match is the birth of the why am I so violent face? Where, where did that come from? Because, like, that's not that's not a quote from anything? No, right? it's, not, it's not a quote or anything. It's, just, it's fucking Twitter. <laughs> it's just, it was it was something someone on Twitter said and it caught wildfire? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, like, like I, I never I never saw... Yeah, the, like, like Johnny, Gar- Johnny Gargano never actually looked at his hands in a promo and was like, why am I so violent? <laughs> right, right, right. Um, but... And again, I feel like sometimes when people like want to laugh at something, they will, like, you know, conveniently like you know, either they don't care or they'll conveniently like miss the point of something. And sure. you know, it's, it's Johnny Gargano. Um, even after he beat Champa, like Champa wouldn't leave him alone. So he's kind con- like after even after like he thinks he's like vanquished this demon, this ghost that like kept haunting him. Like Champa keeps fucking with him, and now Johnny is really teetering on insanity like new orleans was because he wanted to get his job back and because he needed to go do it this was he wanted to go beat champa's ass and that's the problem he didn't do it out of love and support and care and you know being a valiant baby face he did it because he wanted to hurt someone and that's where johnny made the mistake that's where Johnny had Champa had Champa beat, did the um air raid crash um off the um staging supplies through um tables or whatever after uh Champa uh 
spit on and threw Johnny's wedding ring and Johnny snapped and Johnny sits there contemplating and as Champa is getting structured away, he grabs him. Um, cause we gotta remember at this point, Champa gets hand, Champa gets handcuffed. Uh huh. Um, so as Johnny Gargano is beating the ever living shit out of a handcuffed Tommaso Champa, he tries to rush back into the ring and, um, the padding has been lifted up off of the ring and the wood is exposed. And and as Johnny is trying to rush back into the ring after being pulled off of Tommaso Ciampa by the referees and numerous officials, he gets caught in the ropes and Ciampa gives him a DDT right on the exposed wood. And somehow, some way, Tommaso Ciampa, despite like getting fucking murdered in this match numerous times, like wins because of Johnny's greed, because of Johnny's like lust for vengeance you know, everything that was great about New Orleans. And then it's like one of those only times like WWE gets it right and they give you their right win and the right result. And it feels great. You come back down and realize like Johnny, like still like at the end of the day, succumb to all these things like Ciampa said he would and that like and Gargano just couldn't help himself. And that's the story of 2018 for better or for worse is that Johnny just can't help himself. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, help. yeah, I'm gonna, Go I'm gonna, I was gonna um, pass it off to you here. It's like, and again, like, that's gonna be like something we talk, we both talk about, um, uh, with, uh, with, uh, John, with, with a John Boy tearjerker, but. Oh, right. We forgot to bring up the nicknames. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, this one is John Boy jerks too hard. Yeah. Um, um, but what, like, so what do you think about the idea of, Johnny just couldn't help himself. And do you think, cause this, this is an argument that we had a lot, not even an argument, you know, sure. like it's like a discussion that came, that came around, a, came around a slack a lot is that do you think the reception to Johnny's struggles as the story went on was fair? Do you think people sort of like jumped the gun and wanted to, and wanted to laugh at something and like never gave it a chance after that? Like, like what, like where did you come, where did you come down on that, on that stuff post New Orleans? I think it's I think it's sort of hard to tell in some ways because I wasn't with the initial assessment of the New Orleans match. Um, like I watched it live and enjoyed it. Uh, I thought it had some issues, and upon my most recent rewatch, I, I again found those issues again. Um, but like I, I didn't think it was like some grand match. Like I thought it was just a really good blow off uh, in like a really good like WWE style main event match. Uh, but it suffered from, uh, it couldn't hold up its own weight in some ways. Um, and then like a month later, I actually reviewed it for my site and I was just like astounded by how good it was and, and thought it was like kind of phenomenal and like historically great. Yeah. And like a lot of, and, like, and there's a lot of people that share that same opinion. And that's the thing is like, I didn't get to see that. I, right. didn't, I didn't get to join in on that because I came to it sort of late and I only came to it like the week of this second match happening, which I wasn't terribly happy about. I thought like, I thought first and foremost, it was, it was going to be just like an unnecessary addition to what was already like a perfect blow off. Mm. And then they do an interesting thing with it here, like a real tragic turn. Like Johnny, um, the new Orleans match to me, like in so many ways is, is about like, 
is about like retaining a humanity in the face of of senseless rage and and vengeance um and this match for better or for worse is the story of losing that and being punished for it um and that's like that's a cool idea because like it's a very tragic thing for gargano to have like gone through over the, the space of a couple months to to be like cool like i've moved past this thing oh wait this thing is still coming back to haunt me i'm going to put it out of its out of my misery for good oh wait i totally fucked it up and and like completely falling from grace because of that and it's and it's not so much like the outcome that i have a problem with as like the tone of it and the way that it it feeds into like a very wwe centric a very wwe fan centric version of reality of 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 like senseless rage of and like every vengeance yeah senseless rage and like everything sucks at the end of the day <laughs> like and i mean not even not even just that but of just like of of the idea that like you are justified in doing anything to anybody if you feel strongly enough <laughs> like that's like that is the ultimate that's the ultimate lesson of of this chicago street fight and it's and it's paired with the lesson of like and somebody can do it back to you it's not always going to work out in your favor and like that's such that's a cool story but they get the tone wrong and like i think it teaches people that like you can you can and should and will be rewarded for doing whatever the fuck you want to other human beings and like that after the new orleans match like so got it right like so fucking completely got it right is like such a depressing thing and so indicative of 2018 like what could be more 2018 than like a match that i was so predisposed to not liking like completely blowing me away being a historically great thing and then them running it into the fucking ground not even two months later yeah and i think that, like it's, yeah and i think that's to me like what should be the biggest issue with it right, right. because i don't think there's a problem with the story that got told I don't think not not at this point. Yeah, like, yeah, I don't think there's a problem with the story being told, but it's like, why? Like, why mess with something after you got uh-huh. it so perfectly right? After people and, com- and like, there's there's this idea that like, oh, why would Champa just like give up after New Orleans? But like, part of the build to New Orleans, New Orleans is Champa being exhausted with this entire thing of of like having Johnny knocking on his door at 3 a.m. and him just being like i'm i'm so fucking over this like yeah, i want to put this all behind me yeah it's like they and, and again like you know there should be no such thing as writing yourself into a corner when you're the one writing it and exactly and it's like you actually wrote it perfectly like if champa would have just moved up after <laughs> wrestlemania so right you wrote it perfectly <laughs> yeah but it's is it like the when you really like go back and rehash it again? It's like super frustrating. Yeah. But then it's like, and, go ahead. And it's all the more frustrating because this match is good. Yes, it's a really good match. I think if people like could like could separate like you know uh-huh. all the wrong decisions, they'd be like, wow, this is actually like really good. There, there's there is some goofy WWE centric no disqualification stuff in here, but like aside from that, it's like it is about as violent. And about as creative as the New Orleans match, which is phenomenal. Mm. But it's like everything else is like, uh, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it, I'm not sure this is the most frustrating match on my list, but like, it's close because, like you said, like, everything about it is just as good pretty much as the New Orleans match, but it just doesn't feel right. Like, 
it feels like they threw everything out of out of order here. Uh-huh. And while like I appreciate the story they told, I appreciate the fact that um Champa came back after thinking that Johnny after Johnny thinking he vanquished him and like fucked everything up again and now Johnny's like, Look, man, I have to kill you. Instead of like Johnny doing it to get his job and stay in stay NXT, which he loves and all that stuff, like Johnny wants to murder a man. And it's like like I appreciate that on a on a base level. Like I even like the Brooklyn match. Like all that mm. stuff stays in like the same realm of creativity. It all does. But you know, the story, while I think on paper it sounds fantastic, they just never nail it. Like even like in the Brooklyn match, the whole idea of Johnny fucking up because he wants to beat because he wants to go and do Champa's yeah. running knee and he he's hurt. got he's got tunnel vision cuz like all all that he can think about is destroying this other person and he has no perspective on on not even just like the the bigger picture at play but like the very real the very tangible shit that is standing in front of him mm. and to be like you know extra symbolic about it he wants to pull down his knee pad and yeah. and you know knee Champa in the face and in doing so, he hurts his knee. The same thing uh-huh. Champa did that, you know, changed Champa's whole perception of everything. It, like, oh, that sounds awesome. <laughs> but it, it could have been, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's such, it's, it was such a frustrating year for NXT. And, you know, even bringing this up just brings up, like, a lot of frustrating memories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's, it's, that was my 51, and I felt like that was gonna be an interesting way to end this first nearly five hour installment you told me it was gonna be short I thought it was then we just kept fucking talking (laughs) um but uh if you made it this far uh thank you for listening we'll see you guys in part soon I can let you go although I know although I know you're not even good for me no I should be alone, you hurt my soul I should know better, but I do it all the time